You can kick your fancy ales, you can drink them by the flagon, but the only food for the brave and true comes from the green dragon. Hello, ladies and gentlemen, and welcome to another episode of the Green Dragon Podcast. I'm your host, Matt, and I have here with me today, Kylie. Hello, hello. And Jeremy. Yes, I've been upgraded to Star Attraction and left to last. Take that, Kylie, for the first time <laughs> in a long time. I'm the last person. Yeah, honestly, it kind of threw me a little bit when you said my name first, because normally, you, like Jeremy said, you, you say Jeremy first, then me last, and I'm like... You know, halfway through sipping a drink, I'm like, "Oh crap! I, I need a, I, I need a, I need to say something here." Uh, 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 hello, hello. <laughs> yeah, going in anti-clockwise direction. Weird, weird. Some time out of the game, and I've just mixed it back up a little, thrown us for a loop straight away, and uh, very excited to get back into another episode. It's been too long. Mm. Too long. Way too long. It has has been a hot minute. Yeah, hot being the operative word. Summer in Australia, and uh, my computer's just about melted earlier today so hopefully we managed to get through this recording okay <laughs> my did my uh, my internet melted my uh, the the wi-fi for the australian broadband totally cut out so i had to get that fixed so that's why i haven't been able to record i'm sorry about that but it's uh yeah it just melted all right more episodes in winter but for now we're able to get back into it and as you can see from the episode title we're talking about the kingdom of Khazad-dûm. We're getting right into it with uh, some of the little short guys that I personally love. They're some of my favourite models and uh, rules in the whole game, despite some of their shortcomings. What do you think, Kylie? Well, well, first of all, I need I need you to to to, to back back the hell up here. I don't think it's just the. Uh... Kingdom of Khazad Doom army list we're talking about. We, I think we're also talking about the uh, Kingdom of Moria mm. army list as well. Indeed, indeed, we are. Are they the same thing? <laughs> <laughs> Technicalities, Jeremy. Some people will call us up on it, and you know very well that our dedicated listeners will, of course, point out the fact that there's, in fact, two army lists that we're doing, not just one. Yeah, we'll have to call this one Kingdom of Khazad Doom slash Moria, right? We'll have to, nope. just to get on the front foot. Nope. No, we're not I'll doing it. Okay. Foot, note some of that. <laughs> foot foot down, foot down, none of that. All right. Well, let's get straight into our first segment. Know thine enemy. The Kingdom of Khazad-dûm In the early years of Middle-earth, Durin, the father of the dwarves, carved a home for his people from the Rock of the Misty Mountains. This was to become Khazad-dûm, the greatest of the dwarf holds in all of Middle-earth, and it boasted the dwarf's greatest treasure hoard. The veins of the mountains flowed with mithril, the precious metal used to forge great weapons, armour and other items of immense value which cemented the hold's place and influence further. As the years went by, time was not kind to the sons of Durin. The dwarves delved deep into the roots of the earth, carving out cities and tunnels from the bones of the mountains. Evil was drawn to these places, always seeking to plant a foothold in Middle-earth. All manner of foul creatures sought to claim the mountains for their own, 
Hordes of goblins and trolls swarmed the mighty hold, making the kingdom of Khazad-dûm into a place embroiled in war. However, the dwarves of the Misty Mountains were not so easily defeated. The dwarves are a hardy race of stalwart and fierce fighters. Every dwarf is trained in the art of war, forming themselves into kinbands to train those who lack experience. It is within these kinbands that grizzled veterans and battle-scarred warriors train sons, cousins, and other family members in the dwarven methods of waging war. Every dwarf will fight with the utmost ferocity to defend their kin and to protect their home. If one kinband helps another upon the battlefield, they'll form a bond as strong as the armor that protects the dwarves in war, and one that will last for untold battles. Commanding the armies of Khazad-dûm were the dwarven kings of old, great warriors and noble lords that led the dwarves through many years of prosperity. At the peak of Khazad-dûm's glory, the kingdom was ruled by Durin, the greatest dwarf warrior of his time, and one who was worthy of being named after the father of the dwarves. Under his rule, the great wealth of the dwarves swelled as they dug ever deeper into the hearts of the mountains. However, with such constant expansion of their kingdom, the dwarves awoke something in the darkness, a beast of terrible power, a monster of shadow and flame. This was to be the undoing of the kingdom of Khazad-dûm, for the dwarves had awoken a Balrog of Morgoth, a demon of the ancient world. It was this creature that proved to be the downfall of the dwarves, sweeping aside their armies and slaying the mighty king Durin. Although the kingdom had fallen, its legacy is one that would be remembered throughout the ages, yet it would forever be known by a different name, the Black Pit of Moria. Alright, know thine enemy, and we're starting it off with one of the biggest boys, despite his stature, in the entire game. My lad... Yeah, yeah, no, go on, go on. I think, I think. Now, Maddie, mm -hmm. I know you're really keen to go into this model, but I think before we do, we need to talk about the fat, the army bonus, just real quick, because this is an army bonus that affects every single model in these army lists, and I think that's really important to you know have in the back of our minds before we delve into the nitty gritty of this list. And that is the wealth of Moria uh, lay not in gold and jewels, but in mithril. Uh, that is the title of the army bonus. Very long, lengthy title, as most army bonuses for some reason are. But essentially, uh, all friendly dwarf models with either the Khazad-dûm or Moria keyword may re-roll to wound rolls of a 1 when fighting in close combat. And I, that is especially helpful, uh, Jeremy and Maddie, because... No fainting in this list. Getting that reroll ones on every single strike you make can be pretty nasty. Oh, don't get me started. Rerolling ones everywhere. Every single model in this list is a dwarf with the Khazad Doom or Moria keyword, unless I'm grossly mistaken. I can't imagine there would be any that aren't. So, um, yeah, as you say, no need for swords. Give them all axes and get that reroll re to one anyway. Very, very nasty. Yeah, I think this is so ridiculous that I've made an effort to forget it every single time I've played this list recently. So just to be nice to my opponents, I just, just forget about it. They usually remind me about three quarters of the way through the game and ask me why I'm not re-rolling it. And, and yeah, it's a, it's a forgettable special rule. It's a no-brainer special rule. Uh, it's nice, but I'm not, I'm not actually that fussed about it. I don't think it adds anything tactically. It just increases your kill percentage very slightly, which is, which is nice. There's nothing wrong with that. But does add some extra dice rolls. Does mean you don't faint, but you don't have swords anyway. So, yeah, yeah, decent rule. I'm happy to drop it. 
I mean, yeah, you, you can be happy to drop it, but you're really going to turn away a, what is it, roughly, you know, a 5-6% increase to your damage Oh, it's nowhere near that like, high, and yes, I, I turn it around because I forget about it, that's why. Well, no, it's, it's about that, isn't it? Like, it's less no, than 3%. Winning, winning, on, winning on fives and sixes most of the time with these dwarves, pretty close. Yeah, negligible. Mm. <laughs> I, I will say I made the egregious error of uh, modeling a sword onto my dwarven shield bearer back in the day, and yeah, he's got a very useless sword right now. I would much prefer an axe, but uh, he'll have to deal with it. Okay, so l- let's get into it. As I uh, so broadly introduced him before, Durin, the king of Khazad Doom. He is 160 points. He is a dwarf. He has the Khazad Doom keyword, so he's getting those reroll ones. Infantry hero, hero of legend. So those free standfasts. Uh, not, not that he actually needs that. We'll get to that. Uh, move five. So we're going to be obviously talking about this later, but all dwarves, uh, unless I'm mistaken again, uh, move five. Slightly slow. Slightly on the slow side. Well, it's it's better than hobbits. It, natural sprinters, though, Kylie. Very dangerous over the short distances. Yeah. Um, mm-hmm. Fight six. A shoot value of 4+, plus, strength 4, defense 9. The godly defense 9. Very, very nice. 3 attacks, 3 wounds, and courage of 6. 3 might, 3 will, and 1 fate with some mitigating factors to come. Uh, the reason he is defense 9 is because he has the heavy mithril armor. Very, very nasty. Um, it actually means he's a slightly better swimmer, I think, than most dwarves. Uh, very important to note, if you ever happen to need someone to swim across a river, Durin can do it better than most. Durin... <laughs> yeah, just gonna throw that in there. Okay, Durin's axe. Uh, <laughs> Durin's axe is a master-forged two-handed axe. Additionally, the wielder may re-roll a single dice when making dual rolls. Uh, that's a prime shatter target, if ever I've seen one. The Ring of Durin. This one's a passive effect. Once per game, the bearer of the Ring of Durin may re-roll a single priority roll, so he impacts the priority phase as well. Uh, he has the Crown of Kings, another passive effect. If Durin suffers a wound, roll a d6. On a 6, the wound is ignored, exactly as if a point of fate had been spent. So a free fury save uh, every time he gets wounded. He also has the Horn of Zirak Ziggle. This is a war horn, so everyone, plus one courage. Additionally, Durin is terrifying. He has the terror special rule. They just gave him every special rule they could think yeah, of, basically. It's, 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 uh, it's uh, well, we're not even done yet, but I like to call it the kitchen sink, Matty. They gave him the kitchen sink. If you can think of, like, all right, what's a good special rule that, like, a lot of stuff has? Durin has it. His heroic actions are uh, two of the best ones. In fact, the two really crucial ones. Heroic Strike and Heroic Defense. Massive. Really, really great uh, actions to have. He also has uh, Heroic Challenge, which you yeah, nah, probably not be using. And uh, your option... Oh, well, you know, maybe you find some use for it. Okay, and you also get an incredible troop upgrade option... If your army includes Durin, you may upgrade any number of Khazad Guard in his warband, so a maximum of 18, being a hero of legend, to Hearthguard for plus two points per model. Your Hearthguard have the Burly special rule. Uh. Now, we actually haven't even got to his special rules. All of that was war gear and other options. Uh, he has one special rule, Fearless. He's also Fearless. Um, yes. 
Yes, because uh, Courage 7 isn't good enough, Maddie. We need to make sure we auto-pass instead. He's got an axe, he's got a ring, he's got a crown, he's got a horn, and he is not afraid. Probably because he's absolutely pimped out with his incredible war gear. Um, yeah, what is there to say about Durin? He is just one of the best... Where, where do you... Best leaders. Where do you start? Yeah, best leaders, best combat heroes on foot. Um, uh, just incredible, an incredible model... Brings so much to the army list in terms of uh, leadership, courage, um, might. Obviously, he's got the strike and the defense. Uh, he's really tough to kill, being defense nine. Yes, he only has the one fate, but he does have the fury saves. Um, yeah, he's just a great hero to put down on the table and say, "This is my dude. This is my champion. Bring it on!" Oh, he gets gets yeah. a huge amount of stuff. And my only issue really with him is that one, how like. How for for a big burly scary dwarf, someone that that, that you're just supposed to fear. You got three attacks. You got a, a pretty good fight value. You're re-rolling things. You're causing terror. You're striking. You're doing all kinds of fun things. Look how small the model is and unopposing. Like this guy <laughs> never strikes fear in me. When you put him on the table, you just sort of laugh. And because he's got really stumpy legs, my main go-to is this: is okay. You got a hundred point Durin that moves five inches. I'm always five and a half inches away from Durin at all times. And I think that's. I think when you take this guy, you really do run the risk of, of having a 160-point hole in your army because he is slightly easy to avoid unless you, you really play around that. But but what he brings is is really big. And it's I think it's almost rare to see a Kazaduma army that's sort of a, a medium to big points level that doesn't have this guy in it. I, he just He's really popular around our local scene. And partly, I think it's the Hearthguard. I think people do love those. But also, he's a he's a good profile and, and a good leader. So he, he definitely shows up a bit. The Fearless really does help. Like, I know that his courage is amazing. But Fearless is just, you'd never, ever have to worry about people draining your courage or anything like that. It's just irrelevant. That's just so nice. And the only guys that can cancel that are in his own list. Yeah, when I'm bringing him, I'm taking as many Hearthguards as I can. So really, he's actually 200 points plus your, your Kazards uh, or roundabouts. And, yeah, honestly, I, I understand what you're saying, and obviously you want expensive heroes to be doing some damage within the list, having some kind of threat, but I think he actually brings so much to the list that he, he's not actually as, expen- as expensive as he looks, if that makes sense. Uh, he, he just provides so much outside of what he is himself, just his profile and just his hitting power. It's also the hitting power he creates with the rest of his half guard. It's it's the courage. Nothing's failing near him. He's got the war horn. He's terrifying. He's really you can stick him in a hole and he'll pretty much take on anything and it's at least last a few turns. You know, um, yeah. I just I think he's a fantastic value. Even if you don't get the maximum you would out of um, something with his strength because of his movement value. I think the only real, like I, I said, the flipping issues with him. The one thing I have is that he's got three points of might, and that's only three points of might. He doesn't have the ability like a lot of the characters that are around that 160 points do to find some way to get some might back, whether it be blood and glory, whether it be mighty hero or anything like that. So he can run low on might, and I find that a Durin without might is not necessarily as imposing as he should be because that fight six is not the highest fight in the world either. So I think that's the other thing you've got to watch out for is is uh, his might can, especially if you have to spend it on rubbish, um, can can go pretty quickly. And once he's out of might, he, he's yeah just doubly easy to just block down and, and be annoying with. So I, I, still, I still think he's really good, but I don't think 
at 160 points, I think you have to really decide if you're going to design your army around him. And if you are, go for it. But he's not something you just chuck in your army just because. Like, I think he, he becomes the army. Oh, definitely. Uh, I yeah. agree with I agree with most of that. But I think there's one point that we're kind of really kind of missing here is that how good he is at, is at, he, how good he is at keeping your victory points secure. Um, you plonk Durin on an objective, there's pretty much a guarantee that no one's going to come near that objective. He's defense 9 with 3 wounds and a fate point, and he's got the magic hat saves as well. Even characters that are usually quite good at securing you a VP from off, off the leader kill, or the leader wound, like Legolas or Ring Race with Black Dart, are going to really struggle to get those, uh, to, to chip a wound off this character, simply because his defense is so goddamn high. And if you are willing to dedicate your might to, you know boosting up a couple of magic hat saves, he's, he's a pretty good fair bet to make sure that you can keep those points secure. Unless a monster comes along and starts rending at him. But if a monster's coming along and, and is going to have a go at him, the, the dwarf army list has all the tools they need to, to, to take that monster down. Like, what monsters can really, really scare Durin? I mean, Gulliver is kind of really the only one that or, or maybe a... A Gwahi going at him, but if they're gonna go at him, they're gonna rend, which means they're not gonna get to double their attacks, which means they're only gonna get, you know, on average about two wounds through. And Durin with a fate point and the magic hat with three wounds, that's not a good guaranteed kill coming in. And you gotta remember, he's on an infantry base. It is so hard to pick out an infantry hero amongst a bunch of Defense 7 dwarves. And then you finally do, and he calls a heroic defense right in front of you, and your opportunity's gone. Or worse, you're out of might when you get to him and he calls for strike and, you know, just turns around and hits you in the face with a plus one master forged uh, two-handed axe that he can re-roll to win the combat with, mm. as well as getting to re-roll ones. That's, that's a ludicrous amount of damage mm. that he can throw back at you if you're not careful. Mm. Like, stick a banner behind him and not much is going to beat him in combat. Yeah, I, I think he really um, benefits my kind of playstyle quite a lot because I'm usually very conservative with might and a dwarf army list that is conservative with might can be really really tough to take out because you can throw a lot against it and a lot stuff won't come off because of the high defense some things will just fail occasionally and uh, suddenly if your opponent's dwarf army has more might than you do uh, things can get ugly really quickly Mm, this is probably moving to the strategy section Mm. but what I find is is during I think he's a bit of a trap for a lot of newer players because I think a lot of people grab him when they start this list and go, this is my guy, I'm going to take him. And I actually think you should take him once you've mastered the rest of the list because I think that it's if you're if he's just starting out this list, you, you rely on him doing quite a lot and it's just so easy to have him just out of position and not doing what you want him to do. So I, I think he's really good, but not in the hands of a beginner player. And I think if you're just starting out this list, I would leave him in the tray for a few games until you've got used to the rest of it and then then unleash him when you know what you want to do with your heroes because uh, yeah I, I just I found that that it seems to be the the starting out players that I played against it tend to use him and they're always disappointed because I just play avoidance strategies with it and and it is frustrating for them because they don't have the ability to move their hero into where they want it to be just yet and I know Kylie once they do get that skill they're going to be causing a lot of troubles but that's a skill in itself being able to get a move five hero where you want it to be is something that's not particularly easy uh, you know what Jeremy I uh, kind of agree with with that that point you're right Durin is one of those uh, honestly I, I'm not even going to say just Durin I think 
the entire dwarf list, this entire Khazadum and Moria list is all about positioning. And we'll get that into that in the strategy, but you, I think a lot of players need to kind of keep in the back of their heads when we're going through these profiles is that because the list is so inherently slow, your positioning has to be immaculate. Yeah, and the, um, with and the fact that um, you don't just have those that protective layer of spear supports as well, you really need to be able to uh, be flexible with your lines and, and really skirmish really well. Um, but yeah, okay, having said all that, uh, let's, let's move on to our next hero, and I'll let Jeremy take this one. It is Marden. Yeah, Marden. Now, Marden, I don't see anywhere near as much as I see Durin. And I like, I don't mind a bit of a Marden. I, I like that we've got our special Vault Warden uh, spear guy. So we've got Marden, 75 points. He basically goes in the Durin's list. That's the, He's from that same era. He's a dwarf from Khazad-Doom, infantry, and a fortitude hero. So bringing 12 blokes along with him if he wants. Moving to 5, fight 5, 4+. I don't think you're going to use that 4+. Strength of 4, defense of 7. 7's good. Attacks two, wounds two, courage five. All pretty standard for dwarf heroes for about that points level. He's got the dwarf army and Torazul. Torazul is a foe spear, so it gets all the foe spear rules later on, I'm pretty sure. So, because um, it says it's a foe spear, there's foe spear rules in another profile with the Trollbane special rule. Additionally, Marden adds one plus to roll, uh, sorry, one plus when it wounds against monster models. So there's lots of stuff here. So we're looking at one plus to wound and Trollbane, which is, is that the uh, the D3 wounds against trolls? Is that the, the deal? Yeah, I believe that's correct. Bane is D3 wounds. Yes. Yep. Um, heroic actions are heroic strength. Mm, yep. Yeah. And Sworn Protector of Durin. So that, that's the uh, bodyguard especially, isn't it? Or is that something else? Uh, yeah, it's, it's bodyguard essentially. I think it's a 12-inch range. Ah, gotcha. Yeah. Yep, that's so the difference. It's actually not as good, but eh, whatever. Yeah, courage five. That's, so I'm not too fussed about the heroic actions or the special rules. The the foe spear is good. Sorry, I just had another read of Swan Protector. It doesn't have a range oh, on it okay. anymore. Good. It is cool. global. Good, it was silly. Uh, easy, easy, silly easy. Before. Yep, no, that's all nice. He's just a nice little sidekick. Um, the foe spear means that you probably want to put him around some Vault Wardens because that's where the foe spear works the best. Uh, so, yeah, nice guy. Three points of might. One will, one fate is something that I don't think I mentioned before, and that's that's decent. Uh, Seventy-five points, you get a named hero for the go of Durin. Uh, once again, I think people a lot of times run out of points when they have Durin because you need someone who can then throw your march in or do something else. So this guy sometimes gets missed, but in a big game, he's worth taking, and he's got an eye patch. So I think you have to take it if you're a fan of eye patches or pirates. Yep, yeah, it's worth pointing <laughs> out just a little um, FAQ point. Uh, if Marden is supporting an Iron Shield, he actually has plus two to wound monsters, which yes. is uh, a combination of being a foe spear and adding uh, and and its own Torazul rule. So yes, yeah, yes, 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 very nasty. Which is monsters. Yeah, we always assume that because we played it a few times, and, and yeah, because you get the foe spear and you get it in addition. So that's. That's an FAQ that I, I agree with because it's written exactly how it says mm-hmm. in that one. So, yeah, he just he goes through. He wants to be fighting trolls whenever he can. The problem with that is, of course, it's very limited to is there trolls on the battlefield. So this guy is amazing in those like thematic points match games where you go and choose two forces are going to fight against each other. But it's a rule that, that doesn't often show up um, if it's just a randomly allocated game. Yeah, though I'm just kind of like doing the the math in my head plus two to wound on trollbane that's that's really good odds especially when you have three might of 
insta-killing a troll if you can get a striking hero into the troll to get up higher. And you've got Martin sitting behind uh, a uh, iron shield. That's a... Uh, oh, yeah, without a that's, doubt. That's pretty brutal. That's pretty brutal, because Bane is before fate. So you multiply everything before the, the wound goes through. So Yeah, yeah. And um, having run dwarves quite a few times, you do tend to like to run heroes in pairs or even in blocks of, of two or three. Um, so having him alongside another hero that can strike is, is definitely a, a very good option. And you'll walk through enemy monsters. He'll be very, very nasty against them, especially trolls. More importantly, he gives that, um, like I said, Durin's might is his weak point. We've only three mo- points of might. This guy, for, for under half the price, has got the same amount of might. So he can do all the, the stuff that you don't want to spend Durin's might on. So moves and correct combats and that sort of stuff. Because you're not focused on any of his strikes. You just, you're there for moves, combats. Um, probably not heroic shoots, but you might find a corner case for that. But, but yeah, the, the combats, absolutely. The moves, absolutely. All right. Um, we'll, we'll move into the next one, Kylie. Uh, so the next one along is the Dwarf Kings. Yes, Dwarf Kings. I'm actually a big fan of these guys. Uh, they come in at 75 points. They have the Dwarf Khazadum and Infantry here keywords, and they are a hero of fortitude, weirdly enough, and not a hero of now, valor. Now, actually, is... they are a hero of valor. Mm, that, was, they are. that was one that was oh, FAQ. Oh, is that an FAQ? Yes. Yep. Excellent. Well, excellent. They can be my my Dwarf Taxis from the Khazadum list when I want to do some ally shenanigans. Uh, they have a move of 5 inches, uh, fight value 6, which is very nice. Uh, shoot 4 plus, which you will get some use out of, because uh, I'll get into that those uh, options in a second. Strength 4, defense 8, 2 attacks, 2 wounds, with a courage of 6. Uh, 2 might, 2 will, 1 fate. Uh, for war gear, dwarf heavy armor and an axe. For heroic actions, a uh, bit spicy, we've got heroic resolve and heroic march. Uh, resolve's a bit of an interesting one, I would have preferred defense, but... Resolve can be quite handy in a pinch because the Dwarf King is the only model, I believe, in the Dwarf Army list that has access to Resolve. I think outside of maybe Balin. Yes, Balin has it as well. But good cheap access, cheap-ish access to Resolve. For options, we have a Throwing Axe for 5 points and a Two-Handed Axe for 5 points. Yeah, as far as uh, Fight 6 Heroes go, very, very nice, uh, reasonably priced option. Always good to have some throwing axes in, into your list as well, especially with some might behind them. But um, I think we look at some of the other named heroes in the list, and the Dwarf Kings probably don't get as much of a look in. I, I don't know. How, how do you guys feel about that? I tend not to take Dwarf Kings. Although, at a... I want to say recent, but it was quite a while ago. At an unnamed hero tournament, I ran uh, a Dwarf King or two, and they were incredible in that particular mm. um, field. That, I was just about to say that, Matt. They are, this is my go-to list for unnamed hero competitions, mm. which we have. They seem to come up a few times. Every once in a while, we get one. And the dwarf list works so well with unnamed heroes. Uh, he doesn't have the strike, but he's got a, a base fight six. So that, that's usually enough to do a lot of the work. He's someone un- unassuming. He's usually not your, your big hitter. And he's got a little march. So for not much more than a captain, I think you get some good options. I think that fight value buff is quite nice. I think the, the up... The, the special rule for the hero of, um, what is it, Valor for the 15 and the allying, that's really, really nice because he does power up the allies uh, if you need to, to get that going. Um, I, I think I think he's quite good. I never regret taking him. When I drop one in for between 75 and 85 points, 
they they tend to do work and i think maybe it's because because they're they're at that points level where i'm not expecting them to do everything they they just become a nice little option for things and uh, kylie's right that resolve can be really really nice because there's sometimes the uh, people go very magic heavy at these dwarves and cause all kinds of problems so having that around does help a bit the march helps a bit I, i like this I like this combination of profile, and I like that it's not your standard like captain profile. There is a, a couple points of difference in there, the extra will, the extra fight, the extra resolve, all that sort of stuff. And, and uh, I've, I have a good – and there's so many cool models around as well. The old Fellowship ones are really nice, and some other alternative manufacturers are making cool Dwarf King models as well. So I, I like a Dwarf King. I'm a big fan of the Dwarf King. They often end up in my list over someone like Durin, and that's because I like to just have lots and lots of Dwarves. So that, that enables this to happen, and he, he does work. He does pretty well. Not going to blow your socks off, but pretty good. Yeah, I actually quite like uh, using Dwarf Kings in uh, in place of a Martin in, say, a Durin list uh, that I'm running. Because Durin really does like having a Resolve kicking around in his army list, um, simply because at those bigger points limits, like 650, 750, 800, uh, magic becomes a lot more prevalent. So having an extra layer of protection around um, someone like Durin can be very, very helpful. And throwing axes on a Fight 6 model is can absolutely be game-breaking. Game There's been a couple of times where I've been able to slip a Dwarf King into a combat that my opponent wasn't expecting me to get a Fight 6 model into. They screened off the combat and thought, right, my Faramir is good to go here, good to absolutely beat down on this banner or absolutely in the prime position to take out someone like Floyd and suddenly the Dwarf King comes around the corner, throws a throwing axe in, gets the kill he needs and then is able to find his way into a key combat that can absolutely change the course of the game. Just to combine two points that Jeremy made as well, um, the fact that the the resolve can... Well, both of you made. The resolve is very nice at at that points level, but also because he's on the sort of mid-level cheaper side, um, you don't mind him sitting out for a turn to do it. So he enables the rest of the heroes to sort of go ham and and have a free run at it. So yeah, as far as resolve goes, one of the best probably heroes to have it on. Um, all right, well, I, I think that's the Dwarf King. Uh, so let's get into the the lesser Dwarven hero here, the Dwarf Captain at 60 points. Uh, Dwarf Kazadoom Infantry Hero, and it, this one is a Hero of Fortitude. Uh, at 60 points, though, such good value. Move 5, Fight 5, 4 plus Shoot, Strength 4, Defense 7, 2 Attacks, 2 Wounds, Courage 5, 2 Might, 1 Will, 1 Fate. And uh, they have Dwarf Armor and an Axe Base, of course. Uh, Heroic March, so there's your cheap Heroic March option. And you can give them a Shield for 5, Throwing Axes for 5, or a Two-Handed Axe for 5. So, look, one of the the classic Captain Profiles. Um, Nothing, absolutely nothing wrong with this guy. Uh, You definitely want to have some March in your list on occasion. (laughs) With Dwarves, it becomes absolutely crucial. And this is the cheapest way to get it. Yeah, I I still prefer Dwarf Kings over Dwarf Captains most of the time. But if I want a dedicated, say, tank in my army, someone who whose express purpose in a game is to get into a choke point, get in front of a big scary thing, and then just shield. And Dwarf Captains are really good at that. They're, they're nice and cheap. Usually you run them at 70 points with a shield and throwing axe. And they will do that job till the cows come home. They will just sit there, they will shield, and just be really annoying, because they are so, so hard to shift. 
I love that guy for that role. Like th- that's that's my go-to role for the the foot captain with a shield. And this guy just you walk into someone's high one hundred plus point hero and just stand there and shield and just be annoying. And it will take them either a fair bit of resources and luck to get through, or they'll be just just throwing attacks and missing all the time against you. So he's really good at that role. He's good for the march. He's a good leader. He's he's affordable. He powers up a lot of your army. I, I rarely leave home without without this guy, um, basically because I need someone with a march in the dwarf army, even more so than a lot of other armies. So, so keeping the dwarves moving is very, very useful. And he just, once again, he's so hard to move. And having a captain-level model that, that's really challenging means that you can go off against other captains or other big things and cause problems. Or you can use him to power up some heroic combats and start moving you guys around that way as well. So good captain. Um, and I think he's a good captain because the dwarf profile is pretty good. Yeah, Urukai captains in particular absolutely hate these guys because their stats are in all the wrong places to take dwarf captains on Urukai captains. So even the named ones, to be honest, as well. Yeah, five, for strength five captains hate these guys. And strength four, uh, sorry, yeah, strength strength five captains for sure, and um, fight four, which which most captains are around that level. Um, so yeah, they're really the anti-captain captain, aren't they? They're very nasty. Um, all right, uh, well, that's enough about the captains. On to the bread and butter of the list, the dwarf warrior. Uh, Kylie. Yeah, dwarf warrior is... I think they're very underrated, but I'll, I'll get into their profile for, first before I give my opinions on them. I'm getting a bit ahead of myself here. So Dwarf Warriors, 8 points each, Dwarf Kazadoom Infantry Warrior keywords, uh, movement 5 inches, 5 value 4 with a shoot of 4+, plus. strength 3, defense 6, 1 attack, 1 wound, and a courage of 4. So really nice, beefy, solid stats right there. For war gear, uh, Dwarf Armor and an Axe, and for options, they can take a Warhorn for 30 points. Banner for 25, a Dwarf Bow for 1 point, a Shield for 1 point, and one of the most useless options in the game, swap their axe for a two-handed axe and a dagger for a single point. I do like that they specify the dagger, though, but yeah, you you don't... Yeah. Okay. Good luck fainting when you already reroll ones, anyway. I think they would be used for the two-handed weapon if there wasn't such access to it elsewhere in the list. So I yeah. think part of the problem is you're paying for a, a, an option that... you is useful, but not necessarily on this guy. The negative penalty outweighs the positives, and you can get it better in other places. Like, the half guard we talked about before have have all the, the right two-handed weapons, whereas these guys don't. So, th- honestly, get rid of the, the two-handed weapon option, get rid of the third of your models that you own, and the shield or the bow are both excellent options. Honestly, I think you would get... Up- Maybe a couple of extra of them thrown into lists if that swap axe for two-handed axe option was free. Just make it free. That's all it needs to be. Yeah. Like, I think it should be negative even, points. I, I agree with Jeremy. I remember you pointing that out a while back, Jeremy. It, don't give him the dagger. Mm-hmm. Just give him the two-handed weapon and make him seven points instead of eight. And then, and then yeah, they're cool. No, I can see that. Yeah. yeah. But that's that's a weird negative we're talking about. We should talk about the positives <laughs> about these models. And Defense 7 with a shield is very, very good. We've heard us on the Green Dragon talk on and on and on about how good Defense 5 troops are with a shield. Well, these guys take them to school for breakfast. These guys are with Defense 7 with take a shield and Fight 4. Breakfast. These are am- <laughs> <laughs> amazing. The They're amazing. Uh, they just walk into the cafeteria around breakfast. <laughs> <laughs> That's what they do. That's one of our best. Mi- that's that's one, another Kylie. That is one of our best mixed analogies yet. Please like and subscribe for more of that. 
Warriors of uh, of the Kingdom of Kaz. I love that they're not just dwarf warriors. They're war- oh no no sorry I'm reading the wrong thing. What am I doing? All right. <laughs> I'm, I'm sorry that that threw me. We're taking the dwarves to school for breakfast. <laughs> um, yeah yeah no dwarves really really strong warrior option with either shield or bow. I, I think the dwarf bows are actually really slept on. Yeah they've got a shorter range but. Um, especially in, uh, is it Ill Met by Moonlight? Is that still a scenario? Whatever the night yes, one is. Yes, it is. Oh, they're nasty because the range doesn't matter so much anymore. And then you're pelting your opponents with strength three bows with uh, plus one to wound, I think it is. So, yeah, oof. Very, very strong. And you can, yeah, you can do some nasty stuff with the dwarf bows in combination with the dwarf rangers. Mm. So you can get the dwarf bows to, like, shoot out all the odd defense models and then all the... The um the, the dwarf rangers to shoot it to, to hit the evens yeah. and you can usually come out pretty well on top uh, either yeah. way. And it's worth pointing out that there are some key statistics with bowmen that you really want to look at. Um, you know, outside of obviously their combat ability. Um, once they reach it, but when you're actually in a shoot off, um, the things that matter are your, your strength of your bow, your range, your shoot value, and your defense. Your defense is actually really important. These guys are defense six archers. They're getting hit on. They're getting wounded on sixes from just about everything outside of crossbows. So uh, and you know the 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 great bows. But um, yeah, it, having a defense six archer in your list really really good option to have. It means you can put them in the front line and you just don't care. So you can just just put them right up the front. They can just make a wall of them. They can hold their own and tempt the enemy towards you, which is really really useful because dwarves aren't going anywhere fast. So if you can somehow get the opponent to come to you. They're doing the work for you, and these guys really help that work. And the shield guys as well. Just, just the putting putting a few of these guys on a flank shielding is really, really tough to get through. They might end up surviving the whole game, and then end up capturing some objectives later on. So, I'm I'm a massive fan of dwarf warriors. The majority of my forces are always dwarf warriors. I think this is a really good profile. Don't get too obsessed with all these the elites in this list if, if you haven't tried the dwarf warriors first. Uh, speaking of those... master the shielding special rule. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Because I think dwarves are the yeah. kings of shielding. Like, your Dwarf Warriors shielding are yeah. going to be so hard to break through. I, I Honestly, I, I, I roll my eyes whenever I see a Kingdom of Kazadoom or a Moria list uh, not rock up with at least eight of these Dwarf Warriors with shield, because I think every single <laughs> one of these lists needs at least eight of them. I have them. exactly eight yeah. Dwarf Shieldmen, and I run them in every Dwarf list that I do. <laughs> Just because Kylie won't won't look at me the same way if I don't. Um, okay, on to the, uh, some of these elites that we've just been talking in down. Let's talk them up now, Jeremy. Mm, mm, mm. Oh, oh, these guys. The Khazad Guard. The Khazad Guard are just amazing. They are great-looking models. They are one of the first that came out in this list, and they are the, one of the most popular ones, and I'll go through why. 11 points. 11 points. They, they are hashtag... Iconic. Oh, they, yeah, mm. absolutely. Yeah. 11 points. Hashtag iconic. Hashtag iconic. You get a Dwarf, Kazadoom, Infantry, Warrior with move 5, fight 4, 4 plus shoot air. Strength 4, defense 7. Defense 7, no shield, but defense 7. Yeah, nice. Attacks 1, wounds 1, courage 4. Courage 4 is nice, but I'll get to why you don't care about that. Dwarf, heavy armor, and a two-handed axe and axe. So you get a hand weapon and a two-handed weapon. Your choice. You will probably use both at times. Uh, I often use the axe because strength 4 is often enough, and, and they often fight on their own. 
But they have one of, if not the best, special rules in the game, Bodyguard, which sorts out Terra and anyone who's doing courage stuff so, so, so well. So reliable just to know that while your dwarf heroes, which are really, really hard to get rid of, while your main hero is alive, these guys are passing all their courage tests is so useful because a lot of times you're fighting against a terror-causing monster or you're at the end of the game and you need to send off a few dwarves to go capture some objectives or you need to go and, and take on some ring wraith and just have to charge them and they've got their harbinger of evil up and you don't care with these guys. They are very, very useful at a bargain price of 11 points and they're almost the point where all other elites are compared to. So people just look at Kazakhstan and say, they're 11 points, therefore is my 11 points or 12 points better value? And oftentimes they're not because you've got the downside of that five-inch movement. I think people don't factor that in. That is their one downside. Everything else is just really, really good. Yeah, but it's a downside shared with the rest of the list. Mm. So it's something that you as a player should already be factoring into your gameplay. And if if uh, if the Dwarf Warriors in this list, so the, the bread, these guys are the butter. Again, you're never not take, taking at least half a dozen of these guys when you're when you're, you're playing uh, a Khazad Doom list because their ability and the utility in the list is just so damn high. Yeah, whenever I these, go to school for a... breakfast, I definitely have these guys all. <laughs> That's going to come back to bite me yeah, on the you ass. You butter that like... school breakfast with some Khazad Guard. Mm-hmm. <laughs> <laughs> oh, up. It's in the ether now. <laughs> um, but yeah, absolutely love these guys. They, they're amazing I think one of the things that I absolutely love about the Khazad Guard in combination with the Dwarf Warriors is that that mix of strength you get within the list. So you're always in a good position to be able to deal damage to something with high defense. Having two-handed axes prevalent without the list, and especially on the Khazad Guard, which you will be taking a lot of, um, is just so damn helpful. Hell, I've seen Maddie knock out a Mumak in a single turn with two-handed mm. axes off the Khazad Guard. And once you add in Durin's Burly on top of these guys, even if it's only a handful of them in your list, it's absolutely insanity. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, um, David can attest to that because I think it was his Mumak uh, that did go down in a single turn to a, a group of Khazads. Not even Halfguard. This was before Halfguard, I think, so... Yeah, very, 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 very strong profile. Um, and, uh, you know, just to add to that point about bodyguard and, and how useful it is, over a long uh, Middle-earth career of, of miniature gaming, we've come to learn that there is a pretty big difference between 100% guaranteed passing a courage test and even courage 6 or 7. That There is a, a world of difference just knowing in the back of your mind, yeah, I, I'm charging that model no matter what I'm charging that model, or that if he, oh, what if I roll a snake eyes? Um, yeah, so I, I love these guys. I always take at least a dozen, I think, in, in, in every dwarf army I run, or every Kazadoo army. I take nowhere near as much, but I, I love them as well. And I, I have that many, but there's so many other cool options as well that I don't tend to, to spam them. But you, you never feel bad when you do. Like they, they just always give you good value. That's, that's why they're part of our call list. Like, you know, eight dwarf warriors with bow, four four dwarf warriors with um, sorry, eight dwarf warriors with shield, four dwarf warriors with bow, and half a dozen cast guard. That's not going to steer you wrong as a starting point for any dwarf, uh, dwarf old school dwarf. Yeah, yeah, yeah look, that should be that should be your starting a point. Dwarf king there. That's a solid warband you've got there, Kylie. Mm-hmm. Take that to school for your breakfast. Alright, um, King's Champion is our next hero. <laughs> 140 points. Is that still correct? It's gone up and down and all over the place, the points value for this guy. Um, it, you get for, for that amount of points one King's Champion and two Heralds. 
They are Dwarf Kazadoom Infantry Heroes, and the King's Champion himself is a Hero of Fortitude. I don't believe the Heralds actually have a level of, uh, I guess they're all Fortitude, technically. Because you could run any of them mm. as the leader of the Warband. You don't actually have to have the King's Champion as the leader, technically, I think. Maybe I'm wrong. That sounds right. Anyway. No, no, um, no. Whoa, 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 whoa. No, sorry. Yeah. A King's Champion will always be the Warband leader, and a there Herald counts as an independent hero. Okay, thank goodness that's been cleared up. All right. I no, it's got in the there. book. It's in, yeah, no, I would have got writing. there in, in 30 seconds if I'd just stopped no. thinking. <laughs> Five-inch move. Uh, the Champion himself. Uh, fight value of six. Very nice. Uh, four plus shoot, no one cares. Uh, f- strength five. Woohoo! Okay, strong boy. Defense mm-hmm. seven uh, plus. Uh, three attacks, two wounds, and courage of five. So three attacks, strength five, fight six. Those are some nice. Say three attacks stats. again. Three attacks, strength yes! five, fight six. Oh, he's beefy. Uh, two might, one will, and one fate on him. He's very strong. He has heavy dwarf armor and two axes for the extra attack. Everybody knows, carry an extra weapon, get an extra attack. That's how it works. He's got (laughs) Heroic Strike. Very important heroic action for a big beefy man to have. A big beefy dwarf, even. And uh, Heroic Strength, which I highly doubt you'll be using on this fella, but who knows. Uh, The King's Champion, as Jeremy says, always will be the Warband Leader, and a Herald counts as an independent hero. Don't make the mistake I just did of thinking, oh, I'll put my uh, my Herald as the leader. Nope, not how it works. When two heralds or the king's champion and a herald are in base contact, this is the herald's duty special rule, they receive a plus one bonus to their defense. So that's two of them in base contact can be any combination of two. If both heralds and the king's champion are in base contact with each other in a triangular formation, they all receive a plus one bonus to their defense. Oh, sorry, plus two bonus to their defense. So that would bring them all the way up to defense Nine. Ooh, very nasty. So very, very beefy stats if you want to run them as a trio, which you may very well do. Or you could tend to run one banner in one area, one in another. Who knows? But either way, defense eight's still very, very good, and you're probably going to be at least that on the champion. Now, the heralds themselves are move value five, of course. Uh, fight value four. Four plus shoot. No one cares. Strength four. Defense seven. So the same as the, the uh, champion. So they'll go up and down at the same level he does if they're in contact. One attack, one wound, courage of four. Zero might, one will, which can actually be huge. I think that one will point's very undervalued. And two fate points each. They have dwarf armor, shield, axe, and of course their banners. Uh, The herald's duty, so they have the same special rule as the champion, which allows their defense to go up or down depending on whether they're in contact. And the lifeguard. If the king's champion is wounded... Either Herald may expend their own fate points on the champion's behalf as long as they are in base contact. Note that they cannot suffer wounds on the champion's behalf. They may only use their fate points. So, so, potentially... Chef's kiss. If you are running them all in the one spot, you have a Defense 9 King's Champion with two wounds and five, count them, five fate points. Very, very tough to scrape a wound off that. Woo! Um, yeah, this guy, I remember when they brought him out, he was brought out sort of irregularly with a bunch of other profiles from different lists uh, at the same time, and he was the one where everyone looked at it and they're like, holy crap, they really just wanted to, like, chuck stats on this guy. Like, strength five on a dwarf was unheard of, uh, still is. Uh, the three attacks was pretty rare for an unnamed hero, um, 
and just the the fact that he could be so defensive as well that you could cluster him together and and uh, make them just a ball of you can't kill me. Um, yeah, brutal. And the fact that it is two banners, not just one banner, two banners that you can separate and move to the most important parts of your line, all for 140 points. Now, keep in mind, banners ordinarily cost you, what, 25 points, is it? 25 points apiece. So that's mm. 50 points of your 140 right there. Imagine looking at that and going, wow, that King's Champion, only 90 points, and you get the two other banner bearers for free, plus two banners. That's It's wild how good value he is. Yeah. I love his value, but what I absolutely love more about it, and again, it's going a bit more in the game design than critiquing on the on on the on the profile, is that it rewards players for trying to pick off and move around the banners and and get that lifeguard away from from the king's champion because the king's champion is by himself. Yes, scary two mites, you know, three attacks at five six, but you know that it is killable for some of the bigger interiors in the game. He is killable. But it's all about those heralds and getting those heralds in the right positions when it's okay to disengage one herald away from, from the king's champion. The fact that the heralds aren't warriors, that they're uh, heroes, so they'll be taking break tests on their own, which means they have to be rolling their own courage tests for being broken. And courage four, with a point of will, isn't guaranteed. I mean, we've all lost elves to courage tests before at some point, being off in random places on the board. And that's what I absolutely love about this model. It is... So, I'm not going to say dynamic, but it's so interesting in the way that the stats are split up amongst the three models, and together they're a really solid, powerful unit. But if you're clever enough and can get some good hurls going, maybe a cheeky compel or a spooky test here and there, it can be really interesting to watch both players having to try and work their way and get their angles around and trying to just get a little bit of a wedge between uh, the King's Champion and his Heralds. I absolutely love this guy, and I, I probably take him way too much because he's, he's one of the first things that go in my list all the time. And, and it, the, the thing I, I don't necessarily like about it is it's just it, it gets rid of the other banners in the army list because you just take this guy for your banners and you get one of your better heroes. Just having strike on a three-attack fight six model that is probably not your leader, he can be, but he's he's just that that side assassin guy is just so good. He does so much work. He just he powers through. You've got strength six. You've got axes, so you could then just go and and pierce as well if you really want. And and away you go. And and he he just kills things. I just love this guy so much. And it's a big chunk of points to start with, but it's just such a bargain for all you get with there. And, and the way I usually run it is I get the the champion of one banner bearer, and then one banner bearer goes off and just extends my line out. So I'm happy with the defense eight. Uh, but having having that fate that you can use for him as well is just huge. So potentially you've got a defense nine model with five points of fate. <laughs> it's just insane. Yeah, it, completely wild. Um, I, I, I think it's interesting to note that I believe his points dropped briefly. I think he came out at like 135. Then it dropped to 125. And then they bumped it back up to 140. Uh, personally, I think he's worth 160. I, I think 160 would be a, a much fairer price to pay for this. And I like Jeremy, I agree. It's disappointing that it also um, kind of makes another profile obsolete in, in just the warrior uh, banner profile. But um, yeah, su- such an interesting uh, choice to have. There- there's really nothing else like it in the game for for any other lists. It's it's a very odd model in that regard, and you know I, I like it. It's unique. Um, 
it's powerful and it, it's something that I'll it's pretty much a go-to for a lot of dwarf players. So very cool to have in there. Mm. I would love to see that lifeguard special rule and even the king's herald, um, the herald's duty special rule, um, get kind of uh, poached and revitalized in other lists because I think lists like uh, Rohan. Um, and Gondor with their own bodyguard troops could uh, you could there's some interesting applications there with having some models that use similar interactions um, in their own lists and this is one of my favorite design models in the game and we're about to get into another one of my favorite favorite design models um, in the Shield Bearer. Yeah, go ahead, Kylie. We're just right into it. Oh, cool. I was expecting Jeremy to take this one, but I am more than happy to take this. Uh, if you're okay for it, Jeremy. Uh- yeah, okay, I'll, I'll do, just just let me calm down. You take it for the moment, and I'll, I'll do some breathing exercises. <laughs> Thanks, Jazz. All right, so we have the Shield Bearer for 60 points. This is the Dwarf, Kazadoom Infantry Hero, and Minor Hero. Uh, keywords, move 5, fight value 5 uh, with a shooter 4+, plus. not really caring about that too much. Uh, strength 4, defense 8, all very good stats. 2 attacks, 2 wounds, and courage of 4. But that courage 4 is a little bit deceptive, as I'll get into in a moment. Just the 1 point of might for might, will, and fate. No will and no fate there. Uh, for Wargear, we have dwarf armor, shield, and an axe. So some really nice, uh, you know, little Wargear options there. But where he comes into his own is his two special rules. Uh, the first is in defense of the king. At the start of the game, nominate a single dwarf model with the highest heroic tier for the shield bearer to protect. If the nominated hero model is engaged in a fight within three inches of the shield bearer, then the shield bearer may call a heroic combat without using any might. If the heroic combat is successful, then they must use the following move from the heroic combat to join their nominated hero's combat. If this is not possible, then the shield bearer must move as close as possible to that hero model. If you have more than one shield bearer, then they both may protect different hero models. Just remember to make it clear to your opponent which shield bearer is protecting which hero. As you can see, this is a phenomenal special rule in the same vein as, you know, Sam or any of those or uh, Daryl Wine. Just phenomenal. Amazing. And it's it, it can create so many opportunities in game. Uh, his second uh, special rule is the lead by example special rule. And this is absolutely insanity. Uh, friendly dwarf models within 12 inches of the Shield Bearer may re-roll failed courage tests. So dwarves naturally a courage four. Stick a re-roll on that, and you are looking pretty, pretty comfortable for any, any sort of courage test you're needing to take at any point during the game. And oh my god, Shield Bearer is just on a whole other level of just raw utility in a list yeah if if you find that um your opponents start taking a lot of terror if you're in that kind of area get yourself a dwarf list you've got bodyguard you've got uh durin with his horn you've got the shield bearer for re-rolling courage chest if you ever do manage to fail uh it's so much courage redundancy in this list it's ridiculous this guy was the og by the way in terms of free heroic combats outside of uh a i think maybe a all but um but specifically specifically protecting, protecting. um yeah friendly heroes like trying to get in and help them yeah out. that's exactly right um and yeah i i agree with kylie i think it's a super super cool rule because it's thematic it's it's um limited i think dale one's range on his one is a little bit much uh what is it is it yes. 12 12 12 oh, that's ridiculous i i think it should be and sam's is four yeah like why is this yeah. guy at least not his move value no i think i think um 
for Dior one, it actually should be six. I think that one's the problem, not these ones. I think it should be a small range. They, the reason they made it bigger for Dior one is because they're mounted, right? But it, it was too much. Mm. 12 inches is stupid. But um, yeah, I, I think just such a cool, cool profile. Um, I won some of my early tournaments and I put it, uh, like when I did win some of my earlier tournaments when I was starting out, I put a lot of it down to this guy. I think he is one of the best value models in the game. You do need to be careful because he is defense eight. He is defense eight, but he has two wounds and no fate. So you do need to be a little bit careful with him, um, because he is someone you want to be throwing into combat, but don't try and overreach because, uh, he can go down uh, very quickly if if you do lose a combat. So, be... And unexpectedly, yeah. too. The amount of times I've lost this guy to, um... Uh, particularly Maran and Orcs. Yeah. Double... Like, a spear-supported Maran and Orc, and just going, yep, double sixes, take mm. him off. And, and a lot of the on time, the, on the crack you track. know, if you are outnumbered, if you can't actually get the right combat off, so let's say you're actually trapped and you've got three models on you, don't be afraid to shield. You know? Give it a shield. Just survive to fight your next day. Um... Because he's definitely very capable of that. He has that shield for a reason, you know? Use it. Mm. Yeah, I, I think this guy is absolutely fantastic. Unfortunately, I, I don't find a whole lot of space in my list because you run out of spots for all the heroes. But what I really, really like about him, uh, three inches catches me off that heroic move because I always set him up too far away and I try to get greedy with it. I think I've just got to literally sit him an inch and a half away from the hero and just, just cop that he's going to go and help out that combat. That's fine. But friendly dwarf models within 12 inches of the shield bearer may reroll failed courage tests. This guy keeps your heroes going so, so, so well. So you've got the bodyguard with the Khazards to keep the warriors around. But this guy keeps the heroes around, so and you don't have to activate him first. So he pretty much guarantees that your heroes pass their courage tests when you start doing break tests, and that is so useful. So I think he's great at 60 points. I love that he's a minor hero. It gives you something different. So I, I think I think this is a really well-designed model, and I think it's a really good addition. Um, I, I tend to play games at points levels that are just too small to include him a lot of times. Like, I put him in 500 a few times, but I really miss the captain just for the extra... Uh, really? options. Because I've always found as like whenever I'm like just kicking back and having casual games, a shield bearer, a king's champion, and a dwarf, just a generic dwarf king. I have had so many fun, interesting games just with those three models because the shield bearer works so well in tandem with the, with uh, a king's champion. Yeah, keeps those king's champion is super especially. good because he has extra rerolls for the shield bearer and the and the king. And the king absolutely loves having a nice close bodyguard like the shield bearer around him to keep him around because although courage six and you know courage four and five are really good, you know one bad roll can ruin your day. But when you've got two bites of the cherry at it, it's very unlikely you're going to fail those. And they just work so well in combination, the shield bearer and the king's champion. I, I always love running them um, in conjunction with like a, a king, a captain, or something like that. Maybe even a bar. And the king being a hero of valor offsets the minor hero status of the shield bearer somewhat as well. So it, it all kind of works together. I agree with that combination of those heroes. So give that a go if you're interested in dipping your toe into the water of um, Khazad Doom or, or taking your dwarves to the school breakfast or whatever you're doing with them. Um, <laughs> I'm going to get as many of those. The next specialist troop. Let's move on. More specialist troops. <laughs> Jeremy, you're up. Excellent. Uh, the Vault Warden teams. These guys. Oh, I've got I've got a lot to say about the Vault Warden. So I'm going to introduce the stats and I'll go through the rules and then I'm going to make some comments and you can too can respond to it. So the Vault Warden team, for 25 points, you get two models. So 12.5 points each on average, which is not too bad. You get an Iron Shield and a Foe Spear Warrior. So Dwarf, Khazad Doom, Infantry Warriors. The Iron Shield profile 
He's a move five inches. Yeah, yeah. Fight four. Yeah, we know all that stuff. Strength four. Yep, yeah, fine. Defense nine. Whoa. Defense nine. Attacks one. Wounds one. Courage four. They've got heavy dwarf armor, axe, and iron shield. The iron shield. This is this is so good. It's made from thick iron. These massive shields are all but impenetrable. So thick iron is the answer here. If you want something impenetrable, go thick iron. Model armed with an iron shield cannot be barged or hurled and is unaffected by the rend brutal power attack. So they've they've mentioned three power attacks. That is so, so, so nice because there was a very small amount of time where these guys totally failed in their main duty of going and shielding against trolls. So now, great. It, don't worry about rend. The special rule of spear and shield means that unless you're supported by a model of a foe spear, the model of an iron shield applies a one minus penalty to their dual rolls even when shielding. Which is a significant penalty, because yes, it's hard to kill these guys, but if you're never winning combat, you're never making use of that strength four, you're never doing any killing with them. So you want to go that sort of, that snow player move where you're actually killing models and pushing them back rather than you getting pushed back because you've got one minus two dual rolls. So you want a foe spear, and you come with one, so you've got no excuse not to use it. Foe Spear, Fight 4, Strength 4, Defense 6 now. This guy used to be worse than that, but Strength... Uh, sorry, Defense 6, very useful. Courage 4, Attacks 1, Wounds 1, yep, yep, yep. Uh, the Foe Spear gets 1 plus when rolling to wound monsters. So these guys, it just it's pretty much giving you so many clues to how to use them. They go, they clog up a corridor, and they stop monsters going through it. So if you want to repel monsters, that's what these guys do. They just keep them away really, really well. I would say watch out for the trap of taking too many of these guys. I've seen people design their whole list around them because they are very, very good profiles and they're, they're really nice. But this army is not all about the spears. You've got some spears here. Don't go overboard with it. And the other thing to watch out for is don't have the spears disappear off away from the shields. Keep them together for optimizing. Don't just think that, okay, I've got a shield and a spear. I'll send the spear behind a hero and I'll send the shield somewhere else. You can do that but that's not ideal either. That's my response there. Matt, go for it. Okay. Um, yeah, I, I agree with almost all of that. I I will say that I am guilty of separating the shields and spears on occasion. I'll usually keep them nearby at the very least, but um, the ability to throw a spear attack into your heroes is pretty nice. It's a pretty good option to have. Um it's worth noting that the Foe Spear only uh, gets its special rule of plus one to wounding mon monsters when it is supporting the shield, the the Iron Shield. If you are supporting something else, you don't get that plus one to wound monsters. But yeah, look, a as a combination, uh, there's I don't think there's much like this in the game, is there? This is another very unique profile. Uh, apparently dwarves are full of them, where you want to keep these models close together. You want them to synergize and to do the work that they're meant to do. Um, but yeah, I, I, as you mentioned before, I was thinking about it. I'm like, man, I, I, I've been so down on um, Vault Warden teams because they always just get rendered. And I actually completely forgot that they changed that and that you couldn't rend them. So that's that's fantastic. Uh, it means that you know things like cave trolls and winning them on sixes, that's going to be a really annoying time for a cave troll player. Um, and even wounding on fives with some with most other monsters is just irritating. So yeah, very nice uh, profile to have. But I totally agree with Jeremy. Do not spam these guys. It it doesn't really work well. It tends to be a really boring game as well because you tend to just ball up and then your opponent's just finding ways around you. And if you you know you're sort of moving back and forth and you, there's no real ability for dwarves. Uh, taking this kind of spam Vault Warden team list 
to actually make an aggressive move. That's what you lose out on. You you, you need those, you know, iron guard, uh, which we'll get to. Um, you need those uh, rangers with the throwing weapons. You need you need something in there that's going to actually have the ability to reach out and do some damage to your opponent. Vault wardens do not do that. They're they're defensive. They're the ultimate defensive. Um, and it, building your entire list around them is probably a mistake. What what do you think, Kylie? Um, I 100% agree with not spamming them. I think four is, um, a nice, two, sorry, three to four is a nice effective number to run in most games. If you want to be really egregious with them and really make your opponent annoyed about, you know, this thick block of dwarves that's not going to get shifted, maybe you run up to six. But any more than that, I, 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 you just run into the same problems the shield walls run into. And we've talked a lot about how to beat shield walls, you know, get in behind the shields, uh, focus on the spear supports, fo- trap, wrap that shield wall. Well, all of the all of the pros and cons with Vault Warden teams are multiplied in this regard. So everything that's good against the shield wall is super effective against Vault Warden streams. And everything that shield walls are really good at doing, Vault Warden teams do even better. And that's what you kind of got to get in your head when you're running a group of Vault Warden teams is this is what's going to happen. If your opponent is savvy enough, if your opponent is clever enough, they're going to wrap you, they're going to get models into those foe spears, and they're going to start killing them. Because once, you know, you lose two or three of those foe spears on a flank, then that entire, you know, you know, iron shield wall is just going to die. Because as great as Defense 9 is, it is nothing compared to four, five models trapping you with two-handed weapons or something like that, and they will kill you with double strikes. Yeah, for sure. I, I think we probably don't have too much more to add to that about Vault Warden teams. They're very um, kind of cut and dry, aren't they? The, the, the ultimate shield wall, I guess. But um, yeah, we, very static. Yeah, yeah. okay. They're well, actually a really good spearhead. If you send them like two of them beside a hero and just run at the enemy mm-hmm. with them, they're really, really nice. And that's not enough to be unwieldy. And then you get the bonus map that you said where if the hero needs a spear, it's literally right next to him. So That's, he can just grab that it. is exactly how I run them. So I'll say I'll have either like Durian or, or uh, a Balin, and you run the two uh, Vault Wardens right next to him, and the two spears touching a Vault Warden and Balin. So you sort of get that option of which way you need to go, depending on how that ends up going. And that's a nice little five-model block. Um, yeah, they, precisely. Uh, all right, let's move on to the exact opposite of the Vault Warden team in this list, I would say. Uh, the Dwarf Ranger. They come in at 8 points apiece. They are Dwarf Kazadoom Infantry Warriors. Uh, move 5, as always. Fight 4, shoot 3 plus. And for once, it actually matters. Uh, strength 3, defense of only 5. Only 5. Only. Uh, uh, a ranger model that is defense 5. <laughs> it's so weird, isn't it? You look at defense 5 and you're like, oh, that's disappointing with the rest of the list. Wait a second, a ranger with defense 5? One attack, one wound, and courage of 4. They have armor and an axe to begin with, and some really cool-looking cloaks. I actually really like um, the dwarf ranger models, the, the plastic models. I don't know why, but they. I just think they're really cool. Um, armor and axe, yep. They have the option for... A dwarf longbow at one point, which I believe is just a regular bow. Is that right, Kylie? Yes. yes. Range 24, strength So exactly two. the same as a regular bow. Uh, throwing axes for a point. Oof. And two... Ooh, tasty. tasty. 
And uh, a two-handed axe for a point, again, that's probably not an option you're going to be taking very often. There are just too many other um, good two-handed... Well, the Kazards, essentially, um, pretty much throw the two-handed axe option out the window for the Rangers. The Rangers don't need two-handed axes. In fact, that's the last thing they need. Yeah, I've, I've, I've added a sprinkling of them in my list. It's usually is, is that when if you're just I... running Rangers? Yeah, but occasionally, even with without, I'll have you know one or two points left uh, and no more space to fit other stuff in. So okay, so literally you have nothing else axes. to do. Okay, <laughs> fair enough. You know, to, just just to round out your that's how you know it's you a great option. Of, uh, You've got nothing else to spend on, so you'll just throw a couple of axes. A couple of two-handed that. weapons in the list and a ranger list isn't too yeah, bad. Yeah. And uh, of course, they have the special rule mountain dweller. Now I know that that's. That's two separate things. That's uh, you can move at full distance across rocky terrain, and I believe it's either a plus one or is it a reroll for um, jump and leap? It leap. is a reroll. A reroll. It is nice. So so good. Mm-hmm. So that's for both jump so, so and good. leap tests, I believe. Jump, leap, and climb. oh, and climb as well. Very nice. So um, yeah, they, these guys very uh, flexible in terms of moving around, but. The thing that they really bring to most lists are those nasty throwing axes and the extra range that they have on their bows compared to uh, regular bows, along with their uh, exceptional 3-plus shoot value. Kylie, I know you have a fair bit to say about these. Why don't you go ahead? Oh, where do I even start? (laughs) I absolutely love these guys. I remember when I first took them, it was was a a challenge by Jeremy, I believe. Um, He said... Dwarf Rangers don't seem that good. And this is in the old edition too, where they're dwarf longbows and throwing axes with three points a pop. So they used to be a little bit more expensive back in those days. Um, but Jeremy kind of said to me, why don't you take Dwarf Rangers? No one ever uses Dwarf Rangers. You said you wanted an off-the-wall list that no one ever runs. Run Dwarf Rangers. I'm like, yeah, why don't I? So that is what I got up and did. I painted up a batch of 26 of them. I... You know, adding in a, a handful of Iron Guard and a couple of Kazakh Guard uh, here and there and threw my heroes in and then my eyes lit up. These guys can kite with the best of them. The thing that I love about these models is that they get they get to have their cake and eat it. They get to pepper you at long range, harass you at mid range, and then when you finally, finally close the gap on you uh, uh, on you you get to hammer them in combat with this amazing fight for defense five and maybe even occasionally get the throwing axe chipped back. But they are just so versatile in this role of, you know, hit and run, engage, disengage and, and kite and stuff. And that mountain dweller special, if you can find a really nice wall terrain feature or some rice out rocky outcrops, you can absolutely outplay your opponent. You can do full disengages over the wall where you're, damn reliable that you're not going to leave anyone behind you can surprise people with charges they're not expecting to get copped in the side because three rangers you're pretty good you're pretty good odds to getting at least one of those rangers into a model that they're not expecting to 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 be charged that turn over a wall and you can do some really funky engages and disengages with these models yeah look i i gave you that challenge kylie because i wasn't that impressed with the profile but we, we sort of um denied about what to do with them and basically we came to the conclusion that just treat them like heavy armored wood elves and i think that's a good way of treating them because that that defense five is not it's not going to win you all the games but it's enough that that if you mitigate the amount of hits they're taking you don't have to worry too much about it they're surprisingly fast for the dwarfs with that mountain dweller rule that just helps you occasionally which is which is nice enough and i am such a fan of throwing axes so i would kylie do you put throwing axes on all of them 
Um, everyone except for the Bowmen, simply for redundancy. Although I have run games with um, the Dwarf Longbows having the throwing axes as well. Um, and they're absolutely amazing. Because the thing you also got to remember as well is most Dwarves in the list, the Dwarf Heroes, uh, I mean, are going to be Defense 7 and 8. So yes, your troops are really squishy, but your heroes can help compensate for that too. Because if your Dwarf Rangers are softening up your opponent, you know, maybe getting rid of those quite tough units, maybe like Berserkers or um, other models like Watches Arcana, you know, there's big hitty models that do a lot of damage. You can knock out a few of those, soften them up so there's only basic troops coming into you, then you would just have a field day because Dwarf Heroes will absolutely love you for the fact that they get to dictate the engagement because that's one thing that the dwarves don't often get to do is dictate charges and dictate the engages and dictate where the fight's going to happen. But if you, you know, plonk down 10 dwarf rangers with bows and have a whole bunch of extra throwing weapons in on top of that, you are in a pretty good position to dictate the tempo of the game. Yeah, and like we said earlier, mixing a few dwarf, regular dwarf bowmen in there as well can be really nice to have that mix of strength values um, at, at the longer range. Uh, it actually makes it really interesting in terms of the order you shoot and, and picking off the weaker targets and the stronger targets with the correct uh, shots. So I, I think overall, range on dwarves is surprisingly scary. And, and there's another one coming up right now that um, I might just swing straight into. I think, am I next or is Jeremy? Yes. Uh, yeah, go yeah, for I, it. I, you know go what? I'll go into it. It's, it's one of the more complicated, uh, or it is the probably most complicated uh, model in the list. The Dwarf Ballista comes in at a incredibly cheap 60 points. Uh, probably the cheapest Siege Engine, is it? Uh, I think it's 10 points more than the Siege Bow from Mordor. Okay, there you go. Um, a Dwarf Ballista is a small Siege Engine. It has a strength of 9, defense of 10, and 3 wounds. It's crewed by 2 Dwarf Warriors with Heavy Armor and Axe, so they're defense 6, uh, and the basic Dwarf Warrior profile. One of the crew is automatically the Siege Veteran, so that's one Might, one Will, one Fate. All crew members have the Dwarf, Kazadoom, Infantry, and Warrior keywords. Okay, so basic Siege Engine stuff. Uh, the options that you can upgrade them to are Dwarf Engineer Captain, which I suspect is probably not worth it considering it doubles the price of the Ballista. Uh, I think you'd probably more likely just want to get two Ballistas at that point. You can get Flaming Ammunition. You might have to remind me. I think that just does more to Siege targets, does it, Kylie? Yeah. Yes, it's uh, reroll ones against Siege targets. would be interesting if it allowed it on Battlefield. I think it would make it a little bit more uh, viable. You'd, um, think, but, you'd yeah. think Flaming Ammunition against Battlefield targets would still be pretty effective, but yeah. Anyway, um, and you can get some additional crew for 8 points apiece. The special rule for this particular Siege Engine is Piercing Shot. If a shot from a Dwarf Ballista hits a Battlefield target, then they will suffer one Strength 9 hit. Additionally, if the target has a Strength 5 or lower, they will be knocked prone and flung D6 inches directly away from the Ballista. So that's basically anything short of a monster is going to get flung away and knocked over. Any model that the target passes over will also be knocked prone and suffer one Strength 6 hit. So, you know, this is a bit like a really strong hurl, if you like. If the Sorceress Blast. Or Sorceress Blast, even. Yeah, well, better than that, because the, the Sorceress Blast, it'll just stop. But uh, in this case, it will always go over the top, unless it's a Strength 6 or higher. 
uh, as we're about to get to, if the target comes into contact with a piece of impassable terrain or a model that is strength 6 or higher, it will immediately stop and be knocked prone. Both the target and the obstacle or model, if, it has, if the obstacle has a defense value, will suffer a strength 6 hit. Uh, this ballista is also accurate. It will only scatter 3 inches rather than 6, which is pretty handy. Now, the FAQ goes into a lot of depth about um, the order of events when you're firing a dwarf ballista at a battlefield target. Okay, roll to hit and scatter is normal. If the scatter hits a combat... I'll, I'll get it real quick. If the scatter hits a combat, roll to see which model in the combat is hit in the same way as a shooting attack. Make any in-the-way rolls. Once you've worked out which model is hit, they suffer a strength 9 hit. Uh, if it was in a fight, all models in the fight also take a strength 9 hit. Wow, okay. And are knock prone if they have strength 5 or lower. Okay, S strength 6 or higher models will still suffer the strength 9 hit, but will not be knock prone. Okay, if the model that was hit has a strength of 5 or lower, then they're flung D6 inches directly away, even if they're already dead. Uh, the flung model will stop if it hits terrain or a model with strength 6 or higher. The flung model and the terrain strength 6 model both suffer a strength 6 hit. Any model with a strength of 5 or lower that is passed over by the flung model will be knocked prone and then suffer a strength 6 hit. Okay, so if you really want to know how to use the Dwarf Ballista, you're probably going to need to go to the FAQ and uh, just memorize that order of events there, but particularly when you are shooting into a combat, because there's a lot, obviously a lot to it. Um, but the key to it is, you know what, at 60 points... This is quite a threatening model to have on your side. I know you've used one recently, Kylie. I used one um, a little while ago in a scenario when I was fighting against uh, a Balrog. In fact, I think I had two of them, uh, a Balrog and a bunch of uh, goblins. And look, they're, they're a pretty cool model if you can get them to hit, which is always the kind of issue with Ballista. Um, what's your experience been with them, Kylie? Honestly, these the Dwarf Ballista is... Slowly but surely turning my opinions about some Siege Engines around. I still think Volley Fire on Siege Engines, like the Trebuchet and the Catapult, is absolutely ludicrous, stupid, and shouldn't be in the game. But the direct line-of-sight ballista at um, the standard model levels, such as the um, Dwarf Ballista and the Mordor um, Siege Bow, are actually quite valid. They do something to the game that whilst threatening isn't game breaking you can still use terrain to play around it you still have to scatter. There are some interesting things that you can do uh, with this model and in my experience whilst they are very scary and very threatening um, do not just outright uh, kill her heroes and stuff what I generally find is happening at least in our community with and we do play with uh, a fair bit of terrain is that they control one area of the battlefield. They'll normally get maybe two or three kills, uh, occasionally a bit more if you can get a good uh, scatter and collateral on um, other models but I've never seen the Dwarf Ballista make its points back in just raw kills. What it has done, however, is force my opponents to go into places of the battlefield that I want them to go. Either, say, corralling a, a large block of... Uh, Arnor warriors into the one part of the table that has got choke points for my dwarf warriors to fight in or, you know, perhaps force the corsairs to come at me and run straight at me rather than sitting back with their crossbows. So, it can do some really fun things for the dwarf list. It gives it changes the order of agency around. It gives the uh, dwarves more ability to control the battlefield and control where they're fighting and shooting and, and all these fun stuff but it doesn't by any means give them total um, range superiority in every game though uh, simply because of the fact that 
The Dwarf Ballista is just one shot a turn, and if your opponent is, say, running on mass crossbows or you know a bunch of Wood Elves with Legolas, they are going to be able to shoot out the crawl, uh, the the crew if they step into range. Mm, these guys, I, I don't mind them at all. I think they're probably just about right for a siege weapon in that they can influence the game, but they're not so overwhelming. It's not like the other Dwarf Ballista. Uh, the Iron Heels one that's hanging around. So I don't mind these at all. I agree with Matt that the upgrades are just all kind of silly at this point in time. Like like the a-, a Captain as well, like I think all it does is add one point of might because you get a point of might on it. So you get a hero with it, which is which is actually pretty good. So it's a hidden hero. You do get your extra two attacks, your two... Wounds, yeah, I don't care about five, that. I buy a Captain for defense. that point. You've got him on a Ballista though. That's exactly what it is. It's, it's having a basic Dwarf Captain leading the Dwarf Ballista. Nah. But just you're, get paying, you're paying the full points for a captain. I mean, and, and you're just upgrading one of those. You're, you're upgrading your siege veteran who's already, you know, doing what you need him to do in that list. I I, I just don't think it's often worth it. And I can't see it ever being worth it, actually, to be honest. Unless it's a, you know, two, three thousand point game. I feel like you guys need to have a chat to David then. Because David has run the engineer captains, particularly on the Dwarf Ballista and on the... Uh the Avenger Boltra to quite good success. I'm so, Kylie, am I wrong? Is it? It's <laughs> just upgrades the veteran, doesn't it? So it upgrades the one might guy to two might. And he becomes a... No, it does more than that. And gives them... Stats. Becomes a captain. So, two attacks, two wounds, the improved Rubbish! Defense, I don't like that at all. Improved fight, all that fun Does he stuff. get March? No. Yes. Does he? No, he doesn't. Yes. He doesn't. Yes. Sure? The captains, it become the captains of the list, as shown in the profile. And have access to all of the options that they normally would. Hmm. Well, I still, I still think it's crap. Yeah. Sorry. <laughs> and I'll talk to David afterwards, Kylie. I'll, I'll, I'll change his all opinion. Alright, well, well. Well, well, you go have a chat to David and you report back to me in another How episode. How about this, Kylie? Buy a captain for the same amount of points and you get an extra might point on the ballista. I mean, yeah, you could do that. Yeah, agree. But then you wouldn't have a. <laughs> Then you wouldn't have an extra might point yeah, on your ballista. Right. Just buy two ballistas. Get two ballistas then. Yeah, but then you wouldn't have a captain to defend the ballista. You don't defend it. You shoot anything. You shoot people with it. You don't need to defend it. If something's, yeah, just if let it something's die. charging your ballista, it's too late. Just let it die. Well, if something's charging your ballista, it might be faster than you. Everything's mm. faster than you. You're dwarves. <laughs> anyway, I don't mind it. I don't I don't take the options, and, and David can take Look, the options. I'm just... I'm just I'm just channeling my inner David. No, that's fair enough. No, I like just, it. Just let me... It's worth pointing it's the first out time we the disagree. reasons why you might take it. But, um, yeah. Now, we've forgotten a profile, and the listeners, Oops. I can feel them already typing their emails out. One of my favorite profiles in the list. Forgotten. It's it's on the It's on the list of things. It's directly after the ballista. Let me have a look. Iron Guard. It just right appeared there. there. <laughs> Kylie is editing our live files just so that we get it in there. <laughs> nice work, Kylie. I like that one. I like that one. I want to talk about the Iron Guard. I was waiting for them. I fully expected Matt to talk about them, and then, then we got to the, the blister, which is fine. But the Iron Guard for 15 points, this is a little bit of controversy, this model, because a lot of people don't rate it. Because they see the 15 points, oh. and they go, that's a really big number. I can't count that on one Wait, hand. what? I can't people count that on two it? hands. I need three hands to count that amount. Are you serious? Yeah. Are you two serious? I've had so many foot. discussions of this. So, Ken, all right, Jeremy, before you go on, I need you to send me a list of all of these people, their addresses, <laughs> and their we, names, we names that I can go up into and slap some sense into. Kylie, are you can seriously calling me out for straw man arguments after you use them in every single profile? 
Yes. <laughs> That's the double standard we have here on the Green yeah, Fair enough, fair enough. No, I, I, will, I will mention them, but I'm not going to mention them on air because I, cause I, I don't want to, to call these people out and, and talk about their ridiculous opinions on air. I think, I think that's not fair on them. I just want to, to bag it out when they can't respond. So the Iron Guard, 15 points, a lot of points, but let's see what you get for your 15 points. Dwarf, Kazadoom, Infantry Warrior. You get possibly the, the most efficient profile riding here. There's very little here. You've got a lot of dead space in this profile. Move 5, Fight 4, 4 plus shoot value, which is good. You're going to use that. Strength 4, Defense 6, 2 attacks. 2 attacks. Wounds 1, yeah. Courage 4, Dwarf Armor, Sword, Matt, Sword, and Ooh. Throwing Axes. So this is the sword profile in there, which is weird because right. you've got this big axe, which is apparently a throwing axe. So you don't get axes with this guy, which is something, but you get throwing weapons, which I really like. You get two attacks, which I love, and you get defense six, which is enough for a frontline troop. So 15 points. I don't take bucket loads of these guys, but I find them always particularly useful because in this army, you're often stuck with one attack, or if you want to get two attacks, you've got a shield. So having these guys just peppered in, just do work. They, they are really nice. They are the ultimate, like, jump in with a hero for a heroic combat type move because they just really help out there. They can become a good deterrent. They can just mix in with your Vault Wardens or your Khazard Guard and just add a bit of kick to them. So the Iron Guard, I really, really like them. I always take a few. And I actually like the look of the models. I know some people don't like the look of the models with the chainmail that's probably a bit dated by now. But I quite like them. And these are the Iron Guard. Pretty simple, pretty straightforward. They go really well with your, your Ranger list, don't they, Kylie? Yeah, I'm, I'm actually been waiting to chime in. These guys are amazing. They are... A force multiplier. They cover up one of the one major weaknesses of Dwarf Rangers in that they don't have anything good front line to help uh, improve their damage. And this is what these guys do. They improve their front line combat damage and also help out with the shooting because they do have throwing axes. Yes, not as good throwing axes as the Rangers, but you've still got throwing axes on the charge, no less, is still absolutely amazing. And 15 points... I wouldn't say they're a bargain. I wouldn't say they're overcosted. In fact, I would say the Iron Guard are probably one of the on-point models in the game. They're, that's what this. How much a two-attack model should be? Fifteen points is perfectly fine. Yep, dead on. And fight four with two attacks is nothing to sniff at. That's a really, really good profile to beat down almost anything in the game one-on-one. Um, you, you go back to the old Berserker profiles, and it's pretty much identical. It's it's just you've got. Throwing yeah. axes rather than uh, move six, and uh, frankly, I'll take the throwing axes, thank you. Um, yeah, I, I think if you're looking at this and going, wow, this is overcosted, you need to remember that there was a time before uh, Hunter Orcs and before, um, uh, I don't know, e- Easterling, uh, what are they called? The Acolytes? Um, but before, before all these. Oh, before, before Watchers of Kana. Before Reavers, Kylie, before Reavers. Oof. Oh my god, before Reavers. Yeah, the, these guys were one of the OG to attack profiles, and uh, they were back in the day at an absolute terror. And uh, they still are. They're an incredible profile. They still yeah. are. They're fantastic. I, 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 I still, with fond memories, have seen a, uh, my my because I, I run nine of them with my dwarf rangers. A block of nine of these guys, led by Gimli absolutely destroy a flank on their own only losing a single iron guard on the crackback that it was in, insane they went through i think a captain and I, I can't remember off the top of my head i think it was faramir and kirion and then just mopped up the entire ranger flank it was like insane like they just they're they're a model that gives you push in this list 
really focused push. If you take three or four of these guys, uh, maybe even more, five or six, put them in a single spot with a hero and you get the positioning right and you get the engage right and they can go, they will carve a hole in your opponent's army because two attacks with a banner reroll supported by a hero that has a decent stock of might, they can keep pushing them forward and resetting that throwing weapon. They do so much damage and so consistent with the amount of damage that they will do as well. That even even models, elven models, are scared of these guys just because of how reliable they are on, on the charge. Yeah, if, if you've got anything bad to say about Iron Guard, please message us on Facebook uh, or Spotify or wherever. Um, don't do it on Spotify. We won't uh, answer anything on Spotify. I don't even know if there's messaging on that. Do it on uh, yeah Facebook and, and we'll get back to you. Uh, or Jeremy will get back to you. And I'll read it because I just don't respond. Um, I yeah. won't get back to you. My Facebook does this buggy thing where I just see that it says someone's waiting for a response, and then like the text is like a millimeter tall, and then the rest of it's all ads and, and options and things, and I can't work out to see it. So Kylie uh, does all the answering on Facebook. Oh, does she really? Do you, Kylie? I didn't know that. I well, these days, oh, yeah. Okay, I don't. I don't. Yeah, I just kind of skim them. Anyway, I'll, I'll try and respond every now and then when I have something to say. But yes, please yeah, message I, us. I love my we iron do guard. respond occasionally. We like to talk about Lord of the Rings. Um, love my Iron Guard. Hell yeah, I, okay. Iron Guard. I, I'm much like you, Kylie. I've like uh, I think I have eight of them or so that I like to run and and yeah, just, just throw them throughout your force and apply where needed. Uh, I think is my rule for Iron Guard. Um, mm. All right, so we um, one yeah. one quick thing Go before on. we point out, I, I would like to say that um, Iron Guard and Rangers are really good as like a, a solid little core unit, um, as as complementary parts to the Dwarf list, and Kazagar Dwarf Warriors and Vault Wardens are very good complementary models to each other because they help each other shore up a couple of their weaknesses, but still push the advantage that they bring. When you start mixing Iron Guard and rangers with the other troop tops, you start to lose a bit of your efficiency in uh, the archetype of your list. Sounds like a keep it secret, Kylie. Keep it secret. I, I, I'm going to have some more to say about that later. Just but, it out uh, we'll, we'll move on from that right now. Because I like Iron Guard in almost any dwarf list. I just think they, they're very neat. Um, we'll move on to uh, a little group of model of, of heroes that you may have noticed we've uh, passed over. And that's because they all kind of tie in together. So we're going to start off with... The, uh, the daddy of them all, Balan, the dwarf, the uh, king of Moria. Uh, shall we get you to go into that one, Kylie? Sure. I was hoping I was going to get Floyd, but I'll take Balan nonetheless. Yeah, I'll, I'll trade you, Kylie. Balin. I'll trade you trade you Floyd for a Balan. That's so we don't talk about Floyd for an hour. Okay, go on. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I absolutely. I've got nothing <laughs> positive to say about Floyd. So I want to talk about Balan. So Balan is... A dwarf king of Moria, self-proclaimed dwarf king of Moria, lord of Moria, whatever he is of Moria, he is a legendary hero. And when you talk about the old profile here, so I've seen people do some really cool conversions where they grab the hobbit uh, head and put it on this guy. Looks great. 110 points, you get a dwarf Moria infantry hero. So Moria is the different one here. Move 5, fight 6, 4 plus, yeah. Strength uh, 4, defense 8, 2 attacks, 2 wounds, courage 6. No, it's okay. Uh... Three might, three will, and one fate. So you don't have any threes in your attacks or wounds. You just got the twos there. So you're talking about a king profile, which is which is okay. That's it says King of Moria. So if your army includes this Balin, Balin Dwarf King of Moria, it may not include any other named hero models from this list. Which is eh, who cares? There's not a lot of other ones. You just basically can't take Durin and Marden. With the exception of Floy Stonehand. So you get Floy. Additionally, if your army contains Balin, you may include Ori and Oin. And for some reason, Gimli. 
from the fellowship list as heroes of fortitude for the time being. I like that, for the time being. If your army has Balan as leader, then you may wish to change the name of the army list to Kingdom of Moria instead. There's a lot of rubbish in that little explanation there. So then you've got, um, basically it changes the Khazad-dûm keyword to the Moria keyword, which, which can uh, cause some issues here and there. But you've got Moria keywords for all those guys. Uh, you exchange them, you're a Moria. If also, if your army includes Balan, every alliance will be impossible allies as contact was lost following Balan's triumph in Moria. Also quite weird. Anyway, uh, heavy dwarf armor, Durin's axe. Durin, Durin's axe is over on another page. It's the same as Durin, same axe apparently. Uh, it's a master forge two-handed axe, and you can re-roll a single dice when making dual rolls. All good. That's nice. Heroic actions. You got the whole kitchen sink here. Resolve, march, strike, defense. All useful. All good. Mm, starts looking okay. This profile. And the special rules. He's a long beard. In the priority phase, Balan may spend a will point to enable his side to re-roll their d6 in the priority roll. That is good. Three points of will. You've got three potential second goes at the priority roll. I love that rule. That's fantastic. Suddenly, this guy looks pretty good. 110 points is not too bad for all that. I have heard people say that that they he's priced a little bit high for their liking, but I think you get good value with all the stuff that you get. Matt? Yeah, I think just the fact that you get all of the good heroic actions really puts him over the top for for me. At 110, really, really fantastic. You you would like to see um, a leader. He's probably your leader, uh, being a hero of legend. And uh, as we mentioned, you can't take Durin anymore. But um, yeah, he, he's not as survivable as... Uh, he's not as long-lived as some other heroes might be. Having said that, defense 8, 2 wounds and a fate, there's nothing wrong with that, um, but you do want to be getting some value out of him in combat as well. He doesn't add as much as, say, uh, Durin does outside of combat. At 110, you know what? I reckon he's spot on. I, I reckon that's a perfectly fine points level to be at. He's got Durin's axe, so, so he's got the reroll. He's got plus one, plus, yeah, plus one to wound as well. Um, look, I, I, I think overall you do want to be careful-ish with him. Uh, he's not someone that you can just throw at anything and he's going to put in work. Um, you need to, you, you need to treat him as like just above that captain level. He can go in, he can strike at the right moment. He can knock out something big. He's got some damage output, but he's not just going to be wading through troops turn after turn after turn. He can probably take out one a turn, but you don't want to be like overextending him too much. Um, having said all that, the priority phase rule is probably the best thing about him. I, I think it's absolutely fantastic being able to do that. Um, it, it should, hopefully, secure you three priorities, uh, given you have some good dice rolls, you get it at the right time to, to turn that priority roll around. Um, what it does enable you to do, most priority uh, rules are ones where you take priority, what you can actually do with Balan is choose not to get priority, and or attempt to at least, uh, and that can sometimes be just as vital as actually having priority to turn it back the other way around, force your opponent to go first and uh, see where they go. I, I think probably for dwarves it's not as uh, huge as some other lists, but it can still be uh, an important distinction to make that you, you can re-roll when you're winning that priority roll if you want to. Um, don't forget about that. Don't forget. It's an option. Yeah, especially in those scenarios where you come on from the board edge and you don't want to get uh, ganked uh, as you come onto the board. If your opponent rolls, say, uh, a 5 or a 6, maybe even a 4, and you throw down your dice and, you know, you win the priority on a 6, 
throw the reroll at it, lose priority, and force your opponent to to take the initiative and come onto the board first, and then maybe you can come in and gank them instead because it's uh it can be very swingy in that regard to be able to dictate uh, and react to your opponent in those crucial turns when uh, you need to do so. Uh, just on the same vein as um, um, Maddie, it's a bit disappointing that he's still uh, only two wounds, one fate, with defense eight, which means he is surprisingly vulnerable. I personally don't like to take him at anything more than 500 points, simply because once you open up that points value, the big scary heroes that can get good access to Balin and really put pressure on and kill him become so much more um, uh, common in, in that points level. level. And whilst Balin is good with the strike and the def- and the fight six, even if you heroic defense, for, re- uh, for instance, you know, if you're in, say, against a captain and one other guy, and they're both spear-supported, copying five attacks back, um, maybe even ten if you're trapped, suddenly that defense doesn't look as strong as you would hope for, because two sixes can end your day on a, on a fate roll of a one, so always, always keep that in the back of your mind when you're using Balan, that, you know, if he cops two wounds, he's a good chance he could go down if you roll badly on your fate, so... Just kind of keep that in mind, keep that presence. There are other models like um, Oin, for instance, that can help, you know, mitigate some of that damage. You can let a wound through on Balin and then heal it up and stuff like that. But always, always you should be thinking about that burst potential with Balin. Um, he's a bit more of an armchair general kind of a model. He wanted kind of sitting at the back, kind of being opportunistic with the fights and engages that he goes into and, and, and takes on and... Really, you want to be using other models like Cloyne and the King's Champion to be going in and headhunting those big, scary enemy models that require you to strike up to kill. Mm, yeah, yeah. He's Look, I think he's probably a thematic choice as much as anything. I don't think he's necessarily the go-to if you want to power game it. He ties in nicely with a few other options in the list, but I, I think I think he's good, but I don't think he's outstanding. I think he, he could do a job, but you're right. He can be can be a bit un- underwhelming at times, but I guess that's what you get. He's like a, an older fighter. He's not the best in the world anymore. So, yeah, that's, that's the one there. He's got some other heroes that go with him, though, doesn't he? Yes, and honestly, the real reason why you take... Balin is so that you uh, can uh, take Floy with uh, some other named heroes. Floy Stonehand is 75 points. He is Dwarf, more infantry uh, keywords, and he is a hero of Fortitude. Move 5, uh, only fight 4 with a shooter 4+, plus, so pretty pretty rubbish and mediocre in that department, but that's not where his uh, strength lies. He has strength 4, defense 6 with 2 attacks and 2 wounds, so a little bit of combat stats there. Courage 5, his heroic stats is 1 might, 3 will, 1 fate. And I can already see the alarm bells going off in some of your uh, uh, our listeners' head. 3 will, that probably indicates some sort of magic-y type shenanigans, and he definitely has that. His special rule is Lawmaster. At the start of his move, Floy can spend a will point to negate an enemy active or passive special rule, or the effects of a piece of war gear, with the exception of the one ring, until the end of the turn. There is no range for this ability, but Floy must have line of sight in order to use it. This ability is absolutely bonkers. Uh, I'll get into his last special rule before I jump back to Lawmaster and have a little bit of a geek out about why it's so good. Uh, the Living War is his second special rule. Each time a friendly dwarf... Uh, Moria model slays an enemy hero or monster model. Floyd immediately recovers a will point spent earlier in the battle. So you have ways of restoring your ability to cancel out your opponent's uh, big, scary special rules. And this special rule from Lawmaster is exactly that. It is big, it is scary, it's pseudo-magic, 
and it is oh so powerful. This this ability allows you to turn off things like banner rerolls. It can turn off mighty hero. It can allow you to you know blunt Narsil and and um, Anduil and force models to you know just strike normally with them instead of you know having these amazing swords that can you know cut through enemy lines. It can you know, allow you to, you know, go into models like the Shadow Lord and the Undying with Impunity. There are so many options with this special rule that it's it's, it's almost incomprehensible to say. And I know, Jeremy, you aren't a big fan of this special rule, but I like the fact that it exists in this kind of ecosphere of the game because it does allow a check for some of the big, scary, and obnoxious stuff in the game, like, say, for instance, the Watcher in the Water, or the Shade. It, it provides a way for what would be an army that would be absolutely slaughtered by these models to actually put up a really good fight and even gain an advantage back against them. Yeah, um, having run Flowey for quite some time, uh, I, I feel like sometimes the options become too much when you're running him. I, I don't know, I... Personally, I think he's a little bit unchecked still. Um, I'm just going to quickly go over the the FAQs that are here for him. There's just three of them, um, just on some specific stuff. So, if uh, Flo uses his Lawmaster Special to negate Blades of the Dead, uh, he reanimates that model somehow, and they, instead of striking against your Courage, will strike against your Defense. Um, and they are then able to use special strikes as well for whatever reason they decided that that was okay. Um, <laughs> the second one, can Flowey Stonehand use his Lawmaster special to negate Gulliver's Strength of Body, Strength of Will special rule? No, you can't do that. Uh, asterisks don't count as a thing you can negate, apparently. Uh, and finally, when Flowey negates the effects of a piece of war gear, is it only the active or passive benefits that are negated, or all benefits associated with that war gear? The answer is just the active or passive benefits. This will not make Andoril stop counting as a sword, for example. That's what Shatter's for. So, um, yeah, every time I look at Flowey and I go, alright, 75 points, I think he used to be 70, if I remember right. Yes. Um, yeah, he's, he's captain level, he's got the one less mine, and he's got the lawmaster, which is what you're taking him for as a general rule. Um, I, I always go, what am I going to come up against where I'm going to feel like lawmaster is going to be a, a great choice for me? And, you know, it, it's nice to have sort of a stopgap for anything, but I, I always find myself going, damn it, I, I just want to have something else. I don't want to ruin my opponent's day by taking away their fun toys. I, I think that's how I look at it. I, I think that's honestly what it is for me. Um, I don't want to say, no, your eagle can't fly anymore. He has to crawl on the ground. I don't want to say, um, no, your, your king of the dead can't auto-kill me anymore. Um, his, his power is just gone for whatever reason. I, I think that's what it is. I think it's a thematic thing. I think they try to make it seem like it's it's thematic in his fluff. He's the lore master. He has great knowledge of his enemies. He tells you how to beat them. I just... Nah, it, it doesn't do it for me. It doesn't do it. I, I don't like the explanation, I don't like the execution, and I think it's just too open in the air. Whether or not it's game-breaking, I, I don't think so. Uh, I don't think it, it is a horrible, horrible thing to come up against. I don't think it's like the old Dwimmer-like, the way that thing worked. Yeah, I, I just, I don't like it. I think I just don't like it, and I don't really have a good reason for it, I just don't.
Mm, see, I think it's it's very very useful, and you, I think a lot of times you get good value out of him. I, I don't like it for the theme point of view. I just it, it's it's a weird weird sort of justification that that my, my favorite one, and I've said this many times, of course, is that okay, I know a lot about eagles, therefore they can't fly. Like it's just just bizarre. Like I I don't get it, and I, someone can come up with some ridiculous abstract thing, like the spirit of the dwarves somehow fill the sky with dust or whatever. I don't I don't know. But it's just it's just kinda weird. It's just a mechanic that I don't feel fits in. I understand Kylie's argument to check some weird stuff, but but does it really? It's such an abstract sort of way of, of doing that. Um I don't really have any problem playing against it. I don't think it's like you just know what it's gonna do and and you try and play around it like always. So I don't really care about that. I just think the the actual mechanic I don't I I think Matt you probably hit it on the nail of the head where it's just like I cancel something fun that you do and I don't like mechanics that do that. I don't think that's necessarily helpful in the game. I think you should have options. It shouldn't be subtracting options for your opponent because that can leave a bit of taste in the mouth. I think they should still be allowed to use their toys and stuff up and get them killed in their own way, not just by because you've said that that I've spent my resources to cancel something that you do. I think that's a totally different game system. But it's if if you like this guy, he's he's fine. I I can kind of understand what you're saying from Jeremy, but I feel it's like a bit of a a double-edged sword because like we have other models in the game that that do that. Uh, I mean, admittedly, this is auto, and the there's no role for it. I think there probably should be uh, some sort of a role, maybe even as a as a pseudo magical power or something like that. But we do have things like transfix in the game, which is you have no fun anymore that model can't move and we have spells like paralyze which are you're unconscious on the ground you can't do anything kind of spells and effects so i don't know i i like the fact that floy exists as an alternative option and a way and as a model that players have to think about and around because i specifically um when you and your opponent have um sorry not you and your opponent but specifically when your opponent has multiple special rules that are quite good and quite helpful in a game it can be very interesting to see which one um floy goes to negate um for instance uh i had a game against uh geordie um and his uh corsairs and there was a legitimate turn where i i'm denied for about a good a good you know 30 seconds to 60 seconds trying to decide whether i wanted to get rid of the banner re-roll on the corsair um bosun or if I wanted to get rid of the Bane of Kings at, um, on uh, Dalamere. And some of those options, when, when you have two very aggressive options and very potent options on the table, it can be an interesting to and fro for your opponent to want to play around and trying to, trying to make it tempting for you to go for the other option than one option. Again, um, when there is one very obvious option to want to negate during a turn, I get it. But I think, too, once you add a lot of terrain on the table as well, when you can play around Floyd Special with a bit of line of sight, it gets a bit more, a lot, actually, not a bit more interesting, a lot more interesting because suddenly Floyd has to be, you know, dynamic and he has to move to, to cut those ranges and, and stuff and make sure he can see the model he does because it's not an ability that he can do at any point in the move, his move. It's an ability he has to do at the start of his move. So there is some play potential around that, particularly if you're playing around some really fun, nice and well-crafted terrain piece, mm. pieces. Yeah, yeah. Look, I see what you're saying there. I, I think 
range to the whole battlefield is a bit silly. I think oh, no. you're comparing. It, it should it should be should be it should be twelve inches yeah. like Transfix. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Like... If it was a twelve inch, twelve inch, I would I would be much more happy with it as it is. But yeah, and what you're comparing your spell to is spells from the best magic casters that you pay lots of money and spend resources to cast their spells. Yes, I know you spend points of will here, but if a if a Ringwraith comes and tries to transfix my hero, I get to use some will to resist that. This one, there's nothing. It's nothing just like. Yeah. Like cool, your your ability doesn't work, and that I think is it's getting on the silly side of it, and it doesn't fit in the rest of the mechanics of it. If it was a spell type thing, I could probably understand it a little bit more. But the fact that it's auto is there. I could see you take it in the Balan list because then uh, that rule where you get the will back is definitely an option. If you take him without Balan, you're pretty much going to be stuck with that three will, aren't you? Yeah, which is pretty much which is almost like who cares at that point? Like I think you want the ability to get yeah. the will back, so. And- and honestly, I I, I kind of like the the um, Balin list just being Floy and Balin. Those are your two fun kind of options that you can play around. And I took them to a tournament recently and did uh, really well with them. Had some had a lot of fun, you know, mucking around with Floy's uh, special rules and getting the most out of Balin. So mm. I, I think I think it was a good try, but it definitely needs some, like you said, Jeremy, some polish on on the special rule and stuff and. I hope that in the next edition, you know, they, they tweak Floy a little bit to not just be a, um, less uh, overbearing in a game, but more dynamic. You know, give give the player using Floy um, more to think about when they're actually using him. So actually having to get into range and, you know, cutting line of sight and stuff like that. And maybe even target priority um, with being able to use Will or Fate or something like that to resist the to resist the law master could be interesting too because then that opens up some new corridor from the dwarf player to use the ability to to take off resources and stuff which could be a fun mechanic as well. He should have um sentinel type spells where he can he can buff his own troops to do certain things. So here one this one you get I don't know a slight bit of extra movement because I know how to move through through woods or you need to I don't know get bonuses for killing monsters or something like that. I think you should be a, a buff your own guys rather than cancel the opponent's one. Yeah, but I think I, we probably like talked about him about yeah. him enough. We're talking about him some more later on, Kylie. We'll go to some tactics for it. Yeah. Um, I want to talk about the next one, Ori, because this is a really weird addition to Balan's list, and I'm going to go through why it's a weird addition. So the Champion of Erebor is a nice 55 point hero. So not not incredibly expensive for a hero of Fortitude uh, Dwarf. It's going to be Moria, not Erebor. Infantry hero, move five. Fight for three plus. Now that three plus, unfortunately, is going to go to waste. Strength of three, uh, yuck. Uh, defense of seven, yeah, okay, okay, not great. Uh, two attacks, two wounds, not great compared to the other heroes, but but that's all right. Courage five, uh, might one, three will, one fate. You got heavy armor and a ha- hand and a half axe. Hand and a half axe. You don't have a hand weapon. Oh no, hand and a half axe. You do have a hand weapon. It's a hand and a half axe. Okay, I, I'm confusing myself there. That's all right. You're probably going to use the hand weapon. Heroic defense. Yeah, you can find some use out of that. My issue here: sworn protector, Thor and Oaken Shield, King on the Mountain. Cross that rule off. You're not using it. Chronicler. Uh, anytime Thor and Oaken Shield, King on the Mountain, or a champion of Erebor slays an enemy hero monster within three inches of Ori the Dwarf, that model regains a point of might, will, or fate your choice that they had previously spent in the game. So that's going to be exactly Ori. And Oing. Two models yes. potentially in the list that can use that rule. So this guy, so much of his special rules, which are okay for 55 points normally, you just throw them away. It would be nice if uh, under Balin's special rule, it changed the Swamp Protector to uh, Ori and changed Qualica to any Moria Dwarf hero, uh, hero. 
then suddenly uh, you're cooking with a bit of gas. 100% agree. Yep, that would fix it. Yeah, uh, disappointing. He's just another hero, essentially. He's just another captain-level sort of hero. Um, he's not doing a, a super amount for you. Uh, yeah, very unfortunate. All his years of experience after having been part of Thorin's company didn't really uh, carry it with him, did he? No, he's a straight... You just take a, a shield-bearer or a captain instead of him. You For 55 points, he's not really doing a whole lot for your army, really. He's... he's Two attacks, shield bearer can do that stuff. One might, yeah, I could, I could use other things. So, so he's a bit of a disappointment. And you have one more, and I'm, I'll go through this guy as well because I have the book open, and I'll just, just move through it. And, and this one maybe, maybe you consider. So you've got Oin the dwarf for sixty-five. It's not a terrible price. Fortitude again, uh, fight, fight four, not fantastic, but okay. Strength four, okay, that's a bit better. Defense eight, a bit better. Attacks one, mm. two wounds. Courage six is good. Uh, might of oh. one, will of four. Fate of, of one? Um, was that, Matt? Jeremy, sorry. I, I just want to bring up that I... Oh, you I, found an FAQ? I have found an FAQ. I if, thought there might be an FAQ. Yeah, Good. Yes, thank goodness. If Ori the Dwarf, champion of Erebor, is taken as part of the Kingdom of Khazad-dûm army, do any of the heroes from that list benefit from his Chronicler special rule? If he is taken as part of the Kingdom of Khazad-dûm army list, or in this case, Kingdom of Moria, Balin and Floey will both benefit from his Chronicler special rule in addition to the, the ones that are already listed. So, Balin and Floyd. Okay, so you get on Balin and Floyd. So, That's really, Balin, because Floyd's not doing a whole lot. Not, not the Swarm Protector, but... Um, yeah, yeah, yeah look, okay. It's, it's better than nothing, I suppose. I'm just disappointed it's not be Slingshot. Yeah, it's, it's not a huge amount better than nothing. It should be all heroes. It should be all Moria heroes. So give on the Speaking of missing war gear, Balin not having his throne oh, anymore. Oh, <laughs> Oh, my God. That was... Oh, it's... I can't believe we didn't bring that up earlier. That's shocking. Unbelievable. Mm. Well, let's let's complain yeah. about this in a moment. Let's finish Travis, all we because right, there's on, not much left. Yep, yep, yep. So you've got uh, heavy dwarf armor, sword, and a shield. Another sword. There we go. Uh, heroic resolve. Mm, yeah. Okay. Yeah, okay. It's actually, that's, that's all right. That's actually probably the best part about him, isn't it? Uh, four will and heroic resolve. Oh no, sorry. Will doesn't matter. One point of might. One point of might. You get one resolve. Um, sworn protector. Throw it away. Healing herbs. Yeah, not too bad. So in the, in the move phase, instead of moving, Oin may attempt to heal a friendly model that is using base contact. So you have to set it up ahead of time. Uh, a D6 on a 1 to 3, no effect. 4 to 5, you get a wound lost. And on a 6, you get all wounds back. That's not terrible, especially because you don't spend any resources to do it. So that's something. It's something different. It's not the end of the world. And then you've got Prognostication, which is a passive rule, where once per fight phase, Oin the Dwarf can expend a point of will to enable a friendly model within three inches to re-roll a single dice when making a dual roll, which is nice because it does stack with banners. So you could have a go of a banner, then you could have mm-hmm. a go at a different attack with that. Imagine one. imagine Oin sitting directly behind a yeah, um, champion. Just real quickly, yeah. they've changed that to an active rule in the errata. I don't know why, but they have. Well, probably because you choose to uh, use it, so I don't think it makes a huge difference. Transfix. Okay. Just thought you ought to transfix. know. Transfix. <laughs> I mean, transfix. Yes, yeah, you can't use yeah, it yeah, in transfix. Yeah, prognostication yeah. is active, yeah. No, that's fine. That's fine. I don't actually care about active or passive that much. No, uh, no, no. Both those rules are okay. 65 points. You can find a spot for this guy, I guess. He's not, not overly expensive. He's got a couple of uses. But once again, he's competing with things like the captains and the, the shield bearers and those sort of guys. So you might get more use out of the other ones. I'm not too sure. Uh, up to you. I think it's all theme stuff, really, isn't it? Which kind yeah, of it is, really. makes it very surprising that this final model uh, is available to take in the list. And that's Gimli, who was absolutely never involved in this expedition whatsoever. Um, he's moved... <laughs> I, you know what? I'm not even going to go through his profile. You, you know Gimli. No, we know Gimli. You, you know Gimli. Um, 
you can throw away that Legolas special rule that he has, because you're not taking Legolas with him, uh, unless you're doing something really weird. And, yeah, that's in the list and makes no sense. Um, and he's probably the best choice out of a lot of them. Yeah, that's the weird part. Yeah. <laughs> he, he goes quite well with Balin, actually. <laughs> um, yeah, I, I think... I, I don't know, I, I don't there's know. There's probably not much more to add to that, isn't there? Uh, I think, overall, the, the Moria choice is really flowy. It's the Floy Show. It's the Floy yeah. Show. It's the Floy Show uh, featuring Balan. Featuring yeah, pretty much. Honestly, this needs a Legendary Legion. Out of all things, oh, the Expedition to Moria. Chuck it as a Legendary Legion actually, and fix it up. That would be really Absolutely. cool. Absolutely. Oh, that's... You know what? Actually, just just as a side note, that you bring up Legendaries, you know what would be a cool special rule for the army bonus instead of the, the reroll ones? Anything. Um, <laughs> yeah. Maybe, like... <laughs> no, I was just thinking about this, like, uh, the other day when I was playing it. It was like... Man, I really wish I could just get like a a nice big movement buff once, just once in a turn, just so I can get in and charge when I need to, and stop my opponent like flapping around and 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 kiting me. So I'm not sure if you ever played War of the Ring, but there was a a rule in War of the Ring with Dubakar where they could increase their charge distance in a turn when they rolled a six for their charge, and they could go a little bit further than normal. Mm-hmm. Oh yeah. I reckon something like that would be cool in Lord like of the Rings. Like a one-off? Yeah. You know, yeah, just a one-off. Like, once per game, you know, could be, oh, like, once per game, uh, you can call uh, Dubakar. Oh, sorry, not Dubakar. Dubakar? Yeah. Baruch Khazad. That was the word. That was the word. Yeah, Baruch Khazad. Yeah, Baruch Khazad. And then get, like, an extra three inches on your move to charge. Yeah, you know what's annoying as well? I think they changed the name of Gimli's special rule. Uh, it's uh, it's Axes of the Dwarves now, but I think they changed it from the original yes. Dwarfish, which was Baruch Khazad. That's... Oh, God. Kazad Aiminu. Yeah, it, it has. It the dwarves are upon you. Yeah. Ah, man. Why would they change that? That's such a... Uh, a grumble, grumble. Do they keep the uh, Elvish for the Sentinels? Did they? I yeah, they, they did. did. Oh, Elbereth Gilthoniel? Like... Yeah. I... Uh, Eldemar Madrigal. Yeah. Oh, not really. Yeah, but the songs, but, songs yeah. are Elvish. Yeah, anyway, you, you can go and look up the Elvish in your own time, but yeah, just disappointing that they took away the... the I, the, one of the very few Dwarvish phrases we actually know, um, because he didn't <laughs> yeah. write much about the Dwarvish yeah. language. So, yeah. Anyway. Um, and there's like a perfect sp- spot just after the active special rule where you could write what that Dwarf phrase means. Yeah, you could you like could literally just say it. Like, just say, oh, axes of the Dwarves, the Dwarves are upon you at the beginning of each flight, blah, blah, blah. Yeah, like, ah, oh, man. I, you know what it is, though? It's going to be like... Um, one of those little word count things where they're like, oh, this slightly hangs over onto the next page. Can you cut it down at all? Oh, yeah, I guess so. Like, oh, man. Publishing sucks. Anyway, um... <laughs> no, no, actually, I don't think that is this. Because looking, looking at it, looking at the formatting in the Fellowship, it, it doesn't block out that it way. It could go further, right? Yeah, I don't know. It could, it could easy, you could easily add the last part of that. I reckon, I reckon the reason why they changed it to the Axes of the Dwarves was to make it more accessible. Yuck. Yuck. So that we're, people we're, could, could see what it was. We are absolutely gatekeepers, elitist gatekeepers here on the Green Dragon podcast, and we all find this change uh, disappointing and disturbing, to be perfectly honest. Uh, anyway, anyway, I've been wanting to move on from this, because you know what? This has already been an extremely oh, long no, no. Know Thine Enemy. I know, I know, but hang on, hang on one sec. We just had... I, I, just, I just need a moment to... to, to have a little bit of a whinge about why they got rid of Balin's throwing out. We said we're going to quickly come you've back got to 30 it. seconds, go. 
Alright, I'm gonna have my 30 second rant. Okay, why did they get rid of balanced throwing ads? That is like one of the most iconic like war gear options for a dwarf ever since the dawn of this game. Like once they released Cards of Doom, Balan having the throwing axe has been in every single edition until this one. Why did they get rid of it? It was so iconic a part of his how he moved, how he engaged, how he was able to sit back and still do damage. Why did they I just I don't understand. They got rid of something that was so good, so pure, and made it utter trash. Alright, if just fit within the time limit. Good job. <laughs> we're, gonna, we're gonna leave it there. I don't mind that Balan doesn't have his throwing axes. I think he's still a good hero. I do mind that Gimli's in this army list. I do mind that they've changed his special rule name. And uh, we're, we're gonna leave it there and move on to the next segment because we've got a lot more to cover in this episode. So stay tuned. Yeah, so much more. And positive stuff. It's good. Keeping it secret here with the dwarves. A secretive race. But uh, the tactics, honestly, I I think pretty simple stuff. Really uh, basic level kind of things. Just remembering that we don't have spears. Or at least not a... uh... I was going to say, that's very uninspired, Maddie. You know, saying that the dwarves don't have tactics. They They do. And we'll get into the more... um, I guess, uh, esoteric stuff a little bit later on, but we're going to start with the absolute basics, and dwarves do the basics really well, don't they, Jeremy? Absolutely they do. So one thing that you get from any of your dwarves is some some real reliability in terms of survivability. So you end up fighting like more turns of combat than most other races. So you get a few turns to play the combat and then maneuver in position while you're still in combat, because once you get in combat, you start off, your lines clash, you're fighting, you fight the first round, and then someone's going to get priority, and someone's going to want to maneuver around. And usually it's the dwarf player, because the the other player is often making a shield wall or something to, to really maximize their attacks. So it gives your dwarf player the ability to, to spin around and reposition in combat, which I, I love doing, because you've got some really nice strength four, strength three combinations that you can optimize and make sure that you're lining them up correctly. So, so part of the tactics is that that micro-tactic of putting your Kazakh guard, your strength four, or your iron guard into something that's a defense even number and putting your warriors into something that's an odd number, or just going and saying, you know what, I am going to, to shield here. I'm going to put a shield into these four guys, and I'm going to shield, I've got a banner, and I'm just going to win that combat. So a lot of it is this micromanaging of your individual dwarfs, keeping them moving, keeping them in the right spot. But before you do that, you've got to get into combat, and that is actually one of the more challenging parts of playing the dwarfs, because your dwarf models individually move slower than almost everything. So that they're pretty slow. So people, cunning player, will move away from them. And they'll move away from them. And they'll move away from them. And then they'll have this real hit. And they'll knock out a few. And then they'll, they'll move away again. And really frustrate you. So you've got to have a thought for that. You've got to have a way to either bring your opponent towards you. So get them forward. Come, come to my artillery. Come on. I'm just going to shoot you. Or the bows. Come on. Come on, my bows. Or you've got to find a way to, to pin them in somewhere. Or push them right off the objectives. Because if you've got static objectives on the board and your dwarf army runs past them, your opponent has to fight their way back. They have to. They can't just avoid it because you'll outgrind them. So you've got to use that to your advantage. So the two things I want to say there is micro in the the actual combat. So once combat hits, you need to be constantly optimizing. You need to be constantly thinking, 
I'll just put one dwarf shielding here, and I'll put my attacking dwarves over here, and my hero here, and my banner here, to, so it hits a lot, and I'll keep wrapping around and get traps because they win games and all that sort of stuff. But also you've got to be thinking, how do I get in combat in the first place? How do I get there? How do I force the opponent to, to engage me, or how do I engage the opponent? Do I just throw lots of marches and hope, or do I go and take something, a strategic opportunity, or do I pile short-range dwarf bow fire into them so much that they just can't bear not to charge me? Talk about taking all of the engaged strategies mm-hmm. out of my mouth, Jeremy. That's pretty much, you know, all the strategies. But I will say one one key thing here, Jeremy, that I think I, I think you missed, which is... Um, oh, I missed a lot, didn't I? Well, you know, depends if you call one a lot. Um, <laughs> uh, making sure that you um, are hitting your opponent off. I think that's a, a really big thing to, that you need to do with dwarves is uh, if your opponent is looking like they're about to juke you, you know, maybe send the cavalry off to, to the left flank and, you know, uh, out position you and stuff like that. You need to make sure that you're heading them off with a group of dwarves. This is where your dwarf shields come back in spades. You need them to be in the right spot so that when your opponent tries to, you know, go that long flanking sweep and then break through your dwarves, you have your best tools available to you to slow them down just long enough to buy you that extra one or two turns that you need to get the rest of your army uh, to bear upon those forces that that are trying to envelop you. Yeah, absolutely. I I think, uh, you know, exactly like you guys are saying, so much of a key to running a dwarf army is actually being able to you know, force those engages, but also weather that first engagement. So I think a lot of it comes down to positioning really well, knowing what you're willing to give up, maybe, when that first attack comes in, because it's highly unlikely that you're going against anyone of any, you know, reasonable skill level, that you're going to have a good first engagement when you're playing Dwarves. It's it's pretty unlikely. It doesn't happen very often. Um, But if your follow-up turn and your follow-up couple of turns are good enough, then you can make that back pretty comfortably. And so it's really... I I think dwarves, more than a lot of other forces, you actually need to think a few turns ahead. I I mean, you should always be doing that, but I think it's really crucial for dwarves that you're not, um, you know, piling too many bodies in one spot and and not going to be able to curve around or to collapse so that you can get all those attacks in... um, it's it's really a lot of forethought required about where you want the engagement to occur and uh, how to take as little damage as possible on that opening turn. What do you think about that, guys? Uh, I actually agree with that uh, quite a bit, Maddie. I'm actually quite surprised. That's some, some interesting wisdom that you've uh, dropped down there. <laughs> um, your follow-up engage, um, once you do make it... Um, is really, really important. And making sure that you're really, really aggressive when you do do that follow-up. Um, specifically, uh, look for parts of your opponent's army that are worth victory points, that they're not going to be able to run away from or, or let just die. Um, for instance, in the banner missions, if you can try and put pressure on your opponent's banner, uh, their leader is another one. Now, normally, you know, going after the big scary leader in the enemy force can be a bit difficult, but in this particular instance, because you're so slow, you need to force your opponent's army to go fight you. And if you can pin the leader in place, that is a very good way of doing it. Whether it be uh, through cunning tactics, heading them off, or or trapping them into a corner, or whether you bring in some sort of an allied contingent, like a, like a wizard of some de- de- description, uh, either case can be very, very, very uh, good for your kind of long-term strategies. 
I think that's a hit on the head, really, with that, what do you give up when you engage? Because I, I, I do think that that's exactly right, in that you, you are so desperately trying to get in combat with those early ones that it all seems hopeless as a dwarf player initially, because you're trying to catch them, and your, your little dwarf legs are trying to trying to catch up to these these troops that are running away from you. And then, usually that first engage is, is not what you want. You're throwing some dwarves in. You throw any dwarves you have. Like, if it's Bowman, you throw them in. If it's Shieldman, you throw it in. If it's Kazagard, you throw them in. If it's whatever else you've got, you throw them in. But what you don't want to do is throw something that you, you can't afford to lose. So you need to really watch out for things like hero assassinations. I know hero assassinations are tough on dwarves. Like, that's one of the things that dwarves do so well is keep the heroes alive. But you don't want to throw them away for nothing. So you've got to really pick what you throw in. And my favorite way of doing that, Matt, is literally make sure my shields are at the front of the army. Just run them forward and just just get them in combat. I don't actually care. Get them in combat. If they get trapped, I don't care. If they get into combat, I don't care. As soon as this combat starts, they can die or die slowly. And then then let's go. Let's go next turn. I can have a counter charge. So I would I would definitely agree with that. And I think I think that's a really good point. It sounds like an experienced dwarf player move there. Yeah, always the surprise, isn't there, Kylie, whenever I come up with a good point. But I have played a fair <laughs> bit of Durin's Folk. I, I do know a little bit of uh, that feeling that Jeremy describes in, in the turns leading up to combat, where it seems like your opponent has all the all the tools in their kit box, Kylie, but but you've got nothing. You've just got those short, stubby legs, and they may be dangerous over a short distance, but it seems like a long distance to get to your opponent. Uh, and yeah, just as you say, Jeremy, get, get into combat. Make sure that... Um, You've got your stuff that's most survivable at the front. Uh, so the shields, obviously. Um, it's actually, you know, it's tempting to want to have your Khazad Guard out the front, especially if you're facing a terrifying force, um, like uh, Black Numenorians, uh, Spectres, etc. Actually, Spectres might be a special case. Maybe save that one. But um, having the, the shields out the front is almost always a better way to go because you don't mind if that first engagement goes badly and you lose a couple of them. Uh, you can shield if you're outnumbered and you still have your Khazad Guard waiting there in the wings to get into combat. And often, like I, I said before, that you want to think a few turns ahead to make sure you're getting all those attacks into combat. As a Dwarf player it's pretty likely, actually, that you're going to have a few missing out because you're going to have reasonable numbers, probably, in comparison to your opponent, and the lack of spears means that you may not necessarily have everyone in the combat at the right time, but if you are backing up correctly, if you're making sure that you're able to get that collapse, as I mentioned, then um, throughout the course of the game... You can, you can find that you'll actually get more and more attacks in each round uh, if you're doing it correctly. If you're baiting your opponent out into a more open area or, or somewhere where your dwarves can get around them. But, uh, I, you know, I've had a handful of games where I send a, a handful of dwarves around, like maybe four or five, around an objective... Uh, uh, sorry, not an objective, a terrain feature that uh, is anchoring the lines. And they might get there on the last turn and do a little bit of damage, but it takes a while. <laughs> takes a while for them to get there. Um, it's not the worst thing to do, though, because, you know, it, it's it, unless you're able to collapse really effectively, as I say, you're going you're gonna to have a few missing out. Don't be discouraged. Dwarves can handle it. They can, they can tough it out. Get those banners in there. Make sure that your lines are as, as powerful as they can be, but don't be too stressed out if a, a handful of your models are sort of thumbing, sit, sitting with their thumbs up their butt, mm. you know? Like, it happens. And, and just to kind of, like, go on and reiterate a, a bit of that point there many i think one thing when you're playing uh dwarves particularly these old school dwarves is not to lose heart the amount of times i have seen 
Dwarf players just slump when they're nearly down to a quarter and the game's about to end and they just kind of give up on the game. Don't give up. One of the beautiful things about Dwarves is because they have such naturally high defense, you know, minimum of six on the Dwarf Warriors going up to up to seven on for the most troops and eight on the heroes, is that they tend to, like Jeremy said, draw the game out. The amount of times I have seen Dwarf armies swing a game in the last couple of turns because, you know, that Dwarf player is just doing what Dwarves do best, just being a stubborn roadblocker, just just sitting there as the hard place, just not moving, and then slowly but surely they'll outgrind, and you know, you might be getting one or two kills a turn, but your opponent might only be swinging back one, maybe maybe not even getting a kill in a turn, and then suddenly those numbers start to even out, then the opponent's army breaks, and then suddenly you're in a really good commanding position to make a really last big desperate play on the last couple of turns and swing the game around, and that is what dwarves do best, they are the kings of grind. And if you can make, if you can learn how to play their late game really well, you can make magic happen. Yeah, Kyle, you've been watching too many of my games of this slumping with the dwarves because whenever I play them, I do go through that emotion. I do go through that. I, this is hopeless. How am I going to win it? But then four turns later, I still got models alive, and then I just light up, don't I? I've just got like, you know what? I'm going to get this because I've got models left, and you started to grind them, and I'm in the position I want to be, and I don't have to move very far anymore. Once combat starts, you rarely have to move more than five inches. You rarely have to do that. You just sort of move a couple inches to get the combat sorted out, and then you go for it. And they are so resilient, and I find that. I don't care about courage and break test that much. I rarely fail them with dwarves, and it's partly because they've got a lot of inbuilt courage bonuses, mm. but also their base courage is enough that, that you can be pretty confident with how they move, and people tend to charge and try and pin them, so they stay around anyway. So so definitely definitely stay positive. But that's not all we can do, is it? We can't just, just get on here and just say, you know what, the best way to win with dwarves is just be positive. That's rubbish. That's, that's, that's not Green Dragon tactics. We need to make up some terms. We need to go through very specifics of situations that happen very rarely, and we need to make sure that we point out every single nuance. But Kylie, before we do that, before we do that, you've been playing with one of the dwarf armies that, that, that Matt and I really haven't played much with, and that's with the Rangers. Mm-hmm. And I want to ask you if the if the tactics are actually different, because uh, I, I honestly don't know. I don't play the dwarf ranger army. I would, if I was playing them, I would probably play them like I play my wood elves, but that's that may or may not be the best way of doing it. Can you just go through that a little bit? Because you really don't have much shields compared to the other options, and you guys are prone to dying a lot more than my Defense 7 guys as well. So, so let us know how to do yeah, that. Yeah, so dwarf rangers are a really interesting Interesting uh, to to steal a word from Maddie here, an interesting dichotomy, because they incorporate a lot of those throwing weapon tactics that wood elves use, but at the same time they will use some of your heavy skirmish tactics um, that you've you've uh, talked about in the past, uh, particularly with your Gundabad uh, orcs, um, and dwarf rangers will tend to do a bit a bit of the same because you have the longbows and you can actually. Uh, reach out and affect your opponent from 24 inches away, you generally can force your opponent uh, to come to you. But the real uh, thing that I think a lot of Dwarf Rangers, uh, uh, players that are playing Dwarf Rangers need to get in their head, is your threat, your your maximum efficiency, your, your, your deadly threat range isn't at that long range. It's up nice and close. It's within arm's reach, almost within charge distance. It's sitting at that throwing weapon range and hammering, absolutely hammering your opponent to death. Because... When you've got three plus throwing weapons, your charges are absolutely mind-bogglingly powerful because you can draw and dictate the fight. That 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 problem that we ran into before with dwarves of you know constantly having to to slog it across the table 
flips. They're their dwarf army that gets to dictate terms to your opponent and actually get to choose when and where on the table they get to fight. Now, but that no means means that you have you should recklessly uh, throw your dwarf rangers around and treat them like the rest of your warriors. They are still a skirmish-based army. They don't have shields and they are defense 5, but that defense 5 does mean that they are a little bit more durable than most other skirmishes. And because they have the mountain dweller, when you anchor them off terrain, you know, play around walls and fences and stuff like that, they really, really Really come alive and uh, they, they the dwarf rangers give you the opportunity to get things like your shield bearers um your heroes your king's champions into these prime positions where they can just go to town and just kill two models a turn and get yourself a nice big juicy kill lead yeah i think um at the sort of points level you run them you've probably got at least like what 20 20 throwing weapons in your army, is that yeah, about right? Um, gen- generally, that's, yeah, some generally that's probably a little bit upper upper echelon. Um, usually, when I'm playing about a okay. 600 point game, I will probably have roughly 15 or so throwing weapons, maybe a bit less depending sure. on uh, how many Khazad guards I take. But I love uh, taking the dwarf rangers with iron guard because, like we've said in the past, you want to take um, troops that will complement each other and help. Uh, push your advantage, and Iron Guard are really good at doing that because they have the they have the the two attacks, they have the strength four, and they have a throwing weapon themselves. So they're able to lean into the strengths of the of of the list. And if you if you kind of sprinkle a handful of Khazad guards, maybe even a few uh, dwarf warriors with shield in there, um, you can create some really good tanking force that you can have the rangers use as a pivot point. You know, force your opponent to come to you, then present them with this really nasty rock-hard center of, you know, maybe three or four uh, dwarf warriors with shields, a couple of heroes, and a banner. That's not going to get shifted anytime soon. And I've done that on a few occasions, you know, got that little core group of of, of these, you know, um, really tough dwarves, got them hunkered down, locked into a terrain feature, whilst the rest of the rangers just danced around, picking models off with throwing weapons, whilst the bulk of my opponent's force is trying to come to bear, trying to knock out down this this heavy Defense 7 Dwarf list, and they just can't do it. They just can't do it, because even though it sounds good in your head, oh, I've got three attacks against this one Dwarf, I need sixes to wounds, that six isn't going to pop up every single time you go for strikes, and if you're really clever about your back-away moves, you can make... Um, those just that that small little core of, of you know hardy troops go a long long way, and the amount of times I've had that small little core you know walk out at the end of the game you know Balin he's got these you know two Khazad guard friends and a banner he's like oh out of our little group of like you know six guys there's like three of us left all right let's go take that objective mm, and it, like I just looking at the numbers for a second I I love the idea of you know you've got that amount of throwing weapons. You're probably averaging one to two uh, little kills each turn, um, and that can be crucial. That can be massive. Um, that's that's against defense six, by the way, obviously even better against lower defense values. But, um, yeah, just seeing that that's going to happen eventually, your opponent has to, uh, if they're not thinking about it, they're going to have issues with their line because they're going to have these little gaps that are going to occur that you can take advantage of. Um, I, I just love it. I love throwing weapon armies as, uh, in general, and I think the high defense of the Dwarf Rangers in comparison to a lot of the other ones is, is really cool. Mm. One of the things as well, I think, uh, we've talked about before with throwing uh, weapons is their ability to create opportunities and uh, abilities to trap. And this works really, leans really, really well into the Dwarf kind of um, uh, architecture in, in that when... You don't always get your your full line of dwarves to bear, but 
being able to use those throwing weapons to create extra spaces in a line to get more dwarves in is really really valuable and being able to when you try and do that you know that that slow walk around a terrain feature or that that move down the wall to get to a spot where you can jump over it's really really handy having those extra couple of throwing weapons that you know you can have um taking pot shots at spearmen and stuff like that and it, it can swing a game around you know if, if you get a couple of throwing weapon kills um on a flank in a turn where your opponent isn't expecting for that flank to crumple just yet suddenly they lose two guys that guy in front that did have a spear support doesn't have any more he dies that suddenly a you know a three model swing in a very crucial area suddenly the doors might be able to wrap mm, and once you wrap it, it it's trouble for your opponent because the the big problem with wrap like we talked about traps and games and that that's that's a smaller part of it when you wrap your opponent's got nowhere to go and what you have to do then is try to break through dwarves. And breaking through dwarves is never fun, is it? you just got to make sure that you, you grind them down. You never, ever want to be taking on dwarves while you're in the center of a circle surrounded by dwarves. Yeah, the scary thing about dwarves is you can even trap them and they still might not go down. So even even combats where you've got a significant advantage, um, you may not be able to break through them fast enough to outweigh the losses that you're taking in other places. So if you do get surrounded by dwarves, you're in big trouble. And like further on that, um, to uh, when we talked about trying to uh, break through dwarves, you do have to be um, aware of that. Still, um, yes, dwarves are very, very tanky, but there are models in the game, as we all very well know, that can breach dwarf shield walls. Um, models that come to mind are Bolg with his two-handed piercing uh, strength five, two-handed mm-hmm. weapon with Burly. Uh, Aragorn the King, oh, yeah, Aragorn the King with his uh, big fancy sword, and pretty much any big scary hero with a lance, like a Boromir, uh, possibly even something a little bit lower tier like a Faramir or a Hurin, uh, are very very scary. Sometimes uh, enemy players, uh, enemy, your opponent may just you know throw you Faramir straight in the face, and he might just his entire game might just be I'm going to call a heroic combat, use my lance, kill four dwarves with shields, and that's that's firing me done for the game. And sometimes that can be enough for those big heroes to, to tip the scale, because if you lose some of those particularly really defensive, really clutch uh, tanky models really early for no, for, for no loss, that can be a detriment going forward. So always be on the lookout for those big, scary models that have lots of... Um, uh, modifiers to wound and the ability to get knockdowns and, and plus ones and stuff off the charge because they will mess up your day if you do not corral them and intercept them properly with the proper models. And dwarves do have those models. They have defense on just about every single one of their named heroes. They have tricks up their sleeve to, to, to stall a charge and, and say like the king's champion and stuff like that. So use those tools to make sure that those big scary models with those breaching weapons are stopped dead in their face because they will ruin your day if you are not careful. Yeah, even a uh, a vault warden comes to mind that that can delay them a turn, and that can actually be crucial in just terms of um, getting to grips with the rest of the army. Uh, on the flip side of that, on the flip side of dealing with those heroes that can take out a shield wall or a dwarven uh, shield line, do be aware that some heroes actually really struggle against them, even ones you wouldn't expect. Um, an example I've found... Uh, Every I, single I Elven Lord in the game. That's what I was thinking. Well, Gilgalad's Elrond, yeah, the Elven heroes really struggle. Glorfindel was the one I was going to bring up, because I distinctly remember throwing three Kazards into him one time when oh, he was man. on the charge. I threw the, the other two in. I remember this game. He called a right combat. I called a right combat, didn't kill a single mm-hmm. one of them. They're... 
needing sixes to wound on these big heroes sucks for your for your opponent. It can it can really mess with their day. So don't be afraid to actually chuck in one or two more of these high defense dwarves that will make it really hard for your opponent to pull off a combat. Um, it'll either maybe deter them from calling in the first place, in which case they're just sitting there fighting a couple of warriors, or they will call it and really struggle to get it off, maybe even have to pay more might to do it. Mm. Um, it can be really, really good for, for blunting your opponent's heroes that are only strength four, even with, on a horse. One of the things I distinctly remember, um, in, in example of that, to that, Maddie, it was a... Uh, I think it was... This is back before uh, Rohan got the... Uh, plus one strength on the charge, but I, I distinctly remember back in the day a um, an Aemir and a Thaden going into a single dwarf, calling a heroic combat, and then having to spend two points of might to get that heroic combat mm. off, to push the striker into Balin, and then they hit Balin with no with, with one might between the two of them, and then Balin one combat, and then just turns around and kills uh, kills Thaden. It was just like, wait, what? And it's like, that's what can happen dwarves tax your opponent's resources something fierce if if uh, they're not you know paying attention or are a bit too eager to to go 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 and playing against dwarves you kind of need to have that in the back of your head that if you're going to go in for a heroic combat you need to make sure you've got a couple of extra points of might just sitting in reserve because if this is a heroic combat or or a strike off that needs to happen needs to go through needs to be resolved on your terms you need to make sure you've got the resources to back it up because going in with even just only one mind point can be very sketchy yeah i don't remember that example was that a, a game between us kylie or was that another game? uh no it was the game against uh jude uh, oh, okay. yes. Yes, he, he uh, <laughs> was, wasn't a big fan of the Dwarves after that game. <laughs> mm, 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 definitely, definitely, definitely. Okay, so we've covered that. Can we go into... We talked about it a little bit in the No Thine, but, but can we just quickly talk to the three of us about um, army composition? Because I think for Dwarf army compositions, what you can do is get yourself a bit lost with, with start before you've even played it. So I just want to just go through here. I know we're going in the No Thine and we'll go through that, but just in general... Looking at, looking at that, and then maybe even potentially what we can do to ally and just either cover some weaknesses or add some, some variety to it, because I know that that's somewhat limited now, but I think I think it's important that you get your Dwarf Army right, because I know that I've seen people who go, you know what, um, Durin is amazing, and he, and he is, there's, there's no argument there, and the, uh, what are the Super Kazakh guards called again, the uh, Hearthguard, they're amazing, so here's my army, it's Durin, it's... 15 or 16 half guard and then I've got a few points left over so let's just take some trash in there and and, and not actually really think about how it's going to work overall because the army on paper looks amazing but in reality sometimes it doesn't do what you want it to do so um, Matt how how would you design a a list in that way how would you design it to make sure it functions as a dwarf army yeah i think the thing that you're missing when you when you look at that and you're like wow what an incredible line i'm just gonna wade into my opponent and chop them all down but in reality you're still slow and you don't have anything that's going to force your opponent to engage you nothing at all so you, you do need some of that you need to grab some bows for a start you definitely need at least the uh the old honesty bows so I personally like to have between six and nine dwarf bows. Um, I, I tend to, I 
like Jeremy's mentioned earlier, Kylie's the Ranger player. I haven't touched the Rangers myself. Um, so I love to have a handful of the Dwarven Bows. Even though it's the 18-inch range, um, you, you can end up cornering your opponent at the very least and getting a few shots here and there, or when they do eventually come to you, you get a handful in either way. Um, the important thing is that your opponent can't just keep backing away, backing away, backing away forever and just shoot you to bits. Um, you've got to have something there that's... And defense six bows are... Yeah, really that was going to be yeah. my uh, follow-up to that, Matty. Never underestimate a strength 3 defense 6 bowman, because it is, if, if they can get to a good firing position and then be able to fire flat-footed, oh, that's going to do some damage, because I don't know about you, Matty, but I've been on the receiving end of Citadel Guard, and they, they hurt. These guys are just as good. Yeah, that's the absolute dream. That's as good as a Urukai crossbow in a lot of situations. Um so, yeah, don't don't be afraid to grab a handful of those Dwarven Bowmen. They're actually surprisingly useful um, for, for the uninitiated. Uh, I, I think what you do want is some throwing weapons. So, I, I, it, it's hard to say, you know, put some Dwarf Rangers in there. I personally don't think that's the way to go, to have a mix of the Warriors and the Rangers. Uh, but I do like to have a handful of Iron Guard floating around. This is just personal preference, I think, but... I, I do like to have a few of those um, can openers, you know. That, that's what I feel the Iron Guard are. They apply a couple to this spot here, and you're going to get a couple of kills no matter what. You're going to get some throwing weapon shots in. They're really good as, as a, a handful of flanking models. Uh, and then, to top it off, you definitely, definitely, definitely need some shield dwarves. You 100% need them. They are your last line of defense and your first go-to for throwing something in to force that engage. Because you don't mind losing them, they can weather a turn or two, most likely. They're crucial to the force, and so many people, I feel, overlook them. Uh, the basic Dwarven Warrior with a shield, massive for mine. Mm, I am, to, to kind of continue your point, Manny, I would lean into kind of an archetype in Dwarves. Do you, if you're going to lean into the, the heavy, stalwart, high defense Dwarf, then pick up your Khazard Guards, your Dwarf Warriors, and maybe a handful of Iron Guards. If you're going to lean into your throwing weapon shenanigans, then definitely go some Dwarf Rangers and, and, and Iron Guard. If you want to go for a bit of a, a solid line that's not really being too cute, they can do a bit of everything, then maybe just stick with your traditional Dwarf Warriors, Khazards, and Iron Guard for, for a bit of flavor. Don't go, don't go mix too many, and don't take too many of the different options within the Dwarf list, because one of the things um, that can happen is... Um, if you only have um, a couple of pieces in your list that are good or there to do a specific role, they can be really easily focused down. If you're only taking, say, three uh, guard and your whole plan is to stick them on the objectives, then your opponent might just send a Nazgul over there, black dart, but down and down, and then you don't have any more Khazards. If you've only got, you know, a handful of Iron Guard in your in your list, and there your whole point is for them to breach, and that's your, really only your breaching models, then, you know, maybe all the bow fire in your opponent's force um, uh, gets targeted at them and taken out. I know for a fact that has happened to me in a game against you, Jeremy, that we had up in Clash, where, you know, the first couple of rounds of shooting was all my bow fire were going into your black guard and all your bow fire were going straight into my iron guard. And by the time we hit combat, out of the, you know, handful of iron guard that I had, I only had one mm. left, you know? <laughs> and um, the same could mm. be said for, I think, your uh, black guard too. Um just always be aware of 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 taking too little of something. You wanna you you don't have to go crazy and take your entire army as vault one teams, but if you're gonna you know take vault one teams, lean into that. Take you know 
three, four Vault Warden teams really make them a core part of your force. Don't make, don't, you know, just splash one or two in there wherever you like. And, and same with Kazagards. If you're taking Kazagards, take Kazagards. Take half a dozen of them at least and actually make them a threat part of your army rather than a token force in your list. Yeah, look, I, I, I don't mind the tokenism in that dwarf list, list for it because I, I, that's sort of how I play them. I, I, I love the Iron Guard as well, and I, I usually take about... Well, I don't have that many painted up at the moment. I've got a lot, but I've got only a few painted up. So I usually take about four to six of them, and I find that they, they work really well as just that hold them back until engagements have happened, maybe be opportunistic with your throwing weapons, and then then bring them out, and they, they do help. Turn the turn the tide in my favor a little bit because they're always at full attack. Whereas, like your dwarf shieldmen are almost never at full attack because a lot of times you're just shielding with them and they're holding up space. But the iron guard, there's no choice. You're just going in and you're just saying, look, you know what? I'm going to kill stuff. So I don't I don't mind doing that. And and same with all the, the specialties like the vault wardens. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think uh, I think I should rephrase what I was saying just a little bit because I realized points limits are a mm-hmm. thing. Um, <laughs> um, obviously, um, if you're taking you know Kaiser guards at you know. I don't know, like three, four hundred points, then, you know, three's probably fine. But if you're taking Kazigard at, say, I don't know, 800 points, three's probably not going to be enough. You know, you probably want to, you know, double, maybe even triple that number up to, you know, six or nine to really get some use out of them. That's uh, that's kind yeah. of what I was mm. trying to lean into. Obviously, always play to your points level, but um, yeah, just, just kind of keep that in mind. That uh... Yeah, I, I can see what you're saying, Kylie, about the sort of... Uh tokenism about sort of just trying to fill gaps with tiny little bits of differences but i i do like having a little bit of a mix in my armies i've run uh you know kazards shields bows iron guard and a couple of vault warden teams all in the same list before and and had some success with it uh it really depends on how you use it i I think it's it's not the worst thing in the world to have a little bit of here and there like different things um, it's just making sure that it still functions as a complete force. So like Jeremy says, hold the Iron Guard back a little bit. Just make sure they're, they're not too vulnerable. You've got those Defense 7 guys to stick in front of them, so do so. Um, the the Kazards, I, I don't like to run less than 8. I like to have a really solid chunk of Kazards if I'm going to be running Kazards. Otherwise, I just wouldn't take them at all, and I, I'd go for spam. But um, Kazards really make a Dwarf, a Durance Folk force f- for mine. And... Um, yeah, always have those six bows, but you can go up to even nine to twelve if you if you really want to do have a lot of bow fire. Wouldn't recommend it personally. I think just a handful of bows is fine. And I like to run about a quarter of my forces shields. Actually, yeah, let's give you some numbers. I run about a quarter of my forces shields, about a third Kazards, uh four to six Iron Guard, like Jeremy said, uh, and the rest bows. And then you got your heroes in there, and I think that's a pretty solid. Makeup. I, I have two dwarf and uh, two vault warden teams that I occasionally run if I really want something to um, put beside my my hero and if I've got the points for it. Uh, but yeah, I, I find that with a, a king's champ, uh, a couple of vault warden teams next to him is, is really really useful because he doesn't like being surrounded and if he does get pushed back and into a poor position, he can uh, can become vulnerable. So, in particular, if I'm running King's Champ as my leader, which wouldn't happen too often, but occasionally, then I would probably drop the two teams in and do that. Um, but yeah, otherwise, I, I understand where Kylie's coming from, but that's just my personal preference with Durin's folk. I think you can do that. The option is there. Interesting. Um, there is one other model that I think we do need to pay a little bit of attention to, and 
I honestly, I cannot believe I'm the one that's about to bring this up in this thing. But there is a thing called a dwarf ballista, and it does need to be mentioned because, <laughs> ah, as much as it pains me to admit it, it is very, very, mm. very, very, like, I cannot stress how, how, how many varies I need to put into <laughs> oh, Calm down, calm down. It's not that uh, many varies. Maybe two. It, it is very useful in the dwarf, the old school dwarf list. Mm, um, yep. We talked about how dwarves uh, have this problem of not being able to engage. Um, dwarf ballistas completely change the entire landscape of that ability. Um, it yeah. forces your opponent to come to you, uh, particularly if they have uh, squishy heroes. Um, they might try and you know do some out shooting stuff back. But um, in terms of siege engines, dwarf ballista is um it's it's pretty good. It's not it's very rarely will get back its points. But one of the things I absolutely love about the Dwarf Ballista is it locks out an area of the table that basically says, hey, you're not going in this space. And your opponent doesn't go in this space. Nine times out of ten, they will run down a different avenue of the table and look for a different um, path to go at the Ballista. And that is very, very, very helpful because you can basically funnel your opponent's very nasty looking army into your biggest, scariest parts of your dwarf army. You can force them to go straight into your Iron Guard and your Kazagar. You can force them to go fight your King's Champion head-on because there's nothing scarier than copying a Strength 9 hit to the face and losing your hero very, very easily. And, you know, that's what the Dwarf Filister is there to do. It's there to threat. If your opponent wants to gamble on it and go run at it head first, then that's, that's on them. They can try and go in and accept the losses, but, you know, that's a choice they're making. And most most players will go the more conservative route, near some terrain, and then come at you from a, a different angle. And as a Dwarf player, you absolutely love it when they do take the gamble. If they, if they come at you in the area where you're holding your Dwarf Ballista, it means, one, they're coming at your force, which Dwarves love in the first place, and two, they're risking some absolutely game-threatening damage in the process. So, mm. yeah, there's really no downside to the Ballista, aside from the fact you're a few models short, but, mm. oh, God, it's... It's even now. I don't even have one. I don't think it's so tempting. I could I probably print one, one for you, Matt. I think it'd be good. I think. Oh, see if it's. I don't know if it's available or okay, not, but we'll see. Nice. We'll see. I I almost want to run two, but at that point, I think it's too much. I don't think you ever need to run two of these things unless it's like north of a thousand. Um, but one of the things I will say about the Dwarf Ballista is with target priority. Look at your opponent's heroes. If if most of their heroes that you know, that are coming at you either have three might and a fate point or, for instance, uh, are running, you know, a couple of fate on, on, on their heroes, then maybe don't go with the heroes. Maybe just go with the troops and try and get some soft CC and knock them down because that knockdown and fling back is very, very helpful. I distinctly remember a game I played recently where I managed to uh, hit a bosun. Uh, I didn't kill the bosun. But I managed to fling him back five inches and knock him prone, which took him out of the fight for an extra couple of turns, which was actually turned out to be very, very influential as the game went on. So looking for looking to get that soft CC down and and possibly even just trying to pierce through, say, you know, two, three cavalry models and, you know, get them off their horses can be just as massive as, you know, picking off that 60-point captain. I, I'd say often far more so. What's a 60-point captain going to do to you? Yeah, your dwarves. What do you care? Yeah. What, what? Yeah. What if a what if a Minas Tirith captain rocks up? What do you care? Nah, don't even don't even bother. 
go for those squishy troops around him, take them out. Mm. And it's really good at breaking up your opponent's lines too. And dwarves love it yeah. when your opponent's lines uh, are in disarray and unorganized because it means they can take advantage of those small gaps, push into them, really drive a wedge in, and maybe even make the gap bigger with a couple of cheeky little throwing weapon kills, you know, maybe use those the those slight, ever so slight inconsistencies in a line to be able to get in, get that throwing weapon kill, and then open up a door into a very high-value target, like a banner or a buffing hero, like a shaman. Um, always look for those things with dwarves, and dwarf, dwarf ballistas are really good at working in combination with your dwarf throwing weapons to, to pull off those kind of shenanigans. Mm, okay, so what, yeah, that, that's good. I look, I don't always take a ballista, but I, I guess I'm always satisfied when I do, because it, it's so low a point cost that if it doesn't do anything... You don't really care that much. You can cop the whatever it is, 65-ish, 60-whatever it is, points for, for sorting that out. What can you ally into the army to, to make it good? I know I start with, like, my favourite is to, to throw a guar here in just because um, that's... Oh, I, look, it. I'm going to start, Kylie, because that's, that's the go-to, isn't it? Because that's the one that, like, <laughs> yeah. you just get speed yeah. and you get a monster and you get that. It, yeah. It's the obvious choice, but I want you to think outside the box. I'm not giving you an easy one, Kylie. What else? Um, just on quickly on the guy here, one of the things that I, the reason why I love the eagle ally into dwarf, uh, old school dwarf list is because they also, uh, help you abuse that tanky defensive line. Um, the, the eagles are fantastic at jumping into a spot, uh, corralling the enemy into you and then being a, an obligatory tank. The amount of times I have played double eagles, triple eagles with dwarf rangers, flown the three eagles into a wall in front of two terrain pieces and gone, come on, hit me. And then the dwarves show up and you swap them out. A lot of fun right there. But anyway, back to your previous point, Jeremy, about um, some fun allies. I do like the Mirren and Dra ally into Dwarf Lists. I find them quite fun. I think they lean into them uh, pretty well. I think the the allies aren't going to work as well uh, anymore with that. But uh, I've always found that a little bit annoying that, you know, these old there's these two, like, some of the two OG Dwarf models can't get into the list very easily anymore. Um, but they are they are a lot of fun to, to play um, if you're um, looking for something a bit a bit spicy, a bit tasty. Uh, but I think the big one is Gandalf the Grey. I think Ooh, uh, yeah. the, the wizards the wizards are very, very, very good with the dwarf list because uh, two uh, two things. Gandalf brings you a uh, cast mining light, which helps shield the dwarves from being peppered to death by sh- shooting armies. And two, gives you some hard engage um, and ability. The, the amount of times um, I have played with the dwarf list and, and, and just being able to go transfix the hero the, the leader transfix the leader transfix the leader and the enemy leader doesn't really move and then your dwarves just use that as a leverage point to go in on it because if you've got say i don't know gothmog or what's an even worse an option uh Imrahil just sitting in the same spot and your dwarves are slowly slowly creeping up and engaging on them your opponent has to respect that they have to re-engage they have to go in to protect their king because you lose a gothmog or you lose a you, you know, an Imrahil with, with your Delamroth or your Mortal Force, you're in a lot of trouble because he is a big part of your game strategy. Mm, yeah, yeah. Yeah, for, for, for me, it's... Yeah, I was uh, going to say that. That's a terror, terror. Yeah, terror. The exact same tactic uh, that Kylie just described with the transfix, obviously. Uh, but also you can get some really good speed and threat with him. Uh, either on the sleigh, I know it's a big point sink, but um, it can be a really cool option and also the the version of him on Gwai here is that still around? Can we still do that? Because um, I feel like that that's pretty handy. You get the best of both worlds. You get a wizard and you get the big flying monster. Um, so yeah, I, I I love Radagast with dwarves. I, I for some reason for me um, 
it just sits as like a very thematic choice. It probably isn't, but it, it feels thematic to me. I don't know why. I just well, feel I like Radagast would hang out with the dwarves and they'd all be smoking some pipe weed together. I know? think it's to do with um in the in 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 the olden days, uh, we had a couple of uh, scenarios that Radagast did feature with the old school Dane <laughs> model. For, for those, oh, yeah. for those, I'm not sure how many out there uh, remember old school Dane with the venerable special rule when he was only fight five, even though he's a dwarf king and he was all old and stuff. But there was a number of scenarios uh, where Radagast would uh, was was just hanging out with Dane and you had to fight off a whole bunch of you know spiders and orcs and, and wall riders and stuff like that. And there's some pretty fun scenarios um, out there. So that's where the whole idea of Radagast and the old dwarves used to be kind of like a little partnership. Yeah, was was Raddy released with his shadow and flame? Yes, I. Uh, yes, he was. Yes, he was. Yes, he was. Yes. yes. Okay, that's probably why. Then that's probably why I have that impression of him. But um, either way, yeah, I think he synergizes. Really so on well, the allies, so. um, just just yeah. I've got the allies matrix in front of me. Um, the Radagast alliance is red allies with this. Uh, this is the Kingdom of Kazadoom, isn't it? So okay. that's that's not the best option. Mm-hmm. Like, like you might be able to pull it off. White council, but the white is, council yellow, is yellow. Does white council have the eagle? Uh, for Radagast? I know it's got the Slay. I doubt it. I doubt it. I, the Slay it has, but I suspect it doesn't have the Eagle. That's I okay. shall go check you it. You don't necessarily need that. You could run Radagast and Y here as, as a cool combo. Um, I'm pretty sure the profile doesn't change, though, that the options for the profile don't change between Amulus because... Oh, no, no, the Eagle is a completely different Radagast. No, yes, no, no. that's no, what no, I... No, I, no it's, it's not. It's they, not? They merge the profiles coming in. I, I am going to go on a... You know, let's, let's I think cook. Jeremy's already on a trip right now, but um, yeah, I, it's interesting, isn't it, how we remember some of the old profiles and it gets a bit mixed up because Radagast has gone through several changes over time. Um, but you know what? E- either way, is losing the army bonus for the dwarves the end of the world? You yeah, lose your reroll ones, right? I mean, don't 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 get me it's wrong. Like, the reroll ones on. is, is very good. It is very it's, it's very handy. It's, it's not, not even forget it every time, Kylie, um, like I yeah. do. <laughs> well, I True. remember I all the times, and I always go reroll once. But and, and my, I love it because you always you go to reroll your ones, and he goes, your opponent always goes, but you didn't faint. I'm like <laughs> army True, bonus, True. and they're like, oh yeah. You just need to remember it the first time. Just always keeping, you know, as long as you can get the first one early in the first couple of first round of combat, and then then you're on Gucci. Yeah. So so Kylie, I was just having a look at the White Council rule, and correct me if wrong here. So the White Council, you've got a bunch of them. Hero Valor's fine for allying, isn't it? So you're all good because uh, Radagast the Brown is a Hero Valor in the mm-hmm. White Council. So you could take him on his own, couldn't you? You don't have to have a, a babysitter for him. And it, it just says use the profile found in the Radagast Alliance. It doesn't say any other restrictions for it, mm-hmm. which means you've got some serious options here. We can have a uh, a horse, we can have a sleigh, we can have a great eagle, which is always fun. Sebastian yeah. can rock up and, and come along. So on it honestly, I think I think the best option is horse and Sebastian. Mm. Yeah. Because that that gives you a lot of maneuverability. It doesn't point sink you down an extra fifty points. Because an extra fifty to forty five points. True. That's 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 like a, a, a captain or a couple of banners in there or an upgrade from a captain to like a king's champion. That's pretty significant. Um I think the horse and Sebastian is is, is is pretty damn good for a support support model. Yeah, because I think you're going to be spending a fair bit of points, though, aren't you? Because you, you've got Radagast for for one fifty to two hundred, which is fine, but you have to then take a a Valor Plus for the Kingdom of Doom. So what are you looking yeah, for there? Durin's so a legend, so that's at one sixty. Durin. Although does Durin have and... a rule that, that limits it? I'm not sure. I don't think so. No, 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 Durin doesn't. It's Barlin, Barlin that does. So Barlin so impossible, sure allies, take... so that kind of sucks. So that's... Yeah. 
Yeah, it's you're going to be pulling it off because I don't think there's any other heroes of valor, is there? So you're looking at Durin. <laughs> yeah. Oh, you could go dwarf. Kings. Of course, dwarf kings are now heroes. Yes, because in the rulebook they weren't, but that yeah. that would be the way to go, wouldn't it? Because dwarf kings are, are affordable and themey. So yeah, you've hundred percent dwarf kings, Radagast. I actually want to try that. That sounds a lot of fun, and I'd, I I wouldn't mind trying the the eagle. I know it's an extra hundred. Uh, 50 points, but the eagle is seriously good. Uh, the only issue there is that you have to exchange your staff of power, so you're only getting a few spells off, so he becomes a, a swooper. Um, I'm mm. actually not against the sleigh either, because um, you've got that big base, which you can do some seriously nasty stuff. Like, I'm normally, I normally don't care about big bases, yeah. but big bases that are causing terror... With dwarves yeah, that you can yeah. use to, 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 to shepherd out and, and head off an opponent's army... And just get into a space because imagine, imagine if you're playing on that massive base, you run down a side, um, and y- you get into a nice choke point with maybe a couple of dwarves, and then you call a defense that can buy you a whole turn, even if they decide mm. to go. Oh, out. I, I love uh, treating Gandalf. Oh, sorry, treating Radagast, and I've thought about this in the past as the sheepdog <laughs> shepherding your opponent's lambs over towards the dwarves. Uh, yeah, I just love that idea, and that's why why I initially thought of the uh, ratty on the sleigh for sure. I don't, I, honestly, I don't think Durian plus um, uh, Radagast and Sebastian on horse isn't a bad option at eight hundred, seven hundred points because it's only a four hundred point invest. Sorry, not four hundred points. It's only a three hundred, you know, three hundred and ten point investment. That's not terrible. I mean, there are other models in the game that you pay that much to put on the table. Like you look at things like Aragorn the King. That's two seven five. You know, you, you look at Gandalf the White, that's 240. You look even at the other heroes that are coming at 150. They usually got some other big hero, you know, kicking around in there. Most mortar armies are, you know, 750, 800 mm, yeah. rolling, running, you know, a troll chieftain and a, and a, and a ring wraith on Felby. So that's, that's the same kind of points. So it's probably not a terrible, terrible option. Yeah. No, I think we should play around with that when we get to our army list building stuff, because I'm actually keen to try it out and, and see what we can do because there's, there's some actual fun options, I think. And, and the, the Kazadoom, because of those dwarf kings, you do have a reasonably open alliance matrix, which is kind of nice. Whereas, um, some of the other, the army lists are really restricted by it. So you've got some options there to, to go for the dwarves. Uh, Kylie, should we go on to, to that, that, that crazy model, the one that uh, cancels everyone's everything in there, the, um, the Floy, the, 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 do we have to? I, <laughs> I, 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 I will admit, Jeremy, I wasn't going to bring it up unless you guys did. But now that you have, I am definitely going to have a little bit of a moment where I can. Have you, a bit can of a you spiel do your spiel about, about it? And, and Matt and I will try. To, we won't. We won't derail it. So, so we may not say a whole lot. So, take it away. We'll do our best. All right. So, without going way too in depth with Floyd, like I could talk about this guy for like nearly two hours. So, I'll try and keep it short and sweet. But I think the the main thing that you need to keep it keep in your mind when you're playing with Floy is what uh, looking at your opponent's army and looking at the special rules they have and figuring out what special rules they do have that are going to cause you the most problems. Um, I distinctly remember playing a game recently where I was playing against Aragorn, um, uh, Aragorn the King, and I was using um, Lawmaster to negate Arndwill's four plus. To, to wounds because for me in that position keeping my dwarves alive and you know causing Aragorn to burn out a few more stats each turn was very very valuable in in buying me the turn I needed to get the rest of my army across and then once 
I did get the rest of my army across. It wasn't about slowing Aragorn down. It was about stop him from snowballing. So then I started to turn off his mighty hero. Because at that point, you know, Aragorn's in combat. I've got strikers into him. I'm actually going for a kill. It doesn't really matter if he's trying to wound me when I've got a King's Champion with five fate in it in against him. What matters is getting rid of those might points and forcing him to use his actual might points. So knocking out that, that plus one is very, very helpful. Um, helpful that free point on top of that look for other things like combat buffs like banners and, and stuff like that because those are very very hel helpful and trying to keep 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 your options open and keep, try to keep an idea of what is going to be critical at certain moments like if you're going to go in for a takedown if you're going to go say try and kill um the goblin king for instance holding onto your will until the right moment when you can get in there with your big scary dwarves to go for the kill and then dropping the will points to knock out the blobbery mass is 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 what you want to be thinking about instead of you know maybe uh, using your will points early on to try and limit the amount of scribe models that are coming onto the table. Always keeping to that into the back of your mind because it, although you get will points back from killing heroes and monsters um, with with your army when Floyd's around, is no it's by no means a guarantee. Like your opponent maybe is only going to have three four monsters, uh, three four heroes and monsters in their armies, maybe a bit more at higher points levels. But that that's only three or four extra points of will maybe if you can get those skills so don't rely on getting too many extra points of will back with the living will always try to factor on your three points of will that you have at the start of the game figure out all right where's the best vantage point where can i use floy to leverage the most out of the special rule and what special rules and particularly when am i going to be needing those special rules don't just go balls to the walls and you know use three points of will through will consecutively three turns in a row to knock out some 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 you know banner rerolls and stuff like that wait and for the opportune moment look for those parts of the game where it's like all right i'm in a good lead i'm in a commanding position right now i don't need to go turn off the boson special rule or i'm in a really good spot here i don't need to knock off um knock off one of my opponent's really powerful killy 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 spells like burly or something like that because i know that from the position i am i can afford to lose a few doors so always keep that in the back of your mind and always remember that that line of sight that floy needs can be just as useful forcing your opponent to duck in behind a terrain feature so that they can still get their special rules and stuff even though you might not be wanting to knock out that special rule that turn uh, because being able to use that line of sight blocking can be just as a an advantage for you to try and force your opponent to get into the you know line of sight blockers when they might not need to um and being able for your opponent to counterplay against it so always kind of keep that in the back of your mind mm, yeah look there's actually some really good tactics with it and i i don't deny that there's some there's some good options um yeah yeah so mechanically is what it is, but you do have some some really clever plays you can pull off there, and I do like that when you mentioned with the Aragorn the turning off the might one because that's a big choice for the Aragorn player, isn't it? Because yeah, I hate that. <laughs> I just hate it. Yeah, but Sorry. that yeah, that yep. one I'm okay I'm, with. Yeah, but it's yeah, it's it's when you start doing stuff to like turning off the Watcher or turning off Mumikill mm. stampedes and, and we're doing weird stuff. That's when it gets a bit game breaky. But when you have pretty, mm. what I, I'm going to really really go loose with this terminology here. But when you've got really kind of standardized and front to back uh, war gear and special rules, it's it's kind of okay. It's kind of tame. Like you're just turning off Master of Battle for a turn, or you're just turning off, you know. Um, 
Yeah, that's know, totally fine. Insta kills yeah. from the from from the king yeah. of the dead or something like that for yeah. a turn. Like it's not breaking the actual core aspects of the game. It's just giving you a little bit of an edge in a turn um, where you might your opponent might not expect it. So when it's in that kind of situation, I don't mind it. And he's a powerful model. He does require a Barlin tax to bring him in, and he does fall off when you get at bigger point mm. levels. But you know, sitting around that five hundred, six hundred point mark. One of the funnest models to play with. Yeah, mm. that 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 makes sense. I, look, I think I, I have problems with some of the thematic choices he can turn off because some some don't work, but some actually do work pretty well. Like you mentioned that that King of the Dead auto kill one. That's one where I could say, okay, I've got a bit of knowledge. I'm going to forewarn someone that, that the King of the Dead is going to attack you in this way. I, I I don't mind that. That I'm not against that. The Aragorn's one for a turn. You're trading resources. I'm I'm okay with that. It's the silly ones that just stop. Yeah, stop like the Mumak working and stop things working in the way they should that, that I have a problem with. But there, there's some good tactics options there. And, and you're right, it does make the Balin army a little bit more appealing because that's that's probably the... Uh, is it the weakest build? Maybe it is. Maybe it's the one that's not the strongest way to play this. I, I don't I don't think it's the weakest build, but I think it drops yeah, off. Yeah, yeah. And it, it takes... It, it's one of those... It's one of those... It, we've, coined it, we've talked about it a few times with some army lists... Uh, having certain points levels where they're really, really, really mm. strong at because of the models they have available and what they can fit in. The the Barling list is like that because if you play too low, then Floy and Barling just become too much of a points tax, right? And you can't get much else into the list. So, you know, your, three, your 300 points, they don't really work. Um, but on top of that, if you go too high to say 750, 800, there's not enough hit and power in the list to actually... Um, combat what your opponent's bringing to the table so they end up in this that 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 weird kind of middle ground a bit like Arnor in a way where Arnor seems to to fall off when you get to bigger points levels but at that mid-range and that low range they're really 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 powerful yeah and I think you know we'll we'll touch on more on that when we get to the muster so sorry I'm just I'm I'm actually just like scrolling through the the um the Khazadun list at the moment and I'm I'm, I just walked past scroll past the shield bearers did we talk about shield bearers a little bit in, in the, in the shield enemy? bearer part but it, yeah it's it's worth mentioning a little bit here the tactics are are not they're, they're twofold aren't they so you've got the courage bonus which is just almost a set and forget thing isn't it like it's just you put it there and and it just helps you it's just a global buff you don't have to turn it on you don't have to turn it off that that one's fine yeah, but the actual heroic combats, and because you have to head towards your your hero that you're, you're shielding, there is some tactics involved in that and the positioning for it. And I know I've been caught out many times trying to be too creative with it, so I'll, I'll have the two of them coming from different directions and try and get them to meet up. And my opponents know exactly what I'm trying, and they just put like a four inch or whatever it is, whatever the, the buff that stops it, they just put that between these two and they don't get to do it. So I'm of the opinion that maybe keeping these two together and just just have it as a little bonus is probably a nice way of doing it. Kyle, do you have any clever ways of doing this? Uh, no, pretty much what you said, Jeremy. Um, <laughs> yeah. Particularly in scenarios where you come on from the board edge, I always roll for the shield bearer first because he only has the one point of might and then make sure um, that the hero that he is protecting will use their might to get into that spot because having them together is far more valuable than the extra couple of might that you might have, that you, you might waste to, to get the army together. Um, and kind of on that too... Always look for opportunities to use the shield bearer special rule to keep your dwarves moving. 
because it's a free heart combat every turn that can act as a second move phase for a lot of your dwarves and if you set them up well you can actually um really surprise your opponent mm. with some sudden oh there's an extra four doors behind me. I think that's the key, isn't it? Because it's only Crap. the dwarf shield bearer that has to join the combat, isn't it? He's the one who has to move yes. towards. It doesn't say the friend's there. So if you manage to to throw him with my favorite are the the iron guard, like they they are such good heroic combat yeah. enablers. You throw a couple of them in there, and then to get them repositioned where you need to be, set up maybe a trap or two, or just like cut a hole in the enemy and try and go for something soft. That that's pretty decent. That's a good way of doing it. So if you almost use the shield bearer as a like enabler for for Kazakh guard or Iron Guard or uh, Vault Wardens aren't as good because the, sh- the speed doesn't go. But but those sort of guys where you get to throw them somewhere else, that's a real way there. Yeah, because the shield bearer must move mm. as close as possible to the hero, which is usually means he doesn't move that far because yeah, you usually jump into the hero's combat or you move to the one combat between it. But but yeah, that that flexibility for the free hero combats, that's solid solid move. Hmm. What you're mentioning there, the one combat between it, that's worth pointing out. I, I like to run them with one dwarf between the heroes protecting and the shield bearer. And that way, uh, when you do get that combat off, this is just if you've got a basic line. You, you get the combat off, you, char- you can't get into the hero you're protecting's combat, so you just charge into the nearest combat, which is the mm, one between Yeah, yeah that's the way to do it. Yeah, not Super my way. Don't, don't, don't do yeah. my tactic of trying to spread them apart and have them journey towards yeah. together and meet in the middle. Stupid. Don't do it. No, it doesn't work. Idea. P- particularly, <laughs> particularly with the shield bearers, um, one, we, we did talk about like moving line guard, but one of the actual more effective things i found with the shield bearer is using it to leapfrog stuff like captains and kings oh, and, and, and stuff. Because one of mm, my favorite yeah. combos I did recently um, was put the shield bearer into a combat, her at combat for free, push the shield bearer off, but then I had a captain in that combat as well, and then pushed the captain around the back of my line, and he suddenly jumped 10 inches in one turn, and the next turn the captain was able to charge, call his own heroic combat, and then get a whole bunch of dwarves in and wrapping the line. And my opponent just, like, how do you see that coming? How do you see a model that is 10 Well, they know now, away? don't they? They're seeing it coming, because they've listened to this. I know. <laughs> you, just, I know. you didn't keep but, it very secret, did you, Kyle? Well, I'm hoping our <laughs> listeners are going to keep it safe. Um had, 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 it's so so hard to be able to see that that line, that attack vector from ten inches away into a flank, and changing the course of an outcome fifteen inches away. That's 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 cavalry model speeds that we're talking about here, happening on a five inch infantry model that you can use to affect the game. And always always look for those little tricks because as good our players as it, as as we are, it can be very hard to spot something that almost seems too far away. With with space mm. and being able to close out a gap quickly, so in that move combat, especially if you're the receiver, um, you're going second off the heroic combat. Being able to like move in, so sorry, second in the move phase. If you move heroic combat, move that's that's happened in the space of a turn where your opponent has not had the window of opportunity to react. That that yeah, you can fool you can fool even really great players with a with a move. Yeah, like look, that, it's it's sure. no, it's not really high risk. It's it's at worst you lose your free heroic move and it doesn't doesn't pull off but when it does um yeah you can you can definitely influence different areas of the battlefield and being able to to move your captains because honestly you're not going to have that many of them are you, you, you your might's going to be concentrated on three maybe four models to be able to move one of those ones while they've still got full might throw them over the other side and then let them start up some some heroic combat or, or a heroic move if you need it like it might be your catching cavalry move where you need to get some dwarves close enough to the cavalry 
that you can grab them before they mm. charge you. Whatever whatever your move, whatever your reason is, you've got some options. Or, or moving your might to a spot where you can call mm. the right move for next turn. That can just be as, as, as valuable. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. No, that's good. That's good, the shield bearers. I think we've done most of them. Like, we don't really need to talk about how to use heroes. I know that dwarf heroes, we mentioned... Or the king's... King's yeah. champion. King's champion is pretty yeah. easy. You use him to yeah. tank. You use him to kill. They're, they're all pretty they similar, are, yeah. really, and, aren't they? Yeah, they will do this... When we make our army list, we can talk specifically about how that army list will work. So I think we'd better move on to our scenarios, do you think? Let's do it. Yeah, sounds like a plan. Scenario Spotlight. The fall of Khazad-dûm. The great wealth of the dwarven kingdom of Khazad-dûm came not from gold, but from the precious mithril that was mined in the great depths of the Misty Mountains. Ever deeper, the dwarves delved in search of this most precious of metals, and as they did, their kingdom prospered. Yet such wealth and prosperity could not endure indefinitely and the kingdom of Khazad-dûm was doomed to fall into ruin. It was under the peak of Barazinbar where the doom of the dwarves was uncovered, for amidst their constant mining and digging, the dwarves of Khazad-dûm uncovered a terrible foe, one which had long slept beneath the bowels of the mountains since the final years of the First Age. From the depths of the world, a Balrog of Morgoth came forth, wreathed in shadow and flame. This terrible foe wrought destruction and death upon the dwarves of Khazad-dûm, and the foul goblins that dwelt within the caves and the recesses of the Misty Mountains plundered the dwarves' mighty halls in its wake. Although he must have known it would be his end, the mighty dwarven king Durin stood defiant against the demon, rallying his followers to his side to fight to the death in defense of their mountain home. It was in the great halls beneath Baranzibar where this final battle for the kingdom of Khazad-dûm would take place, and where the Balrog would gain the moniker of Durin's Bane, a name that would never be forgotten. The Fall of Khazad-dûm So in this scenario, we have the classic battle of Khazad-dûm with Durin versus a Balrog. So we're sitting on a 4x4 board that's set up with a big chasm in the middle, and it looks like about five or so bridges in there. So the layout description wants you to do a 4x4 board with a 6-inch wide chasm, which we'll talk about why we think that's 6 inches. And then we need a series of bridges. So in the picture, there's five bridges. I think that's probably about right. But you want them to have enough of a pathway for a few models to get across uh, in width-wise. You don't want them to be single file. The starting positions, the good player puts all their models on the south side of the chasm. And then the evil player puts all their models on the north side of the chasm. So that's nice, straightforward. The models are, of course, for the good side, Durin, the king of Khazad-dûm, Marden, a dwarf captain with shield, 12 Khazad guard with the hearth guard upgrade. 12 Iron Guard, 6 Vault Warden teams, 24 Dwarf Warriors. It doesn't say what type, but we've been going for the, the box set, the plastic one, with 8 shields, 8 uh, two-handed weapons, and 8 bows. And then a Dwarf Ballista as well. And on the evil side, we have a Balrog, a Moria Goblin Captain with shield, a Moria Goblin Shaman, a Black Shield Captain, 12 Black Shields. So it doesn't say what weapon either, but we put 4 with Spear. 12 Goblin Prowlers, 36 Goblins, and it does listen this time. 12 with Shield, 12 with Spear, 12 with Orc Bow, a Moria Goblin Drum, and 3 Cave Trolls. And this is, of course, from our Lord of the Rings Armies book. Our objectives are pretty straightforward. So the objectives are the, the uh, good side, the good side, the dwarf side, needs to kill the Balrog. Just kill the Balrog. That's all. Nice and simple. Just kill a Balrog with a whole bunch of Goblins around it. It's pretty tough. And the evil side needs to just wipe out the dwarves. 
just wipe out the dwarves. Also, pretty tough. Uh, special rules, a couple special rules, just to add a little bit of a twist to it. From the depths, this is one of your classic uh, regeneration of evil models. So in the end of each evil move phase, you roll a d6 for each goblin warrior that's been slain. On a 5+, plus, place the model in base contact with the edge of the central chasm. So you're getting lots of goblins back throughout the game. And then Durin's last stand is all dwarf hero models may re-roll any failed to wound rolls. So it's a nice little special rule, but nothing to write home too much about. Will definitely come in handy against big demons, of course. Now, this is there's a lot of monsters in this one, Kylie. There's there's three cave trolls and a balrog, so you're looking at some serious killing to do. And then a horde of goblins. Goblins just keep coming back, coming back, coming back, coming back. So pretty tough one. Can you go through our experience? I played this twice. You played through it once, Kylie. Go through our experience. All right, so... Admittedly, I've only played this at once, but my first thought once we deployed was like, how does the good side win? Because there, there's there's something quite interesting at, at play in, in this scenario, in, in that the Baroque has literally no reason to come forward at all, ever. They can just sit at the back and let goblins do all the work, which incidentally is... How our game played out, Jeremy, and it was it was quite interesting because I was like I was I was pretty you know eager to you know get the dwarves in on the action, and then everything just went from bad to worse very 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 quickly. Yeah, like you say, you're eager to get the dwarves in combat, but the ballista really puts a a span on the works, doesn't it? Because you tried to set up to make sure you could get at least a couple shots off of the ballista. And that allowed me to just run forward across the bridges with a whole bunch of goblins and block off potential shots. So the the goblins were yeah. a screen for the, the Balrog, so it didn't cop any ballista shots anyway. So it kind of didn't really work as we as we had hoped. The other thing was our setup had... The, the six-inch chasm was probably more like five and a half or five inches. Yeah. So what it meant was our throwing weapons could go across the chasm, across the board, uh, for, for both sides, because we both had throwing weapons. The Iron Guard on the Dwarves have some throwing weapons, and the Goblin Prowlers have some throwing weapons. And you might think, look, this is not a big deal, is it? It's just a couple of throwing weapons. Who cares? But it's not a big deal unless you have me rolling. And we know that my rolling is legendary. That, that I would easily take out dwarves with throwing weapons. Not a problem whatsoever. Yeah. Vault Warden Teeds, <laughs> take them out. <laughs> I think I think the, the, the bit that went, oh my god, I'm getting the one game a year where Jeremy just rolls insanity. Um, because I think on the first turn, I had like five kills from combat and Jeremy had five kills from shooting. When you would think it would be the other way around. And it only got worse from there. Like Prowlers just getting kills on Vault Warden teams on the way in, just random goblins, one-on-one against a Vault Warden team, winning combat, killing the shield guy in front, you know. There was even a troll chain kill in there somewhere. Like, it was, mm. it was, it was a rough game to be a dwarf uh, on the receiving end of evil shooting. Oh, absolutely. And that's the case of these kinds of scenarios, isn't it, sometimes, where if one side gets on a roll, it just... just get... Escalates yeah. and escalates, and and I did get on a roll, and because I didn't care, if my goblins died. It meant that you had to use all the initiative to try and take out important things like captains and trolls, and and that ended up probably causing a problem because your whole dwarf line was split up so yeah. much that it, it couldn't really kill anything effectively, could it? It just mm. it just spread out and, and and had problems because you only have Durin um, that can really strike. He can't. He has to pick one of the four targets to really go after one of the. The, the trolls or the barrel, but you don't really want to spend the might on the on the trolls because you really need Durin's might to strike up against the Barog. And you know, that all that leaves you left to do um with the dwarves is go into trolls and hope 
or put a Vault Warden team in front of them. But my Vault Warden teams were getting just picked off um, quite effortlessly, I might add, too. They basically did absolutely nothing the entire game. So I had really nothing to deal with the trolls, and every time I all in them, and, you know, if you got, you know, five or six guys against a single troll, managed to get trapped, Jeremy were all the six. And ironically, all the combats Jeremy lost with the trolls were when he was fighting, like, one guy. And mm, yeah. yeah, I just couldn't get anything rolling and just got steamrolled. But like even even that aside, the thing that really kind of bothered me was that I had no pressure or agency in this game as the dwarf player. Like, unless, you know, the evil player is being silly and putting the bell right at the front and throwing the bell rog, you know, an entire arm's length, like an entire six inches in front of the the um the Moria line to go charge things then I honestly can't see the, the the good side winning the scenario because how do you get to the Balrog? A smart player is never going to commit the Balrog until they absolutely have to. And honestly, with three cave trolls and regenerating goblins, I I can't see that happening. Yeah, I think it's more so that, that you could commit the Balrog to where Durin isn't because the Balrog's got the whip and got a slight, slight speed advantage over the dwarves and you deploy last. You basically put the Balrog somewhere where Durin isn't and then just go dominate a flank or then reposition if you have to and, and move around that way. So it, it, it does cause problems that way. The first time I played it was up in Brisbane when uh, Lockie did one of his scenario nights. Um, or scenario days for, for a pre-tournament event. And I did play it. I played as evil. No, I played as good that time. I was the Dwarves, and I was playing against a Balrog player who did the classic setup. They put the Balrog slightly in front of their goblins. Basically, the idea was they didn't want to waste their goblins. They wanted the, the Balrog to take the combat. The My opponent was trash-talking me um, about how bad ballistas are, and that's like the cardinal sin when you're about to play a scenario or play the model because if you talk down a model you know it's going to go and impress so of course it did the ballista got a shot off the one shot the game hit hit the balrog and then so direct hit on the balrog and did half its wounds so the balrog came up with five wounds first turn and then because in this scenario the dwarves are the strongest at the start of the game i had set up so literally it was during a couple vault wardens and all the hearth guard just running straight up the middle so they basically ran straight over the middle bridge, managed to call a heroic move to cross the bridge, and then I swarmed dwarves across the bridge, um, basically made a circle around the Balrog, and then shielded it off with the rest of the dwarves. They pushed back into the goblins, and then made short, walk, short work of the Balrogs. So the Balrogs, the thing about Balrogs is they don't actually win all their combats. They actually lose a fair chunk of combats, because you're looking at four dice, you pretty much need the sixes mm. to win the combats. Most of the time, your opponent has lots of models in, so as soon as you don't roll that six, you're dead. And you don't kill that fast with the, the Balrog. Now, in this one, you probably could because you could pick up a model, chuck it in the chasm. Now, that'll kill things pretty quickly. Or you can kill a couple of other ways. So, so Durin really needs to pick the time to go in. But I managed to get that. And it was, it was just a classic, like, perfect scenario. But that was because my opponent didn't do anything to protect the Balrog. And that's probably my problem with this one is that for people who are probably slightly more competitive and less into just the, the two-turn spectacle, as an evil player, 
you don't you, you've the Balrog is the objective, so why would you throw it out on its own? At the very least, you'd have a couple bodyguards for it, and who are playing peel on it, and and you'd be a little bit conservative with it. And you, you have to find a way to kill heaps of dwarfs. There's a lot of dwarfs to kill, so you want to take your time. You want to make sure all your goblins get a chance to work and and do some damage and and cause problems. So, I we've got some suggestions, I think, of how how to maybe fix it up if you wanted to play it a bit more competitively because the yeah. spectacle was great, but. We knew we knew the result and, and by the, sort honestly, of second, third turn, didn't we? I knew the result because I'm like, yeah. I'm, <laughs> well, yeah, it wasn't yeah. it wasn't so much like not having a chance, but it was like I'm trying to break through the bridges, and then I just couldn't break through the bridges. Like I lost, I think it was three Vault Warden Shieldmen on like the second turn in combat, and I was just like, I have no frontline pressure. Uh, all of my dwarves that I've got on the bridges are die have died. I'm th- having this end up second wave, and you just had me choked. I'm just like I, I can't cut through this these mm. goblins quick enough to get to the Balrog, and maybe try and force a thing. But even then, the the Balrog can just call her at combat and run away. Yeah, definitely. There needs to be a, a special rule in this scenario that forces the Balrog to if if the Balrog is in charge range, um, he must charge, and if the Balrog is not mm-hmm. in combat or cannot charge that turn, must move as fast as possible towards a dwarf model and must shoot with his whip if possible so even if you're clever with the yep. goblin player and like boxing the balrog in and stuff it's going to be tricky yeah i think you definitely need some of that to to force the goblin player because as the big problem for me from the evil side was i was never under any pressure because i could have full control over the balrog there was one point where i'm like you know what i don't really want to go that way and all i had to do is just move backwards it wasn't an issue. I just moved backwards and then plugged the gap of a whole horde of goblins and just said, fight your way through that. So it was that was easy. Whereas if I was forced to charge, I have to start thinking about, okay, I need to take some heroes with me. I need to, to make sure I do some peel with the Balrog and, and make sure I don't get trapped. So I need to maybe send some trolls there or I need to send the Black Shield Captain or someone else mm-hmm. to help out. And that's going to put some pressure on. Yeah, so honestly, that's, I think that's the, a start. Um, yeah. I think the objective was on the wrong key model. If if they wanted to have this, the game ends when one of a target model is dead. Make it Durin. I mean, yes, it's supposed mm, to be Durin's yeah. last hand. You know, going to going to try and kill the Balrog. But in this situation, if Durin was the one that you had to go chase down and kill, then yeah, throw the Balrog at the Durin. Have him run at Durin as fast as possible. Because in scenarios where you usually have a, a key model that has to be killed, it's usually a model that's slower than most things on the enemy team. Uh, army or is surrounded from turn one so that they can't mm. get away they're eventually going to get engaged upon I'm, I'm particularly thinking of fellowship scenarios with like frodo as an objective or um there's a, another classic uh scenario i'm thinking of with dane old school dane where he's being chased by ring wraiths and it's like yeah dane's a slower model he's gonna get caught there's magic on the enemy team like they have ways of getting in but in this mm. the dwarves don't have any way of getting to the balrog yeah i don't I don't mind that that objective. I think I think that's that's kind of cool because the the evil player still does have to kill the dwarves, and look, they will, they will get all the dwarves eventually because Recycling. they've got yeah. re- recurring models. Yeah, well, as it's written, it's a five plus to get a slay model back, and we assume that they can keep coming back repeatedly. So maybe if the if the uh, the written the way they wrote that was to to say that you get one chance to get it back, that would change the game entirely and probably put. Probably make it actually quite hard yeah. for the, the the evil side. So I don't know that changing that too much, but I like adding a couple extra objectives in. So the key points, those five bridges that we had, 
the dwarf player, we need to encourage a dwarf player to absolutely hold the line at those points and not run back. So I, I was thinking about an, an objective where um, the good player could get some reward or maybe even force a draw or something like that if a good model could exit the board on the evil player's deployment edge, like a, yeah. like a reconnoiter type uh, scenario as well. Because that... We have to get one dwarf to escape to, to tell the tale. Yeah. Kind of thing. Because you could then force it... Because the problem with this one is, at the moment, the the dwarf player isn't going anywhere. So the Balrog and the Trolls can ignore Marden, Durin, the Captain, the Hearthguard, just send goblins into them and just let them die until a whole bunch of the dwarves are killed. So they don't have to wait. Whereas, Kylie, if you said, you know what, I'm going to... If you're not going to put the Balrog in my way, I'm going to go with Durin, Captain, Marden, some Hearthguard, and I'm just going to break through one of the bridges. And you probably would. Like, it's it's not that hard to get through one bridge if you put everyone into it. And once you do that, the Goblin's reinforcements just pop up in the chasm right in the middle. So if you manage Mm. to get that overrun, suddenly you're going to outrun them. You're going to cause problems, and the Balrog has to reposition and go chase you down. So I think that's probably a good way of putting some pressure on the evil player. Because as it is, I could just put a token force on all the bridges I don't care about, like literally hardly anything, and not care about it because I want to target certain areas. So that forces forces the evil player to, to put some more work in. So I think that's a good idea. Because the problem with having a model being the objective is it does incentivize us to just go hide that model, doesn't it? So if the Balrog's the only objective then you just hide the Balrog. Whereas if there's some some objective that, that you can get or that a good player can get like no matter what I move, so you can go for that no matter what I do, and suddenly it, it, I think it might even speed up the game a bit. It encourages a Dwarf player to keep going, and maybe it gives a Dwarf player a little bit of hope that even if everything's going badly, they've got another condition. They can just run a Dwarf off and just get them through, and I think it's kind of cool for the story yeah. as well. Yeah, honestly, I, I, I agree with all those points. Mm. Yeah, I, li- I think that's a solid idea. Um, I like the idea, the chasm having it six inches. I don't think it matters a whole lot because eventually you're going to get some prowler yeah. shooting on the bridge, aren't you? So you're going to get prowler shots. So I don't think that's a huge thing. I think it could have easily gone the other way. I think as a dwarf player, I would consider just putting the blister like on the edge of the chasm and just shooting. Like yeah. just put put a couple bowmen next to it so the goblins can't pop up next to it. If if people shoot out yeah. your ballista, so be it. They shoot out the ballista. But I think you need to be getting some shot pressure on the whole game. And it's probably not going to be the ideal target. I don't think you can manipulate it so you get shots on the Balrog. Because I think to do that, you bis- you basically have to pull all the dwarves right off the bridge and go really far backwards. And I don't think that's going to work. Because the Balrog player will just go behind a pillar and just throw the goblins. Once the goblins engage you, then the Balrog will walk for three turns and get in combat. Yeah. Yeah. Mm. The other suggestion I had, Kylie, you know the um the, the Gundabad, I think it's the Ogres, have a special rule where they can um run through their own models and also end up on the models? Yeah, that would be that would be yeah. another way of forcing the the Balrog to go towards the dwarves if he could like run through goblins and stomp them and kill them when he lands on them, but to, to force him into combat. Mm. So even if you had the the run into combat rule as well, I think that could make it really, really interesting, because then as an evil player, you're not just boxing out the Balrog, because my concern, if I was playing really gamey, which I probably am, if I was playing really gamey and I had to charge with the Balrog, I move my goblins first, and it's, oh no, they've blocked off the Balrog, what can I ever do? And it's so easy to do, isn't it? Because you've got so many bottlenecks, that one goblin just going into combat, one troll going to combat stops the Balrog going in, and I think having, having that option... 
really opens up for both players because let's face it, if, if you're really being true to yourself, the evil player wants the Balrog yeah. to do heaps of damage, don't they? They want them to go and just kill everything. Like, you don't really want to have a Balrog being and a, that's, a spectator. It's really that's not, not, not that fun. You paint up this... just have this massive 400-point model. No, not really. Just kind of having a chill session. But having it so that, it, like, expendable goblins, I could just go, you know what, I really want to kill that captain, run over my own goblins, and just replace them. That's really quite dynamic, isn't it? And it, it gives a whole different layer of thinking. So that's something that I think it would be worth trying as well. I think it would make uh, the Balrog a lot more deadly, but probably to the evil side as much as to the good mm. side. Yeah, it, it would. Yeah, it would. But also, what's a Sharma doing in this scenario? Um, standing there giving auto plus courage tests so people can charge during. Yeah, that's maybe so boring, isn't it? Maybe throwing a transfix. I don't know. Yeah, I, I think I, it's I, more I, for complete, <laughs> completionist sake because most scenarios with goblins have a Captain Shaman combo. Well, going by that argument, which I'm actually fine with with 100%, because it does does do completion stuff and it gives you a chance to use models that you might always use in every single game you take with goblins. Why don't the dwarves have a banner? Give them a banner. Yeah, give them a shield I mean, bearer. That'd I, be cool. That was that was Aura King's champion, to be honest. Like that was one of the oh. things that I was like wishing for the most in that scenario was just a banner, any banner, anywhere. Just just so can I have a point of pressure because those rerolls, Jeremy, from your goblin drum were absolutely killing me. Because mm. you can go. Shield Spear with a rank deep, and you've got three attacks versus my one, two at best if I've got a Vault Warden team yeah. or a Iron Guard in there. And that's, 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 not, yeah. that, you just front to back, and you're forced to play front to back in this, it's just not going to happen. Yeah, no, look, I wouldn't have a problem with that. I, I personally, if I was designing the participants, I would go probably two Warriors with Banner and a um, King's, no, Shield Bearer, the, the actual Shield Bearer, because I think having that. Heroic combat changes it quite a bit, mm. and it gives the dwarf some agency because you can set up some really cool stuff, can't you, with yeah. the shield bearer going into guys and, and moving the dwarves? Because the dwarves become a little bit static, and so do the goblins, but the, the dwarves do become static. So having a lot more might, I think, would be very useful. But also, can you imagine that the, the shield bearer's heroic moves with you trying to break through a bridge and get yeah, off the board? If you get a that suddenly opens up big time. Sneak a guy around the side or jump the corner yeah. of a bridge to start getting in development. The, the gobbos are in trouble because once 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 a dwarf steps on the other side of the chasm, then it's game on. Yeah, yeah. It's suddenly it's you're redoing all your strategies, and then heroic moves become a big thing. And yeah, so I think something like that over the the king's champion would be really nice. Because my problem with the king's champion is it's it's an absolute gun at killing trolls and things. So I think part of the part of the peril of this scenario is that the good player really does have trouble killing all the monsters. You, you've got the resources to kill one of them, maybe not comfortably, but reasonably comfortably. But there's four. But if you give mm. a King's Champion, I think it might change that balance uh, a bit. Because I, I like the idea that the Dwarves, it's a little bit hopeless. I think that's a cool thing to put in a scenario. Yeah. And you really have to be clever. I think that's fine. But I, I really like the idea of giving the Dwarves something a bit proactive. So it's like, it's peril, but look at this. Oh, I've got a Shield Bearer and the Dwarf Captain. They're doing work and they're coming to help Durin. And, and maybe Martin's in there as well and comes and then jumps in is suddenly gives, a spear support for Durin. Aside from just standing on a bridge and rolling dice and hoping you, you can beat yeah. some, some goblins. Could give you a really nice line of heroes as well. Like you could go th- three abreast and, and have I think, Durin, yeah. Marden, and a shield bearer kicking, yeah, kicking goblins. At the end of the day, that's what bothers me the most about the scenario is that as the dwarf player, there's no way to win. And that, that bothers me just as a principle with scenarios. If, Okay, yeah, you mm. can have scenarios that lean one way, like good is more likely to win or evil is more likely to win, but never ever should a scenario be to the point where it's just reenacting the movie. Like, 
it's, yes, it's yes, always yes. going to be this like ninety nine percent of the time it's going to be this this army that's going to win, and that bothers me tremendously. <laughs> well, I, I think so. Like I think it comes to be perfectly honest. It does. It feels, and it probably is. It's because I, I we talked about as well. I can't imagine them doing a whole bunch of playtesting. Like even us, we've played it. I played it once years ago, and then once again, and we're already talking about it. Like it, it takes a long time. This scenario it took us. Probably three hours to get through a game and we, we knew the results fast, from turn and one. And we ended early when it was just down to Duran and two dudes. Yeah, yeah, which which I'm still bitter about. But, uh, but hey, beside that, it's... <laughs> the writing was on the wall. Duran was adamite. He threw his three strikes into the barrel, caught two wins off him and went, yeah, I'm done. I'm going to go throw myself into the pit now. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, anyway, anyway, we won't, won't dwell on that one too much. But I do think that, um, that it, it's so much resources to put together this scenario. I think it would be a... It would be a shame to just throw it out like that. I'd love to have a go at it with some changes there, but I think I think the changes really have to focus on it being tense right to the very end because I do I do hate scenarios where exactly that one player feels like, well, I know the results, so there's no point in me playing anymore. And I think you want the scenario to be able to do that instead of something else. Like at the end of the game, I had to basically put my Balrog into a place where I didn't wasn't necessarily the smartest move just to keep you interested because... If I didn't throw the Balrog towards Durin, then I, I just would have ground you out. And it would have been a slow win to me. But I needed to put some pressure on. But I think the scenario can do that. And I think I think maybe some adjustments to participants could be cool. Um, and it's it's given the Dwarves more stuff. The Goblins mm. don't need anything else. Goblins are fine. I think uh, banners. Put banners in scenarios. Like I, I'm over this. There's There's like, I don't know. Do the games design team know banners exist? They seem not to. I don't know. They gave the Goblins one, but... Uh, whatever. Yeah, but it's not a banner; it's a drum. Splitting hairs. Anyway, anyway, anyway. <laughs> scenario to death. Yep. Okay. Well, let's move on to the next section. Mustering an up. My lord. Grimbo, how many? I bring five hundred men from the west Fold, my lord. We have three hundred more from Denmark, standing king. Better the riders from Snowball. None have come, my lord. We're mustering our armies now, and uh, you know what? It doesn't take much to get a dwarf into an army and get him onto the battlefield. So uh, I hope you guys have got some interesting stuff, because I've basically gone with something that I tend to run a lot, and something that I'd really like to run. And I think um, you guys have got some very interesting lists here by the looks of it. So why don't we jump into something? Jeremy, what, what have you got for us first? Okay, first I'm going a dead set basic 500, well, 499 points, and I might, Kylie can, can flick a, a, I know, club into someone and make it to 500, but a 500-point army that I've played recently at our little uh, gaming club, a weekend shed-based club that David's running, and I took this basically to take myself out of my comfort zone with the dwarves, because I, as you probably know from the rest of the podcast, are a massive advocate of dwarf warriors with shield and that they form the basis of my army so i usually guarantee myself to take a bunch of those and i just build my army around them so i've gone in exactly the opposite direction at 500 points i've gone for durin as my leader now once again i'm not the biggest fan of durin compared to others i don't i don't mind him i don't think he's terrible but i i've taken durin and I probably wouldn't normally take him in this kind of points because he takes up a huge amount. But he is leading a single dwarf warrior with banner, 
three Dwarf Warriors with Dwarf Bows, and that's the end of my Dwarf Warriors. So just the four Dwarf Warriors, one with Banner, no shield, because I'm, I'm, I'm getting myself off that habit, and three Dwarf Warriors with Dwarf Bow. And then I've got eight Hearthguard, because I guess if you take Durin, you're taking some Hearthguard. That's just almost a guarantee. And then for Warband 2, my second and final Warband, I've got Marden, and I've got four Vault Warden teams. So 22 models, eight of those are in the Vault Warden teams, the, the four Vault Warden teams. Eight of them are Hearthguard, so I've got a big, big, tough line there. I've got three Dwarf Warriors dwarf with Honesty Dwarf Bows to just sit on objectives and, and be annoying and shoot things and yell insults and all that sort of dwarfy stuff. The Dwarf Warrior Banner is key. He basically follows the, the Hearthguard and Durin around and, and ensures that they're winning their combats. And the Vault Warden team can be either a, a snowplow at the front, so they can just push through. I can even jump the spears behind the Hearthguard if I want to really power them up. Or they can go and just basically hold a hold a line, hold a corridor, hold something and say, give my time for the rest of the army to do work. Now, I played with this one, and it was much less models than I'm used to running because 22 models at 500. It's not tiny, but it's not a huge amount. I played against the uh, the Black Gate Legendary Legion, you know, the one with the, the big super mortal troll that's uh, fearless and a whole bunch of Moranans, and honestly, not much else. It's pretty much that sort of stuff. And all Captain Wag, which is interesting. But I, uh, I was playing against a moderately experienced player, not, a, not an expert by any means. And my goodness, these dwarves did, did work. I ended up at the end of the game, I lost one hearth guard. So we had a, a big funeral for that hearth guard, but that was it. So I, at the end of the game, uh, of course I won it. I managed to, it was one of those ones where you had to uh, go fishing for objectives across the board and guard your own objectives. It was a really fun scenario actually. But I ended up uh, taking out heaps of Moranon Orcs Left the Troll Chieftain alive. I thought, oh, I'll just go... F- I went, went after him in the last turn, but Durin ended up taking a wound, or um, I think his hat might have even saved it. I'm not sure. But then uh, it, it just that, it just ate through Orcs. A half guard with a couple spears behind them and the, the banner nearby, they were just doing massive amount of work. So they're... What were they? Like four plus to wound the half guard or something? Rerolling ones? It was... Mm. Uh, the Moranon Orcs? It was just insane and, and really, really surprisingly powerful, more so, more powerful than I thought it would be. I had Durin in first turn take out a Moranon or Captain. It was it was a good army. It was small, it was slow, but it was just like the one of the ultimate death ball type armies where once I started getting it rolling, it was just, there was nothing that was going to break it. The only way to beat me would have been to outplay me. And no one does that. No one outplays the dwarves. Yeah, 22 models, not bad at all for 500. Like, it's it's not exceptional by any means, but... Um, when when you have such a strong front line, when you've got uh, so much damage output, and we have two very good heroes in your list, mm. and one in particular that's it's, at five hundred, Durin, there's not much that can really take him on at all. So he can pretty much just walk through army lists and just uh, kill enemy warriors at will, and most captains as well. Um, yeah, really, really strong. I like it. Mm, yeah, the front to back of that list is absolutely insane. Normally I would say uh, a Troll Chieftain would be the way to go to, to beat Durin, but when you have Marden and four Vault Warden teams that, you know, can't be brutal powered and have bonuses to attack monsters, I mean, then it starts to get a bit a bit tricky of that. Like, how do you how do you take it? You'd almost need something like a Gilgalad to really have a go at trying to knock Durin out, but, you know, that, that, that brings its own kind of, you know, plethora of problems. But yeah, no, I um, I really, really, really like the the idea behind this list, Jeremy. And I was going to say, I figured out you can use that one point for Jeremy. Oh. <laughs> I shield for my dwarf a, banner. I shield for your dwarf banner, but you didn't <laughs> yeah, give yeah, the yeah. caveat at the start that you didn't want to put any shields in the list. So 
maybe maybe throw a, an extra bow on that banner maybe instead i mean you can hold a, a banner oh, with yeah. a bow or something something funky that's a like good that. idea i actually because it was a game against a, a like a, a moderately experienced player i just really wanted to go what you see is what you get but absolutely giving it a piece of equipment to that dwarf banner bearer is the way to go giving him a shield would be fantastic just that extra pip of defense and the ability to shield if it gets caught out because sometimes you want your banners in combat don't you you want to throw them in combat so that people can't move them around or be tricky with them so that would be the way to do that and a bow is a good idea as well so yes absolutely carly i agree with that uh, i i would have but all i noticed when i was taking my models out of the box all my dwarf warriors were from the the olden days so all my dwarf warriors with banners just have banners they don't have shields on them which i kind of like it looks cool but if I was going to make them again or I was going to add new ones, I'd definitely put shields on them. Um, I think it's... I haven't even noticed because almost all my armies have a King's Champion. So the poor Dwarf Warriors with, with banners don't get much play anymore. Mm, yeah, it's a bit it's a bit sad in that regard, but hey, it is what it is. Mm, so I'm going to rate this list very highly. Are we going back to rating systems now? Nope, nope, <laughs> nope. No, not at all. Not at all, oh, but okay. I... Um, but I was gonna, I was gonna, I was gonna give it a rating like something, something silly like four and a half shields out of five or something silly Informal like that. Informal ratings only, please. That's fine. That's fine. Yeah, silly yeah, yeah, ratings yeah. are okay. Silly. Yep. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> absolutely. It was, It outperformed my expectations because I just thought that um, I would get caught out when win enough combats. But basically, I didn't care about losing combats because I just wasn't dying. And when I won the combats, I was causing heaps of damage. So I had one turn where I, I did like seven kills or something ridiculous. But then every other turn, I was just doing a consistent three, four kills, which is absolutely fine for no loss. Consistent so it was, it was just doing, doing three, four kills. That's, that's, that's a little ludicrous, Jeremy. I know. That's I what I mean. 500 to was... consistently get three, four kills a turn. Yeah. Yeah. Well, even well, the Vault Wardens were doing work. The Hearthguard were doing work. Durin, you can rely on to do a kill a turn. Marden basically is a cheerleader. He was waving his stick and, and yelling at people and doing doing occasional kill here and there. He's um he definitely stands out as being not the well, I think he probably would have helped out if I was going on the full kill mode on the the troll, which I didn't get a chance to. But two attacks. Uh he only gets the one attack for using a spear, doesn't he? Because that's what you do mm. for a spear. So um I think that was that was a bit of an eye opener when I did that. I'm like, oh he's just like a vault warden at the back. So he was basically my heroic move caller. So that was, that was his job. And uh, he, he did fine, but I, if, if anything, I could consider swapping him out for a captain to speed my army up, but he, it was fine. It did work. Yeah. There is a bit of a lack of synergy there, isn't there? Cause he, he's got the foe spear, but you don't really want him to be supporting at all. So no, no, yeah, that's a, yeah. But um, yeah, I, I think, you know, he's still a three might, captain level hero and we know how good those are yep so very nice to have on the list oh he's actually um, fine yeah yeah uh kylie i think you have gone with a ranger based list can you talk yes. us through that one? so i combined my two favorite things about dwarfs and that's rangers and floy stonehand so um this is actually a list i took um fairly fairly recently to a tournament uh, that was 500 points, and this is what I came up with, and I did pretty well. I didn't drop a game. I came second overall. I just didn't get a chance to play the winner, so so sad, so bad there. But anyway, my list, my list. All right, so Warband 1, we have Balin, um, the king of Moria, or whatever his title is these days. Uh, we have one dwarf warrior with banner, three Khazad guard, three iron guard, four dwarf rangers with longbow, and four dwarf rangers with throwing axes. In Warband number two, we have Floyd Stonehand, and he is leading four Dwarf Rangers with Longbow, four Dwarf Rangers with Throwing Axes. And finally, in Warband number three, we have, drumroll please, 
a dwarf siege veteran and a dwarf ballista. Mm. Siege okay. veteran. That everyone gets a siege. That's veteran. just the it's, it's just, just the, the guy. Oh, so it's not the upgraded one. one. Okay. It's just no, no, okay. No. I was I was gonna just like flip my my computer at the moment. I thought no, it's surely surely not at five hundred points. You're not paying to upgrade that guy. Okay, so the siege veteran is the the guy that comes with the ballista. Yeah, no, that's 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 fine. Happy with that. Total throwing mm. axes. Uh, I believe it's fourteen. Eight. Ooh. No, twelve. 12. 12 throwing axes at 500 points. Pretty nasty. Pretty nasty. And eight longbows and a ballista. Yep. That's some good range power at 500 points. Absolutely. Mm -hmm. There's not Mm. much that's going to stand well against that. And with your high, you know, relatively high defense compared to the rest of the game on uh, ranged models. Yeah. It's it's going to be tough to outshoot them. Yeah, I think my, yeah. my my favorite part of that tournament when I when I ran this list was taking a shot with the ballista into Warriors of Arnor, um, and my opponent deciding, oh, I'm not gonna let it hit my captain. I'm gonna collateral it onto the, um, sorry, I'm gonna scatter it onto the guy next to the captain, and then I rolled a six on the pushback, and it went through eight total Arnor warriors, <laughs> and I killed five of them. Or something wow. ludicrous. The ballista never hit again for the rest of the game, but it was just that Didn't that that, that like that one shot on like the first or second turn. I just put the fear of God into into my opponent. So he was constantly trying to get stuff behind behind walls, behind line of sight blocking, just so he didn't cop another shot with that ballista. So it, it did its job. It, it it zoned a very large portion of the table and got a handful of kills too. Didn't make his points mm. back, but it didn't need to. Well, I would right, say yeah. that that makes your points back because I know that like Arnold Warriors are, are pretty expensive. Killing five of them, yes, it's not exactly the points, but that that control of the game is worth the points. So this idea of getting points back is is I think a bit of a red herring. It's it's that that forces your opponent to run at you and probably in in a bad position at that point. And once like if you have to run at this army, you you can just play calm. You can make sure that you're not taking any hits with your rangers that you don't need to. You can make sure that when they finally do engage you, they hit Balin, three Kazagard, three Iron Guard, which is a pretty nice front with a banner behind them. So you can hold off against lots. I, I like this one. What I like about it most, Kylie, is that it does have some, some legitimate weaknesses because if a player is really canny and is able to use uh, ways to avoid your shooting and get at you, they can pick you apart. They can go at Dwarf Rangers. They're not they're not invincible. It's not like some of the other dwarf choices, like the, like the Warriors of Shield, where you just go and, and you just rely on it to survive that first combat, that mm. second combat. These guys, if your dwarf rangers are attacked out of position, they might even become heroic combat machines. Like you could, just, like the uh, the opponent just charges into them, kills a couple, charges some more, and can actually cause problems. Yeah, honestly, this this list really surprised me with how um, how tricksy it could be. Because um, in in a couple of these games, like Balin, I would throw out in, in front of my list front of my army with three Kazagard and three Iron Guard on the banner and just get him into a terrain feature and just anchor down and hunker down whilst the rangers, you know, skirted around and did rangery things, which actually proved to be really effective because once you factor in Floy um, and the fact that his ability is, glo- well, not global, but it's line of sight, it doesn't require a range, you can do some really nasty things where you can turn off banners, um, banner effects like bosons or... Uh, Notably, uh, Melbeth save when all of these, you know, Arnold warriors are trying to get at Barlin and he's has a guard and iron guard, and then suddenly I'm turning off these five plus saves, and they're just getting absolutely hammered um, by the dwarves. So it, it can do some funky stuff if you if you really are cluey about where you position your model. Yeah, there's quite a few models that have that um, 
banner effect rather than actually uh, being a banner. So, mm. or, or it's just a special rule. So that's that's pretty handy to be able to stop that sort of thing. Another one that comes to mind, you know, things like the the Golden King of Abracans rule to stop him from stopping you, basically. Yeah, there's there's a few really good ones that that Floy can actually utilize to prevent your opponent from getting a nasty jump on you. I, I actually think it really works well in this list in particular, um, just because in the standard dwarf list, you know, we've talked about how you engage with the enemy and that sort of thing in the Keep It Secret. Um, in this list, you're actually trying to get your en- enemy to engage you. So being able to turn off those uh, abilities that they have to do that at crucial times can be really, really helpful for you. So I can see why you've got Flowey in a ranger list. It, it makes a lot of sense. Mm. Not only that, you've got Barlin to make sure that, that Floy can have potential to have more than three wills. So I like, like I, I've talked about Floy at length, but I think this is a good way to run Floy because you can you can sit there and when you want to go and slay an enemy hero or a monster, which you're definitely going to want to do with your dwarf army. So y- your idea is to, to try and get those. You can get some will points back and just keep that machine going, which is which is a very nice option, and it might end up justifying Balan's points a little bit more. Because Balan's okay, but he's a little bit on the expensive side. But with that, turning everyone into Moria Dwarves so that Floy can get some some back uh, when you slay a model, you're all good. Now, it says every time a friendly Moria Dwarf model slays an enemy hero or monster model, you can do that with shooting as well, can't you, Kylie? It doesn't say you have to do it in combat. Yes, and I have done that multiple times, and it mm. is so satisfying when, you, when your opponent goes, Oh, I thought it didn't work that way, and I'm like, nah, it works that way. Because that's how, for, for those cheapo heroes, like I'm thinking of like Hobbit heroes and Ruffian heroes and the the Lake Town heroes and all those little mini heroes. Oh, anything defends five or less, really. Yeah, yeah. That that's mm. at risk of shooting. If you just bunk it down, shamans, anything like that, you, you're going to be helping your, your machine go mm. really well, but also helping break up theirs because oftentimes they're the kind of um, characters that Floy would go and use the will to block out. So, like, those those little buff characters, shoot them out, and if they get close, use Floyd to shut them down, and, and yeah, then try and beat them up in combat, get Balin to go on an assassination run. Not bad. Well, thanks, Not Kat. bad at all. Yeah, that's right. Pretty all right. Well, well, Second place with it wasn't too bad, but uh, I'll pass the reins over Not too over bad. To... Do better, though. Not, not too bad. Not too bad. Pass the reins over to Maddie. Right. What do you got for us? We'll, we'll move on to, yeah, my, my list that I've got here. So... Um, much like both of you, I've gone with this this pure list that I have here. Uh, my one's 800 points, and I believe it comes in at 42 models. I might need to double-check that, but I think uh, 15, 24, uh, 39, 42, yes, 43 mm-hmm. maybe. Good maths. So yes, uh, I have Durin as the leader, of course, with four Dwarf Warriors with Shield, two Dwarf Warriors with Dwarf Bow, and nine of the Hearth Guard. I've gone with, uh, yeah, half around half of his Warband is the Hearth Guard, so I think a good mm-hmm. number. Uh, we have Marden, three Dwarf Warriors with Shield, two Dwarf Warriors with Dwarf Bow, three Iron Guard, and two Vault Warden teams. So again, I've, I've paired Marden with the Vault Warden teams, much like Jeremy did. Um, I think it's usually a good way to go, because in, in the instance when your opponent does have a troll or some other monster... Uh, it's nice to be able to put him behind one of those and make it a real threat to that monster. It's a bit of a turn, turn, turning of the tables on them. And then in Warband 3, I've got the King's Champion, four Dwarf Warriors with Shield, two Dwarf Warriors with Dwarf Bow, and four more Iron Guard. So, like we discussed, I've got a really good mix of uh, a lot of different troop types in here. And this is a list that I don't think I've run exactly this list, but pretty similar 
Uh, it's it's pretty much what my collection is made up of. I've got a few more Kazard Guard, but I, I don't think you necessarily need to run more. It's not really up to you. It's a personal choice. Uh, you've got the two banners in there for, for really useful um, to spread them out or keep them together if you really need to keep, keep, keep King's Champion alive. Great for so many scenarios. And, yeah, you could really pick enemy forces apart by just using your different warriors in different ways, putting them in the right spot, matching them up, uh, basically creating mismatches with your opponent's line. Um, so I, that's something I really love about Pawps. You've got so many different types. You've got so many shield models that can just sit somewhere and stop things. You've got your Iron Guard that can go in and... and really destroy anything low defense, um, they'll take them out. And you've got the hearth guard that will take out the higher defense, or more elite stuff, and are very survivable as well. And then your vault wooden teams for monsters, obviously. It's a bit of everything. I think it really handles just about any kind of list very well. Yeah, I think it's very much an extension of mine, but with the the very handy dwarf warriors scattered throughout, the dwarf warrior with shield, which I think is... Like, I've talked about this. It's a really, really good model, and it does help the dwarves just work. My main concern with this army is you've got really nothing to speed you up. So Durin, mm. Marden are quite slow. They yeah. like to be together. Mm. King's Champion is pretty slow. So if someone went full avoidance against you, you really what you've got is a handful of dwarf warriors with bow, which helps, absolutely, and a, a decent number of iron guard, which also helps. But we're talking about, like, six missile troops and, and seven throwing weapon troops. For some people they who want to just kite and pick off things, I'm talking about, like, you know, those light cavalry shooty armies like a Rohan or, like, a, a wood elf army or a corsair army or something like that, you might have trouble forcing the engage. But once you do, I think you're absolutely fine. So... You have to do the old school sprint at people and, and force them to, to make a mistake and jump in terrain or just put objective pressure on them to get those points. But yeah, once you do, you're absolutely fine. Um, so I like it. I think it's it's a, it's just a really powerful combination and I think it would absolutely dominate in any of those start in the middle, stay in the middle type scenarios because there's not a lot that can really effectively get through this and on a, on a reliable basis because they've just got so much high defense and in the death ball just just do work yeah i think martin with this is a classic army uh example for swapping martin out for a a um captain or a king the, the march would just be so useful in a list like this just to, to get to where you need to go because really do you need the martin troll bane to and, and then plus one against monsters when you have a Durin, a King's Champion, and a whole bunch of half guard. Like you're not really struggling to to put wounds down. Yep, absolutely right. Yeah, that that march can be clutch in one or two particular scenarios. So definitely could see that being swapped out. I think Marden uh, is a straight swap for a Kingly Shield. Is that right? Uh, just a Maybe King, not. no shield. I think uh, no shield. Okay, yeah, yeah. So there you go. You Which can is do fine. That. Um, or just drop uh, one. Uh, Iron Guard for a regular Dwarf Warrior and chuck a shield on your on your um oh sorry I don't have a banner in this one <laughs> never mind but uh yeah you know there's there's tweaks you can make but Marden for a King definitely a, a good option I think yeah totally or just go a Captain and then you've got another Warrior as well if you want so that that Captain's yeah. fine and as the, well. there's room work. for um three more spots in Duran's Warband as well yeah so, yeah, so you you got some options you've there. got the room there yeah. 
that's my recommendation if this army is not working for you. So if you're playing an army like this, which I know a lot of people do, I've seen this like rough combination, not exactly, but this idea of Durin and a bunch of Hearthguard and Warriors and that sort of stuff. If it's not working for you, I think that's the first change I'll make and just try to, to use that those might to just push into people's face. Because once it's in someone's face, they have to deal with all these, these Warriors and the Hearthguard and the Durin and, and that... That causes problems because then you're suddenly reacting. Yeah, and also whether or not you do take the march, one thing that it's really good to get practice in with this kind of list is actually playing really fast. So if you're moving yeah. your models really quickly, a lot of the time um, this will actually put your opponent under pressure because they're thinking, "Oh God, I have to, I have to play at the same tempo." Um, my opponent's moving at this speed, I have to move at the same speed. Uh, you'll find that happens all the time, even when it, it shouldn't necessarily be happening for that player. They should be thinking a bit more about it. But um, it, that can create mistakes. That can cause them to make mistakes. And for you, moving quickly is probably not going to be as problematic as it is for them, because you're dwarves. You, you're very forgiving if you do maybe not move into the best spot. As long as you're careful with your heroes, the rest of your warriors can pretty much handle anything. So moving, just literally physically moving your army a bit quicker can be a, a genuinely good tactic with dwarves. Not only that, you really want to get as many turns as possible because you're probably going to have models alive at the end of the game. So with the dwarves, I find that oftentimes you're objective hunting when your opponent's on that edge of 25%. So if you move fast, you've got time in your game to make sure you can go and get those. If you don't, you have to wait a long time, and that can that can be a problem as well because if you get just stuck and the opponent's able to jump on objectives and the time runs out if you're playing a timed game, uh, you can end up with a sad result for you. Mm. Well, one thing that's interesting is that with this, uh, it's not this exact combination. I used to swap out Durin for the old school Dane that I don't think a profile exists for anymore. Um, or maybe, no, they do have like a fourth age... No, no, third age, late third age Dane now, do they? Maybe. Anyway, yep. whatever. He There used to be an old Dane, and I would have him in this list. I thought he was fantastic. He was only fight five, which a lot of people, put a lot of people off, but I thought he was very, very good. And in that particular list, um, I never lost a game of Reconnoiter. Never. Which you, you think, wow, dwarves? What? How do they never lose Reconnoiter? You just, just don't spread play. out, and you just and you just don't play the scenario. You just beat your opponent's army. Um, <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. They 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 always make mistakes trying to get past you, and you just knock them out. Uh, it's, it was one of the funniest things ever. People would always say to me, "How how do you win Reconnoiter with this list?" I'm like, "Yeah, I just don't play Reconnoiter when I play Reconnoiter." <laughs> yeah, because you can get the points for the kills and the breaking, and if anyone tries to to Reconnoiter, you've got enough warriors to go and intercept them and just smash them over the head. So yeah, yeah, exactly yeah. right. Fair call. An iron wall of dwarves. Running at you across the yeah. table. Scary. It's right. It's you can't avoid all of them. Yeah, <laughs> it's right. not going to happen. Um, all right. So, Jeremy, let's move on to your second list that you got for us. Okay. So now I'm I'm going to up the ante here. I'm going to up to six fifty points. I know you got to eight hundred, Matt, but but calm down, calm down. <laughs> and, but I'm going to start bringing some alliances because I feel like if we keep doing pure dwarf lists, we're going to get to a pretty similar theme. Like there's really a, as Kylie's sort of list where you go ranger heavy or the the Warrior heavy or elite heavy. You pretty much have to choose one of the others. So I've gone something slightly different. So for 650, I'm, I'm trying to take some different heroes as well because we've heard, we've heard about Balin and we've heard about Durin. Let's go for a Dwarf King with throwing axes. I really like the throwing axes. You get two options for the Dwarf King, just the throwing axes or the two-handed axe. I find that I rarely use the two-handed axe because uh, I want to maintain his two attacks and fight six and, and try to win combats with him. So I find I get consistent use out of throwing axes. It's just an extra dice to throw. It's something to make the opponent think. I think it's, it's a good purchase. So Dwarf King with throwing axes is going to be my 
well, leading my dwarf contingent, but he's only the hero of Valor, so we'll get to that in a bit later. I've got six dwarf warriors with shield, very handy. Six dwarf warriors with dwarf bow for some some shooting niceness. Three Khazad guard because it's just so hard to leave home without Khazad guard. They just they just do so much. And in warband two, I've got a dwarf captain with shield. So I'm going I'm going all in on the march with these guys. Dwarf captain with shield, pretty reliable, good tank. He basically runs into a hero. I just want to want to waste time killing. Take some time to kill this dwarf captain. He's he's tough. Four dwarf warriors of shield, one dwarf warrior with banner. So here's my banner. And one Khazad guard because he needs a guardian as well. He can't just be fighting things on his own. And then Warband 3, I've I've taken a leaf out of Kylie's book and gone for the Ballista team. So no upgrades, just the, the Siege veteran leading this Ballista because I wanted to get some some shooting threat because nothing nothing helps dwarves like something that's just oh, going to dominate the battlefield in shooting. And my allies, the allies. Okay, so let's go. Let's do this. So I've got from Thrandall's Halls or whatever that list is called now, I've got Legolas on horse because I wanted some cavalry. And why not make it Legolas? Because you know how much he likes dwarves. Why not? And then I've got uh, four Mirkwood cavalry with shield, just keeping for that cavalry theme, and two Wood Elf Sentinels. So these uh, add a very different feel to the dwarf list. So suddenly I've got I've got the Ballista. I've got a decent amount of Dwarf Warriors with shooting. I've got Legolas with his bow that can stand back and cause all kinds of problems. And then Sentinels, which can play Disrupt. And, and the Sentinel-Dwarf combination can be very, very annoying because last thing you want some models to be pulled around then Dwarfs to go and jump out, attack them, heroic combat, and then start moving. So it's it's a bit of a different army. 32 points, not huge, but it's got a bit of interesting stuff there. What do you think, Matt? Yeah, I, I love the fact that your uh, allies that you've brought in are, are attempting to fix a weakness in the list that you've you know pinpointed which is you know getting into combat right so those guys are going to be able to get around the flanks and do damage on on a, on a side where the dwarves can't necessarily get to and also get through forests i believe they have fleet foot right I, i'm actually mm. not sure about mercury cav um and then you've got the two sentinels to bring stuff into play for you so yeah ma- massive absolutely huge i i love that as as sort of a theme of your allies um, one thing I am concerned about is that you've got the smaller warband with the dwarf captain. Yeah, true. And I think there are still some scenarios where, you know, you could potentially have an isolated warband, and that one uh, strikes me especially with the banner there as something I would target and just try and wipe out if it does get isolated. So, mm. um, in a scenario like that, yep, that could be a bit of a worry. In, in a pitch battle scenario, obviously, it doesn't really matter. And, you know, especially also because you've got the Ballista as well, so you could potentially have multiple isolated warbands and, again, the smaller warband with Legolas. So you've kind of got that one big warband and then three that could potentially be uh, a little bit vulnerable. That That's how I'm seeing that. So I'd probably just just um, balance out the warrior numbers between warbands one and two there with the king and the captain. I, I, I think like would it. be the way to go. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, I just just take two shield guys and two bowmen out of the the king one and throw them into the captain warband. So I've got like eleven and ten models. That works much better. Yeah, yeah, I think that's probably the the call. Yeah, mm, Kylie. Hmm. I don't know. I'm th- I'm staring at this list, and I don't, I don't mind. I like the idea that you've gone with, but the thing that I keep getting hung up on is, would it be better to go Lothlorien or uh, Rivendell in place of the Halls of Thranduil, would you get anything more out of it from the Galadrim or the High Elves? And I think you may may be able to get a bit more out of the um, out of the Rivendell just with having um, cavalry with lances. 
arc could be very, very, very nasty. Um, there, I, I don't Who, know. Who's the hero? Who's yeah. the hero that you're bringing along there, though? Oh, yeah, there's no one that cheap, is there? That's well, the that's, issue. That's, then again, yeah. Legolas isn't that cheap. I suppose you could probably go, I don't know, maybe a, a, a Glorfindel or something like that, but then you pro- you're probably losing the Sentinels in that regard. Yeah, true. That, yeah. That, yeah. Galadrim, you're only getting Haldir, and you wouldn't have another cavalry hero too. So yeah, I can see where you're going with Jeremy. Yeah, no, and that that's my justification in that like I wanted some cavalry and the sentinels were just like, ooh, I would take those. They're they're yeah, tasty. I'm, surpri- I'm surprised you didn't go with the mm. third sentinel in there. You could have cheated a third sentinel into that list. Oh absolutely I could have. But I'd I'm I'm happy with the numbers. I think if I drop down too far below thirty two, they can start picking off, as Matt said, isolated warbands and things. So I guess if I drop the the blister, I could definitely tank up some warbands, add some more cavalry and some, another sentinel, or I could I could play around the points pretty well to do that. But I like the the Thrandall's halls because Legolas is pretty decent value. Like he's just over that hundred point mark for a cavalry hero that's got really significant shooting. And I think that's all I need to, to really put some serious pressure on. The Merkwood Cavalry are really good value cavalry. The The problem with the Rivendell ones is that uh, they've got the bow and you can't get rid of it. So they take up that third uh, bow. So oh, you could yeah. end up with so some foot locked, guys as well. You'd be locked into yeah. Alrond at that point. Yeah. yeah, and Alrond's a bucket load of points. So this is the budget option. I thought about Lothlorien as well, but I, I thought... I think this is really um, effective in that I've just taken the stuff I want. Like, I haven't gone for really any uh, front-to-back infantry for the elves. I've just gone, right, I want cavalry because Legolas and the cavalry can go dance around and do all the objectives. Like, no problems whatsoever. And the sentinels can just play disrupt, and the dwarves can just be dwarves and just tank on something and hold up the enemy for as long as they want to. So I... I I get what you're saying. Um, I don't use a lot of allies with dwarves, so I was trying to theorize what I could do, and I think this is probably what I would consider. That that blister is the part that I'd probably consider dropping if I was going to drop anything. Yeah, because it's, I, I um, agree with that. It's, it's a nice little luxury, but I think it's exactly that. I don't think it's key, especially with Legolas around. I don't need the blister to force the, the shooting, so I could definitely drop that for like another Sentinel, another couple cavalry. That would work really nicely. Or mm-hmm. some more dwarves and just bulk up the warbands a bit, a couple Khazad Guard, whatever. But uh, I think it's a, an interesting one. A 650, 32 models is not terrible. It's got all the tools to deal with big stuff and small stuff. Like if something big comes along, the Blister and Legolas and some of the other stuff can deal with it. It's it's not the most effective heroes, but it's definitely not yeah. not lacking. The only thing you're kind of really scared of is the kind of... Uh, like, the big heroes you can deal with, like, your goth monks, your Boromirs, and stuff like that. Like, you do have Legolas and Strike, and you have some some Sentinels to push trolls around. But I think the big-end heroes, like, dragons, drakes, you know, those mm. big, meaty, you know, six-plus wounds, like, you know, big stack of wounds, big stack of fight and strength. And I think this list will struggle a bit, but... Aside from that, I'm lacking in the strike, so Legolas is the only yeah. one sitting there upping his fight values. So that's yeah. that's that can be taken out. I think I would hope to to scare off with the the Sentinels, the Blister, and and Legolas. But you're right that that's a bit lacking, especially Legolas is not the most reliable fighter. It's, it doesn't have enough attacks to be like killing everything. So if it came to a hero versus hero off, I think I would be a little bit concerned. Yeah, unless Legolas had help. But he's on horse, so getting that base into an enemy model with help can be a bit tricky. Oh, he might have to dismount. Yeah. Then again, you do have the Sentinels to create some space, so... Yeah, exactly. You're not out of exactly. options. It's not There's a... definitely options there, yeah. but it's yeah, it's not a... Maybe not... I, I just love the idea of, of the theme. I think getting rid of the Ballista is probably the way to go, and, and 
going more into the elves. I, I think that would be uh, just just more balanced out, just more um, reliable, I guess. Yeah. yeah. I feel like with the smaller model count, the, yeah, it's not, as you said, it's not terrible model count, but definitely bolstering it up a bit would probably be uh, the way to go. Yeah. Yeah, it gives, it gives us something to think about. And look, I would I would be over the moon about dropping the ballista for another couple uh, Merkwood Cavalry and, and a Sentinel mm. if I can fit it. Yeah, you can actually, can't you? Yes. Yeah, I think so. so yeah. That would be that would be gold standard for me. If I can get six Merkwood Cav and three Sentinels, hey, I, I'm laughing now. I don't need the ballista. I can do whatever I want. But it's that's also a huge amount of resources for people to put together as well. So uh, yeah, I think true. I think it's an interesting choice. Um, I would ne- not be lacking for speed or marching in this army, which is interesting. It's unlike all the other dwarf armies we've seen. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Hmm. Yeah, it's definitely the fastest one we've looked at so far. Yeah, yeah absolutely, absolutely. Cool, cool, cool. Kyle, is it your turn now? Yes, well, I'm about to, uh, well, put on my speedy Gonzalez shoes and absolutely blow uh, your list out of the water, Jeremy, in terms of speed, because I have, I think two marches in my uh my bigger uh list that i've cobbled together and some sneaky uh speed up her combats with shield bearer so this is what i like to call my no it's not fast calm down it's faster than yours <laughs> no I've, I've got buddy cavalry that disqualifies you from you know the 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 speed dwarfs Read your, read your damn list, Kylie, and Just stop go. making ridiculous claims. <laughs> so this is this is what I like to call um, uh, the vanilla dwarf list. So no named no named heroes because I did say I was going to write a list with no named heroes that was quite fun and effective. So this is mm. based off a Gimli old a Gimli list that I used to run ages ago and just swapped Gimli out for the king. Speaking of, that is Warband number one is a dwarf king with throwing weapons and a two handed axe. Uh, he is leading three Khazar Guard, five Dwarf Rangers with Dwarf Longbow, three Dwarf Rangers with Throwing Axes, and three Dwarf Rangers with Throwing Axes and Two-Handed Weapons. In Warband number two, we have a Dwarf Captain with Throwing Axes and Shield, five Dwarf Rangers with uh, Longbow, three Dwarf Rangers with Throwing Axes, and three Dwarf Rangers with Throwing Axes and Two-Handed Axe. In Warband three, we have a King's Champion and eight Iron Guard. And in Warband number four, we have a Shield Bearer with two dwarf ranges with throwing axes and another two dwarf ranges with throwing axes and two-handed axe 750 all mm. up no mm. named heroes but can still pack a punch you love this dwarf ranger theme i think more than anyone in the world you, you're all about the dwarf Absolutely. rangers and uh, <laughs> honestly if i looked at this and it wasn't you running it kylie i'd be going yeah looks looks all right looks okay not amazing but i've seen what you can do with it and it it, it can be an ultimate frustrating list because like you've had a lot of experience running the the avoidance list with the, the like the light armies like the corsairs and wood elves and this sort of stuff and the dwarfs the the resilience is actually there it, it's okay so you can you can hmm. cause all kinds of problems with that 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 sneaky eight iron guard is just does work doesn't it yeah that eight iron guard behind um a king's champion and his banners is oh it's one of my favorite things is like people are like finally like Oh yes, I finally closed in on the dwarves. I finally got into them, you know, dealt with all their peppering and their shooting that they've been throwing at me, and now I have to deal with the King's Champion 8 Iron Guard. Because that's what you do with the <laughs> yep. King's Champion. You, you, you basically just plonk the Iron Guard behind him, keep him in full defense form- formation, never use his um, might to call anything before uh, before combat is joined, and suddenly suddenly your opponent is not looking too cash hot to like just plow through your lines. And you have so many two-handed axes in this list, um, mostly just for you to go for opportunities um, at hitting um, big heroes. Because if you if a big hero goes in and they're you know in a, a three on one or two on one or whatever, just throw a two handed axe strike in there. You know, two handed piercing, 
occasionally you win a couple and you're able to knock off a wound or knock off a horse or something like that it can be really frustrating for your opponent especially when later on you bring in like a fight six dwarf king or a king's champion strike up and then you can get the kill in there nice and easy mm. uh question how do you like to position the shield bearer usually usually the shield bearer will kind of hard to explain i usually try and run the dwarf king out on the flank and the dwarf captain is usually the guy that's in the center of the list holding everything together. The, the king's trying to be opportunistic because he's worth points and because he has the throwing axes as well. He can do a little, a little bit more like skirmishy type op- operations and kind of trying to get in on the corners of, of battle lines and get the shield bearer to keep flinging more dwarf rangers around and getting the, getting the wrap and surround on, on your opponent's force. That's primarily what i try and um do with this it was a lot better when i had gimli to play with instead of a dwarf king mm-hmm. but you know <laughs> that's 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 neither here nor there um dwarf king will just work just as fine i in fact i played this a couple of weekends ago and it it, it absolutely still ruffle stomps mm. yeah i look i don't mind the king's champ i'm oh, sorry the king's champ the shield bearers also does work with, just with the shield because you don't have a lot of shields there sometimes you need something just to be able to to tank so having having that one mix in with those iron guard is just that first wave of receiver charge models uh, pretty decent mm-hmm. it, it's hard to get through a shield bearer and you've also got the captain there with the shield as well so you can you can do that little almost micro warband that, that's like okay you can only engage six models yeah. here it is it's a king's champion it's a shield bearer it's a dwarf captain and a bunch of iron guard and all the ones you don't reach are going to throw throwing weapons at you and start hitting you in the sides that that causes yeah. problems and that's that's what the list do because that's one of the th- things that um people it doesn't quite twig straight up they think oh dwarf rangers and iron guard it's 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 nice and squishy and then they get into combat and realize oh wait but every single hero's defense eight or higher oh and they're the ones in the front tanking two models at a time mm. you know you can lock down a good eight models prevent your opponent really getting that abuse and then you just stack on with the dwarves who if you've played the list correctly have whittled down your opponent's army because when you get into that six inch range oh my god the throwing weapons just unloading there's been a time where i've picked up a dice with just about every single model in this army thrown it on a shooting turn when i've been moderately flat-footed and just taken off you know five six guys and my opponent's like oh my god i was not expecting to lose that many guys before i went into combat and they're usually mm. frontline troops too so their squishy spears are all vulnerable it actually blows me away that you have 43 models yeah, at 750 yeah. <laughs> points in terms of dwarves like yeah. that's that's huge it's a lot, it's a lot. yeah yeah this this to me is actually my favorite of the list so far. It's like it's not this the the I think the number one way to play dwarves. I think that's with lots of shields and that sort of stuff. But this one, I think that the fact that you've committed to the no named heroes is just upping the power level because that's right. You have got the forty three models, which is plenty. You've got constant pressure from pretty much every model in the list. Almost everything here has got some sort of shooting weapon. I know there's a handful that doesn't, but there's, but there's most a grand of it does. total of six models in this army that don't have shooting weapons. And that's the three Kazakh Guard and the King Champion and um, his shields. Sorry, seven. Yes. There's also a shield bearer. Everything else yeah, is so, a range weapon. So basically, you've got you've got 30-plus shots if you need to just to be causing damage. Something's going to be doing some damage. So if I'm taking on this army, like I'm probably going to end up engaging you when I'm suddenly down either equal or below your numbers. And I, that's... That's a worrying for me because even Dwarf Rangers, they have a good enough fight value that they're winning a lot of their fights. They they don't care about engaging. They're more than happy to, if I don't engage them, to just sit back an inch away and just throw a weapon or shoot a bow. So I have to actually go hard at engaging them. And once I do, they start just wrapping around and start getting some traps and things. So it's 
it, it seems to be frustrating to play against. And, and I have, have played against it. It is challenging to play against. And you're right. It's that those unassuming heroes. Like, you, you look at a Dwarf King, you look at a Captain, you look at a King's Champion, a Shield Bearer, and you think, I can take out these heroes. And you probably can take out one of them pretty well. You probably can get your big hero in, take out the first one. But can you take out three more? And while the rest of the army is just operating at full speed and constantly peppering if you don't engage them and then forcing you away because because you have to engage them, they just keep pulling back, pulling back, and you overcommit. And then they wrap around and, and engage you and, and start ripping up your flanks. It's Yeah, it, it's really nice. And it, it doesn't play like your typical dwarf army, but I think it's actually one of the stronger builds. And it's one of the unique builds that you can't do with the other dwarves. I guess the uh, the eye... Not what the... What are the... Um, the throwing weapons in the the Iron Hills list, not the Iron Hills list. The um, uh, the I know the ones you, they have the 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 pitch. Yeah, grim, the grim, hammers. grim hammers. There we go. Yeah, it's it's almost like a grim hammer type play, but you've probably got more flexible heroes in it, and you've got definitely more options in terms of the army there, and and much longer range. So it's quite an effective list. And, and a bit of a surprise. And I really like that it is because Dwarf Rangers, we really don't see that much. Yeah, no, you don't. And that's part of the reason why I wrote this list too. And one of the things I will uh, make uh, a quick caveat with um, to let players know kind of one of the big things you need to do with this list on a macro level is you need to target out your opponent's like big scary combat troops. So what I mean by that is say you're up against a, um, uh, I don't know, hypothetically you're up against a mortar army and they've got a whole bunch of, you know, orcs, except they've got this nice, big, juicy block of Blackguard. You know, the, the Blackguard mm. of Baradur and the Captain in there as well. All you're shooting, even though it can be fives to wound at the um, Orc Warriors in some cases, forget about it. Just every single shot you can possibly muster goes into those Blackguard. And just watch as your opponent's face drops when you knock out three quarters to, to two thirds of those Blackguards, you know, eight to nine of them before combat and then they realize once they hit combat that they are completely outmatched because they've got 35 orc warriors versus your 40 odd dwarves and that was exactly can't... our game Kyle you're talking about <laughs> you, you, damn it you've worked out trash talk that was me and I was disheartened because I lost all my damn black guard they were going to rip you apart and, well, and it doesn't it doesn't help that you just roll sixes at every opportunity and just wound constantly meaning <laughs> Well, you did say I had to get more creative and more subtle with my trash talk, Jeremy. So I thought I'd slip that one in there. It took me halfway through your speech to realize that you're talking about a game against me and rubbing it in. Well done. Well played. Very nice. I I was thinking of um, a very similar game that you and I played, Kylie, when I started targeting your um, Dolomroth Knights. Same principle. I think it was a completely different list. But yeah, it's a good point. Take out the stuff that is actually going to beat you in combat. And then when combat finally joins, but you don't have to worry about it, do you? So, yeah, always target that sort of thing, I think. Um, un- unless you genuinely believe you can break your opponent through shooting, which is very rare. It's not going to happen often. Well, get them close enough to the point where you think in the first round of combat you can you can get them over the edge. Yeah. Mm. Cool. Okay, um, I'm going to move on to my th- uh, second list. So, I've also gone in on the ally route because I think we've had enough of just dwarves. Uh, and let's see what, I, what I've thrown in here. So I've started off with uh, a Dwarf King with throwing axes. So I've taken a leaf from, from your advice already, Jeremy, and gone for that march in there, which mm-hmm. I think will be pretty handy. Uh, six Dwarf Warriors with shield. I do love the shield, guys. I think um, we, we we really talked them up earlier, and I think we probably haven't been running them as much as we talk them up. But, um, yep, yeah, six of them in this Warband. Three more Dwarf Warriors with Dwarf Bows. 
One Dwarf Warrior with a banner. Again, like Jeremy, no shield on this guy. Uh, two Iron Guard also, just as a little sprinkle of flavor in there. And uh, with him, he has a Shield Bearer. Again, I'm doing the Speedy Dwarf Strat, like Kylie suggested earlier. Two Dwarf Warriors with Shield, two Dwarf Warriors with Dwarf Bow, and two Iron Guard in that Warband. So that's a total of 20 models there. And you're thinking, Matt, what is this? This this looks like absolute rubbish. You've got nothing good here. There's no real interest. We've all talked about all this before. Two Eagles! We've got Gwai here and a Great Eagle. Two Eagles! Get him in there. We've got a bit of speed. Real speed here. You guys were talking about how fast you are. No, my eagles will outspeed you. And they're going to fly rings around the opponent and hurl stuff everywhere. And then the uh, the anvil of the dwarves will come in and uh, they will crash into them. And the hammer of the eagles will hammer away. I'm so excited. I want to run this list. Uh, I've always wanted to do uh, eagles and dwarves and I've never really got the chance to do it. So I think this is something that I want to run fairly soon. It may not be this exact list, but what do you guys think? Is this how something that piques your interest? How many points? Oh, yeah, this was uh, 600 points. Oh, okay. No, oh, that's, wow. that's yeah, fine. Yeah, for, that, yeah, for that's, 600. yeah, that's much yeah. more manageable for the Eagles. Yep, yep. So two Eagles at 600, yeah, I figured, yeah. could take out just about anything. And yeah, 22 models total. So obviously on the low side, as you'd expect, but... um. Yeah, I think uh, pretty pretty nasty. You guys were expecting more eagles, huh? No, uh, I was. Maybe a I was almost points. expecting more dwarves because it, it looked oh, okay. on the, yeah. the the low end of the dwarves. But at six hundred points, that's I think that's enough, guys. That you you've got uh, good work, and I think having less guys sometimes is an advantage when you're playing with eagles because it means mm-hmm. you don't have to make these big walls. And there's nothing worse than when you've got the eagles or you've got something, and then your opponent uses your own army as the anti flyer formation. So they go and basically clog up one side of the board so you can't get your eagles in. And then the other side of the board, they just have to, to make sure that they've got stuff to stop you. Or, or, yeah. or they, they drag your eagles in, then go and kill them. I think think this is a good way of doing it because you can go almost a skirmish formation with these dwarves and then just, just bait people. And then, then the eagles jump in, be opportunistic, uh, usually play some disrupt. Like the first first thing with the eagles is often just a, a couple of hurls just to break up lines, and then the dwarves clean that up afterwards. And then the eagles jump somewhere else and do do a similar thing. Um, I've had great fun with the eagles just hurling models into other models just to slow them down, and then just entirely repositioning, jumping somewhere else, and, and just frustrating my opponent because now they have to take double the time to get from one side to the other. And you've got enough dwarves to put the pressure on. Uh, once again, you've got the... Not the non-threatening heroes, but no strikey heroes. So your eagles are doing the work for killing big things. So that's probably my only concern here is Aguahi is going to have to come and, and help out or the eagles are going to come help, help out. Or at least the eagles are just going to have to throw things at them and knock them over so you can just avoid. Yep, that's absolutely right. The The strategy here is Aguahi and the eagle will um, knock stuff down. You use the iron guard and the heroes to really take advantage of that then. Mm. So really, if, you, if you're hurling, you should be aiming to do it in front of those guys. Uh, and then, yeah, get get them on the ground trapped. And then the rest of the list, so the, the eight dwarf shields in particular, uh, are really about just shielding off and, and making sure that you don't um, get outnumbered too badly. So slowing your opponent down while you do that work with the eagles and with the, the other heroes. So, yeah, I, I think at 622 models, probably it would work. You know, I think if you're going to go up to a higher points level, you don't actually go with another eagle. You, you throw more dwarves in. I think you upgrade the shield bearer to uh, something else and, and throw more warriors in so that uh, you, you keep those numbers, you keep that advantage that the eagles can then work around. 
Hmm. Uh, one of the things I absolutely love about the Eagles is that they, they can still lean into the, the Dwarves' bulkiness, um, being defense 8 and 3 wounds. So you can kind of switch switch yourself up to a, like a defensive formation, holding out space for the Eagles, and buy time for the Dwarves to catch up, or, and, or, or even just, you know, flip the script, you know, change which side you're fighting on, and then using the Eagles as an anchor point, kind of similarly to how you would use Treebeard in uh, your army, Jeremy. So, I haven't said my army yet. Calm down. Well, this is a great segue then. <laughs> okay, yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> so, Kylie, on that, let me introduce my army, and then you can say exactly the same tactic for it. So I feel like I've got the upgrade, well, one upgraded version of Matt's army, because it's, it's a pretty similar idea, Matt. I think it's a, a great minds think alike type situation. Mm-hmm. I've gone for a dwarf army, and I've included an ally, because I think it would be boring at this point to have just all dwarf armies in the same way that you do, in the same way that I did. I think we've said that a few times now. I've mm-hmm. gone for a dwarf king with throwing axes, once again learning from myself. I've got eight dwarf warriors with shield, three Kazakh guard, and two vault warden teams. So two vault warden teams, I really, really... I like I like these guys just because it, it just frustrates your opponent's monsters. It just Especially those monster heroes, you just throw them a vault warden team and, and let them deal with it, and you can hold them up for a turn. I've got a King's Champion because I've gone to the dark side now, and, and the King's Champion is just, just gold. He, he does everything the Dwarfs, doesn't he? He's got the strike, he's got the tank, he's got the banners. He, he does, does so much absolute work. Absolute MVP. Yeah, sure. yeah, absolute champion. And I've got eight Dwarf Warriors with bow, so mirroring my shields there. I've got eight with bow because I, I really love these bowmen, even as front rank troops, because defense six is fine. It's absolutely fine. I don't have to worry about it too much. And the bow just, just gets my opponent thinking. And two Kazakh Guards because why not? Got to have some Kazakh Guard. And my ally contingent here, this is uh, partly for tactics, and partly because there's a single model here that I have to motivate myself to paint up, and I want to try this list. I've got Treebeard, which I've got the new one done. Love the model. Got really, really happy with it. And I've got, for my second Ent, I've gone for Quick Beam, because I needed something fast. And Quick Beam's sneaky fast. Quick Beam's got March. Quick Beam's got uh, a move of eight. So Quick Beam can definitely, almost not the eagle roll, but can play a, almost like a cavalry role, essentially, on the flank or, or right up the middle doing the, the tank for a while because cause Quick Beam has still got defense eight and three wounds, so it can do that tank move that, that Kylie was talking about. So I've got the two ends. I can also throw stones with them and help out my, my bowmen if I really want. But I've got some options here. I, I really like these these ant models, and, and I, we haven't had a chance to talk about them, so this is my sneaky chance to talk about them. They, they are a massive amount of points in here. So I've only got 31 models at 800 points, but... I feel like it's going to be be hard work to get through two ends and then like a king's champion a dwarf king once again all defense eight heroes is going to going to cause problems. Really interesting. I I was just thinking we hadn't had any real like go all out with the bows sort of situation, and I think this is the right time to do it. I think it, it works well in this list. Like it's it's going to be really tough for your opponent to sort of deal with like the bows holding off one lane of air, of entry to your list. And then probably Ents threatening elsewhere as well. Like, I could see that being particularly tough. Yeah, I wouldn't want to... I don't think I'd want to fight this at 800 with the sort of stuff that I tend to use. I think it would be pretty nasty. <laughs> but yeah, I, I still don't know how much you're going to be able to get out of the Ents. I think Ents and Dwarves together is kind of... It, it's tricky. It's tricky to use. How would you use this, Kylie? Oh, it's... Because <sighs> my, my first instinct is to is to run it like how I ran... Um... Treebeard and the Wozes as like a shepherding force and then the dwarves picking off stuff. But they're dwarves. They're, they're a lot more hardier than, nah, than, than they're, mere Wozes. So they're just playing peel on the Ents so the Ents don't get trapped. That's all they're doing. Mm. Like you put a couple of Vault Wardens around the Ents. 
imagine a line of King's Champion with two Ents flanking the King's Champion using that banner effect, and then a Vault Warden on either side of that as a spearhead. Yeah, that's that's mm, yeah, yeah, that's 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 the way to go. That that is definitely the way to go, Jeremy. Because like one of the things that I love about Ents too is that they do have the 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 flat footed stand and shoot with the stones. And because you got eight dwarf warriors with bow in there, you could seriously threaten some people to come at you. So I think it's all about finding a good spot to fight and then anchoring in that in that spot for all it's worth. And then you know just out grinding your opponent because there isn't much in the game that's going to be able to out grind two ants and a king's champion. Yeah, because they can just grind. They've got enough might that that if things go really bad, I can fix it. They've got all the banner rerolls that they need. And when when they lose combats, it's Unless it's something really, really threatening that's got some super wounding ability, I'm sitting there at defense eight or nine. Like I'm not not really worried about it at all. And yeah, so Vault Warden's are, are like the ultimate flank is there as well. So if I get that in a in a roughly defended area where I've got some terrain to hold up the sides of the, the Vault Wardens, the rest of my dwarf can just play games running around and getting where they need to be and causing causing havoc because that that's just gonna grind through. I'm just gonna be killing models pretty much every turn. I could disrupt with some hurls or barges, I can do some some other power attacks, like a bludgeon, which is always a fun attack. There's, there's some good stuff there. And if people want to avoid me, I'll just pick up some big stones and throw it at their best hero. I do love a good ent stone throw. Those are always the best. <laughs> the best way to take out stuff. You learn pretty quickly like, about them, don't you? They, they do yeah, you do. you do. I think one yeah. of my favorite things with the ant like, throw stone is when you hit a mounted hero and um, you, you, hit the, you hit, the, hit the rider and there's that small moment of like, oh, damn, I really wanted to hit the horse. And then you realize, wait, hang on. A wounded rider on a three plus. Roll. Pop. There goes a wound off Boromir. Pop. There goes a wound off Gothmog. Yeah, no. It, yeah, it, it's super nasty. It just incentivizes them to get into combat, and they don't necessarily want to because there's like someone like an an Azor would cause problems with me because Azor can definitely take down these ends. But a mm. lot of other heroes will have trouble taking them down. They'll have to have some lucky rolls to spend some resources, and I, I feel like. Having the Vault Wardens, the King's Champion, I've got like literally ultimate peel. Like if you if you want to protect it, those guys don't care. Vault Wardens or King's Champions can go into a hitty hero and just tank them. They're absolutely fine doing that. So that I think that that works really well. Treebeard as the leader is nice because he just holds points really well. It's hard to take wounds off Treebeard. So I I, I think it's probably once again not going to be a world beater, but I think it's going to be really fun and potentially fun for my opponent as well because it's something a little bit different. Yes, yes, I, I definitely mm-hmm. agree. And, and, sure. and I think as well you could definitely afford to to, to just run Treebeard as well at a little bit lower oh, points too. Hundred percent. Yeah, and and I think you'll just get as just as much joy out of uh, that kind of a list. But, but I need to paint my quick beam. It's in like ten thousand forge wood pieces. I need to put it what, together. What, um, what heroic tier is Quick Beam? He's Valor. He's only only Fortitude, oh, so you fortitude. can't do the allies. Ah, that's annoying. Yeah, yeah, yeah it is. It's, it's really, really frustrating because they've gone, yeah. okay, cool, we've got some new hero Ents. Uh, with the ally rules, you can't ally them in pretty much anything. Basically impossible to play them with anything, yeah. Damn, yeah, that's, that's it's, frustrating as, yeah. It's one of they those... either had to go Valor, Valor or they had to go Independent, I guess. Yeah. And, and yeah, and make it... Well, actually, no, that wouldn't help either. They had to go Valor. It's unfortunate that they've done that. I don't see why at least Beachbone is in Valor. Like, there should be one Valor in there. Yeah, yeah. Ah, uh, well, what are you going to do? Uh, but I do have... I'm going to complain. That's what I'm going to do. That's what I do. <laughs> that is <laughs> what you do, Jeremy. I'm going to complain to whoever's it. listening. Yeah. You do it very well. Oh, I've got one more list. One more list. One last allied contingents. But, you know, I still, I still love my dwarves. 
So I'm only going to bring dwarves in my allied contingent. So for Warband 1, we have a King's Champion with 5 Dwarf Warriors with Dwarf Bow. And 5 Khazad Guard. And in Warband number 2, we have a Shield Bearer with 5 Dwarf Warriors with Shield and a single Iron Guard just to kind of help round out points. And finally, in Warband 3, we have Moon and Dra coming all up. Nice wrapped little bow for 500 points. Little cute little list that you can just kind of slap together. 22 models and, you know, play it on a Saturday afternoon and, you know, absolutely have some fun with the fact uh, that Murin can be your leader in this list. That's a ton of might. That's, yep. a, that's a lot of might for 500 points. Um, not a lot of models, but, you know, those heroes are going to put in some work, you'd imagine. Do either of Murin and Dra have March? Uh, nope. No, okay, well... But you got two-shot Dra, you got two-shot Dra and five Dwarf Bows. I'm not That's too worried right, about yeah. it. D- did they ever fix Dra's shoot value, or is he still no. four plus? I say fixed, no. but... No. Okay, <laughs> he's an expert shot, but not as good as any elf or many other heroes. Which, yeah. as it should be. As it should be. <laughs> Which, yeah, and it's, he's not as he's not as good as a regular dwarf ranger. Well, that's that's, that's not yeah, the card, that's not the cardinal yeah. sin that I I took away from all of that. It's 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 two things. One, they didn't give Moon and Dra either of them their um their their special rule where they could turn dwarf rangers into the blue mountain dwarves that have strength four. Yeah, yeah that yeah, was yeah, really yeah. sad because that that was like a core part of my strategy back in back in the day was running yeah. strength four. Rangers. I remember those. Yeah, they were so yeah. good. And, um, very powerful. In a similar vein, how does Mirindra, like two of the most well traveled dwarves in Middle Earth, not have any special rule regarding. Allegedly. Allegedly. One of the two most well traveled dwarves. I don't see any proof of it. Okay, yeah, go on. Whatever, Jeremy. Why don't either of them have any special rules that allow them to move through terrain? Because they're well traveled. <laughs> how tired would you be? Yeah, they're stuck. Like, there's they're no... so, so tired. Look at that heavy oh, armor you're carrying around. They just want to sit down. They have all of these ranger abilities, and they don't have shoot three or or mountain dweller. They're clearly like, not rangers anymore. They, they're definitely like uh, Iron Hills guys. And the models don't represent what they are anymore. Yeah. They're, they're Iron Hills I don't, heroes. I don't think, yeah, I don't think Dra has a longbow, does he? Doesn't he have a regular no, he has a dwarf bow. bow. Yeah, and you know what's more insulting about it is Dra, the expert shot, is as good shot as Murin, who doesn't even bother bringing a shooting weapon because yeah. he's. They... <laughs> but but if Murin wanted to, he would shoot just as well. I I don't know. <laughs> yeah, there, there was some I, clear I, there's some clear droppages. I still think the best way to run Murin and Dra is in a Minas Tirith list with uh, Kirion and. Uh, Madril and Faramir and that whole kind of swath of shenanigans and just run basically uh, micro warbands with uh, with uh, Minasirith and yeah, but either way, either way, this still works pretty well because you can make Murin your leader and have the shield bearer do shield bearer things with Murin and they still get all the bonuses from the shield bearer. So yeah, yay, I, I think the the only real you know downside as we discussed earlier is just the slowness of the list, but. You know, you can work around it. You can, at 500 points, I think it's not as important. No. Well, I, I'm sorry, I can't get off it. Vrasku is shoot value 3+. plus. Yeah. He, he literally just has a crossbow that has two slots yeah. for arrows. That's his reason he can shoot twice. But they gave him 3-plus shot <laughs> with this massive bulky crossbow he's got. Good I just Lord. don't think they know what they're doing with Marin and Gerrard. I think it's just a... Where do we put them? Like, in the old rules, we yeah. didn't have to have everything in lists. It was fine, because you could just have interesting characters. But, like, the whole Wanderers in the Wild is a bit of an odd bod thing. And I, I, mean, I look forward to talking about it at some point when we do a list for it. Because um, I just don't know really where they sit. They seem to be pretty costly. I wish they could bring a Warband. Like, I think that would be 
be kind of cool to to be able to to throw some yeah like the blue mountain dwarves like kylie said or something like that and have yeah have some interesting yeah. It, yeah. it almost is almost because there used to be like a um I, this is this is showing my age just a tiny little bit like way back when there used to be a white dwarf or maybe it was even a web release i can't remember but there was a series of scenarios where you had moon and dra and you went through their travels so yeah, I remember like, something like that. Yeah, yeah I to, loved that. I, you had, I remember that so well. You had just yeah. them. Like the first scenario was just them versus the world, and then you had them with a handful of dwarves. Then they met this elf captain who had who was like Dra, who had two shots. So you had these two expert shot elf like models, like heroes, and Murin just sitting in the front of him going, "I've got anyone that comes close." Then the next scenario, you had to go beat up some really tough, like, goblin captains that were basically super um, goblin captains with, like... That's the one I remember! And then you went it was, it, all the it was on the stuff. GW website, right? Yeah. It was on, like, it a... Was, yeah. It was so good, and, oh. like, I, I'm surprised they didn't lean into, like, that a little bit more, maybe... I know it's it's a bit wishlisty here, but they could have totally expanded their rules and you know, allowed you to take, like, their elf friend, their elf captain friend who, you know, has has two shots like draw and then you can get some really funky like combos and ally contingents into into certain mm. lists and stuff and get some really interesting um if anyone has that um sort of journey that Muran and Dra went on somewhere i i think it was a series of articles on the gw website or something like that if you have that somewhere please do oh, send, uh, send in. that into send us because in, i, I would this. love to yes. reminisce about that um I... I remember in particular the captain uh, conversions and the rules that they had were just really cool. And the, and the, and the goblin yeah. ones, because I've done those conversions. I've done the goblin captain conversions for that scenario. Those ones, those, yes, those, that's what I'm talking about. Yeah. The one with the two swords who can reroll all his wounds and the one with the giant three-handed axe that like just does double wounds or something silly. I, I've, I've, I've got those models and I, I want to go back through and play it again. Anyway. Mm. If only there's some way to find old internet things. Who knows? Who knows? Uh, My wish list for (laughs) Marin and Dra is that uh, I've been thinking about this while you two have been reminiscing, and and I've been enjoying the reminiscing. Absolutely enjoyed it. But I would give them, you know, the um, the goblin uh, mercenaries rule where they can jump out of terrain. Oh, that would be so good. I would give them that. Keep them as is, 100% as is, and just give them that. And I think that would make them interesting. Oh, that would make them so fun to play. So I don't think it would, it would. I don't think it would like overpower them because it's still not as hundred percent reliable, and they're still only two dwarves. But having them show up in a in a little fortress or something like that and just help out, I think would be really cool. And it's two models, Absolutely. so you can like deep strike yeah. them into pretty much any terrain. Mm. Yeah, that would be so fun. I'm gonna trial that rules. I'm gonna trial those rules. Yeah, let's just make rules. Uh, I like that. We're at this point now. We're just just change <laughs> just rules. Our own rule book. Yeah, just yeah. just surprise the person halfway through the game. Yeah, you know what? I've just <laughs> what do you that. mean? What do you mean now? We completely change how forests work for like ten years. <laughs> hey, calm down. No, everyone else is wrong. My no, house rule was right. I'm, I'm I'm with Jeremy on this one. I prefer our forest rules. Yeah, it's way more interesting. <laughs> sure. <laughs> okay. <laughs> All right. Um. Well, I I think that's all of the lists that we've mm-hmm. written here. Correct me if I'm wrong. Um. Yeah. Um, so thank you for tuning out, everybody. Thank you to lis- for listening. Uh, I really hope you enjoyed this because Dwarves, absolutely one of my favorite armies, and I, I, I hope you all have a uh, greater appreciation or perhaps a new interest in Dwarves now that you've listened to this and heard our thoughts on them. And uh, remember, as always, Traps Win Games. Thank you for listening to the Green Dragon Podcast. Please be advised that the Green Dragon podcast is not suitable for children, the elderly, pregnant women, those with a history of heart conditions, or anyone expecting to receive worthwhile advice. 
You can contact us on the Green Dragon Podcasts at gmail.com. Yes, it has an S at the end. Or our Facebook page, The Green Dragon Podcast. We do not claim ownership of any works based on J.R.R. Tolkien, New Line Cinema, Warner Brothers, or Games Workshop. This podcast is purely for entertainment. The thoughts, as rare as they are, are solely that of our hosts and guests. Farewell, listener, until we meet again.